And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few But then again to mention I did what I had to do saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more Much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was My fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way. I did it my way For what is a man What has he got If not himself Then he has not To say the things He truly feels And not the
Yes, Frank Sinatra from 1969, My Way. That is dedicated to longtime listener Bobby Orr's mom, who unfortunately passed away recently, and he asked me if I could play this song for her. So I did. And uh, while Bobby Orr's mom was presumably not a listener to this show, uh, I know he listens to the show every week, and he... Uh, wanted this dedication, so I obliged him and let him pick this song. So, sorry to hear about that. I know it's uh, always very, very difficult to lose one's uh, parent, and uh, that's unfortunately one thing that comes with uh, getting older, is that uh, you may be feeling old, but that means your parents are really old. So anyway, uh, sorry to start the show on a downer note. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This is being broadcast live on Monday, July 11th, 2016. Right now the time is 8.23 p.m. Decided uh, today to do the show, so it wasn't a lot of notice. And uh, before we get going, I want to tell you about a free roll that we have. The free roll is back. It uh, is a $52 free roll. We'll probably have a bigger one next week. Last few shows because of the World Series have been not only on off days, but also hastily announced to where there was not a lot of notice given. So uh, we were just skipping the free roll for some time. I think the last one we had was like a month ago, maybe even more. But the free roll is back tonight. If you can make it, then uh, you have a pretty good chance of winning. I have to imagine it's not going to be a very big field. But we're going to run it anyway, and whoever shows up shows up and gets the money. We are paying four spots this week, as we usually do, usually usually, uh, four or five spots. Uh, This week, the free roll money came from Dr. Peters, $52, and uh, it'll be first place will get $25, second place $14, third place gets $8, and fourth place gets $5. No Limit Hold'em on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen. Click on the No Fraud Online Poker tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account for the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can't use your form account to get into it, but it's totally free. You don't even need play chips to sit in the free roll. Just you need an account. That's it. You just register. It's right there. You can even put a fake email address if you want. I don't care. It doesn't verify it. 8.40 p.m., Pacific time is the start of the free roll. 25 minutes of late registration, meaning you could enter as late as 9.05 p.m. Pacific time. To qualify for the free money, though, you have to meet the requirements. The requirements are listed on the free roll rules. You can find those at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. This week, there will be no Brandon. Brandon has a migraine headache. He's been suffering from those for much of the summer so far. So uh, he will not be able to be part of the show tonight. I feel bad for him. I know how terrible headaches can be. And uh, I was hoping Brandon would be better by now, but uh, he's had a whole lot of these headaches. Still has one right now. I asked him today. He said he cannot make the show. So hopefully he'll be back next week. The next show, by the way, will be nine days from now 
on July 20th. Wednesday, July 20th will be the next show. There's a chance I might change it to Tuesday the 18th. I'll let you know, but it's it's not going to be this week, the next show. It's either going to be on the 18th or the 19th. Follow Poker Fraud Alert. That's at Poker Fraud Alert on Twitter for more information, or just check out the forum, and it'll eventually be announced. If you want to text me during the show or call me during the show, that phone number is the same. It's 775-FRAUD55 or 775-372-8355. If you call, make sure you show your caller ID, otherwise you don't get through. You have to dial star 82 to get through when you're calling me. Either star 82 or just show your caller ID. If you don't, you just won't get through. I won't even see the call coming in. Bad guy wanted to call in. He said, hey, answer an unknown call. I go, I can't answer an unknown call. I don't even see an unknown call coming through. If you want to text me, same phone number, 775-372-8355, you can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas, which is where I am right now. If you go to Mount Charleston during the summer, it's cool up there. It's like 75 degrees, unlike Vegas, which is like 110. So it's a good place to go in the summer to cool down. Totally different scenery there, too. It doesn't look like the desert. It looks like the mountains. Uh, that phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. That is the Mount Charleston line. You cannot text that number. You can only call it. 702-430-1808. It is a separate line which goes to me. So sometimes if you get like a busy signal or some trouble getting through the main number, you can call the Mount Charleston line. It'll get to me, too. If you want to text Brandon during the show, you can. He won't be on the show. You can text him anyway. His text number is 203-299-2436. 203-299-2436 to text Brandon if you wish to do so. But tonight he probably won't answer you. He's probably uh, lying in bed trying to make that migraine go away. Maybe he's listening, though. Last, last time I did the show, he listened. He just couldn't be part of it. And... Let's see what else we got here before we get going. We suppose they're going to have a phone call coming in in three minutes from a woman named Kathy. I, I think I should introduce this before we get the call. She claims she's calling at 831. Right now it's 829. But uh, we have a person on the forum named The Lurker. The Lurker claimed to have lurked on this forum, on Never Win Poker, on Donk Down. He claims he only made an account here to actually post recently. I think it was this year. And we're not sure if that's true. It probably is, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Anyway, he posted a story on the forum a few months ago. He was supposedly looking for love advice, and the love advice was about a a woman that he used to date when they were both teenagers and uh, hadn't seen her in a long time, and he claimed he happened to run into her in an art gallery that she owns in New Mexico, something like that. And she's married, and what should he do about it? Well, it very quickly progressed to where not only did he end up dating her, but it turned out, right when the two of them decided to get together and mess around anyway, despite the fact that they were married, or that she was married, he wasn't married. It turned out that right around that same time, it turned out that uh, her husband decided that he was gay. And that uh, he wasn't really into her anymore. So he was actually okay 
with the lurker taking away his wife because he was gay. And then the lurker and this woman named Kathy lived happily ever after, at least so far. So that was the story that was peddled on Poker Fraud Alert. And some people had some questions about it. Is, is this something that really happened? Uh, is the lurker making it up? Is the lurker even real himself? Is this all a level on us here on the forum? Uh, why was he in this random art gallery? What brought him there? Why is he just wandering through art galleries by himself? And how did he recognize her right away if he hasn't seen her in so many years? I guess that part's possible. I don't know how much different she looks. Well, actually, they posted pictures of them back when they were 17 and now when they're like 50. And I have to say, I I, I would never recognize it as the same person. Maybe he would because he knows her better, but... I, I wouldn't recognize it as the same person. You know how there's some people who maintain like really youthful looks and maintain like a very similar face to where you see them 33 years later and you instantly recognize it's the same person. But others change a lot in 33 years to where you'd have to be told that's the same person to recognize it's them. And that's where I would put her. And it's not an insult. I'm just saying that I... I would never, and I don't think anybody would who saw these two pictures, I would never think it was the same person from, yeah, if I saw one and then I saw the the other one. I wouldn't think that's the same person 33 years later, unless I was told. But that's the, the least unbelievable part of the story to me. The, the parts that are kind of strange is what was he doing in this random art gallery? Uh... Yeah, what was the chance that when he wanted to pursue her, that happened to be the moment when her husband's coming out as gay and, and is okay with not being with her anymore and gives his blessing that they can be together and everything works out perfect? It, it just seemed like everything in the story fit together. Nothing happened in the story that didn't have some sort of bearing on the future. Everything happened in a perfect sequence at the perfect time, like they would in a movie. Like in a movie, every scene you see, unless it's poorly edited, is relevant to the next scene you you will see. Even if the, the relevancy is later in the movie. Even if uh, something happens at the 10-minute mark of the movie, and then it's relevant at the 2-hour mark of the movie, it's still relevant at some point in the future of the movie. They rarely have a scene that doesn't build up to something later. And that's kind of the way this story was. Everything fit together really well. Everything happened... At breakneck speed, everything happened bang, 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 one day after another, like there's more progress, a lot of progress, and within a very short time they're in love and they, they can't believe that they've been without each other all these years. It, it just seemed a little bit too, uh, too convenient for me. Happened too fast, everything worked too well, the story had a lot of interesting twists and turns, it, it just seemed too perfect. So, this Kathy registered her own account on the forum, and I verified the account today, and she posted some message in a, in a thread, not even that thread, but some other thread bashing me, and so I said, okay, I'm going to do radio tonight, call in. So she said she's calling in at 831, but I have not received a call. So I, I may have just wasted uh, a precious five minutes on this radio show talking about something that's not going to happen. Of course... I've done that many times before. Oh, wait a minute. This may not be her fault. I think I didn't start up Skype. See, now, now I gave her an excuse. 
See, if I don't start up Skype, then I can't take the calls on the radio. I apologize for that if you're trying to call. So one moment here, I'm going to start up Skype. I knew I was forgetting something. See, I'm not in my usual setup. I'm uh, at the Rio. And don't try to call me at the Rio, by the way. I've taken the phone off the hook. I know, I know what you guys do. I know whenever I say I'm somewhere else, you guys try to track down where I am and then call me in the background of the show. So I, I was prepared this time. I may not have started Skype, but I was prepared to not get pranked during my radio show at the Rio. So I've taken the phone off the hook where you guys can't do that. Free roll starting in five minutes, by the way. But okay. Uh, now you guys can call 775-372-8355. 775-FRAUD55-702-430-1808. These are all phone numbers you can use to reach me. And I'm hoping she calls. Watch. I, I bet this is going to be the excuse. I bet this is going to be, well, I tried to call at 831, but I got a voicemail on the first ring and I gave up. I, I hate when I provide people these outs because I didn't really believe she was going to call. I, I thought she was just uh, jerking me around. I'm not even convinced she's real. So Now I kind of feel like a fool for not starting Skype in time. I'm glad I at least caught it right now because if I if I left it this way for like half an hour, it would have totally given her an excuse not to call. I mean, this shouldn't be important to me, but just I, I want to get an answer one way or another on this. Yeah, uh, Grenada Rogers says, uh, late and no Skype, and she wants to prove you stupid. Well, now she has two strikes on you. <laughs> well, the late part isn't stupid, that's just late, but I have to admit the Skype thing is stupid. Oh, wow, Four Dragons is back. Four Dragons left the forum, and people are saying, hey, I thought you left, and he says, this isn't the forum. <laughs> so I, I guess he's not leaving the radio show. I have to say, Four Dragons' talents are better on the forum. He's, you know, he's a really good Photoshopper. He's a good poster. Uh, well, I'm glad to have him in the radio chat. I'd rather have him on the forum, but whatever. At least he's kind of back. So anyway, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about this any longer. If she wants to call in, then she can. If she wants to claim it's because I didn't start Skype till four minutes after she said she'd call, then so be it. And she has a, a built-in excuse, I guess. Oh, by the way, Sysop sent me a PayPal, or at least he says he did. I'll believe him. He's a trustworthy-sounding guy from Detroit. But uh, he says he's shipping me a $10 bounty for himself. So if you guys knock out Sysop from the tournament, you get $10, provided he really sent it to me, which he probably did. So if you see Sysop there, try to get rid of him. You get 10 bucks, which is better than third-place money. I'm not sure I mentioned this. Dr. Peters is the one who gave all the money. I think I mentioned it. $52. Thank you to him again. Alrighty, so uh, here's the agenda for tonight, and then we'll get going. I already mentioned the Kathy thing. We didn't get a call yet, but we will see. Uh, Various World Series news. A little of it personal, the rest of it not personal. The personal news, I played the event, the main event last night, day one. And the good news is I survived it. The good news is I'm coming back tomorrow for day two. There's a, br- a break of one day in between. So that's why I did not play today. 
But tomorrow I come back for day two. That's the good news. I survived. The bad news is I survived with a disappointing stack. And with 75% of the players yesterday surviving, it's not a big feat to make it to day two. But nevertheless, I made it to day two with about 60% of my stack that I started with. I'm disappointed about that. I got a good, got a good starting table, and I really couldn't make anything of it. I'll explain what my day was like yesterday and what I hope my day will be like tomorrow. Howard Lederer played the main event, and near the end of the day, he was confronted at the table by a woman. I will tell you who confronted him and what she said and what he said back. Fedor Hulse, the poker prodigy, the kid who's taken the poker world by storm. He, he hasn't even gotten old enough to get rid of his acne yet. I'm not even kidding. He has like an acne problem because he's so young. 22 years old, he has as many millions in tournament caches as he has in years on this earth. 22 million. <laughs> so, uh, five of that just came yesterday when he won the $111,000 High Roller, One Drop Event. We'll talk a bit about that and how is he doing it? How does he keep winning these High Roller events? Justin Bonomo, who finished second to Fedora Holtz at that event, played the main event, and he happened to be in the table right next to mine. Well, he tried to play the main event of the World Series of Poker standing up He tried to play it standing the entire time, including during hands. Yeah. I will tell you how that worked out for him. Brian Rast, good poker player, winning high limit cash player. He had won the 50K Poker Players Championship, which is a very tough event. He had won that. And then... He came back and won it again this year. He's won it twice. Only Michael the Grinder Mizraki has done that. And Rast's bracelet ceremony was yesterday. So I was forced to listen to it. The bracelet ceremony, I've actually avoided bracelet ceremony somehow. This is the first one I actually had to endure. And when I say endure... Uh, it's just unpleasant because they occur after the first break is over, and you just want to get bl- back to playing poker. You don't want to sit there and listen to bracelet ceremonies. I mean, no offense to the bracelet winners. In fact, if I win another bracelet, I won't blame you for not wanting to listen to my ceremony. But uh, anyway, there were three bracelet ceremonies at once yesterday, right before level two of the main event. Uh, Brian Rast, Tony Dunst, and one other person I'm forgetting. Anyway... Brian Rast made a really weird and rambling speech that went on for like five minutes at the bracelet ceremony. I was very surprised to hear this from him. I will tell you about the speech and what I think of these bracelet ceremony speeches in general. I think you have an idea what I think. (laughs) Jared Blesnick, banned for life from the World Series of Poker, for destroying cards when he was mad about the way a hand went. He crumpled up cards and ripped them up, and they banned him for life. And he's had other instances of bad behavior. So the word got around Blesnick's banned for life for ripping up and crumpling up cards. Only within a few days to be seen again playing in a World Series of Poker event. (laughs) 
man, what's that about? How do you get banned for life and then you're back a few days later? Is he like a cat with nine World Series lives? I don't get it. So uh, Alan Kessler was actually concerned about that. He came up to me at the World Series and says, he wants me to talk about this on this radio show. So I will, Alan. I will talk about Jared Blesnick and his strange unbanning just days after he was banned for life from the World Series of Poker. Finally, do you wish that uh, you could create a clone of yourself that could play a different flight of a poker tournament than the regular one of you plays? So, let's say your clone registers for day 1B. And then your clone gets there and goes, oh man, I don't like my table draw. Well, okay. Screw this, I'm not playing. I will play day 1C instead and try for a different table draw. But what if your clone takes a while to uh, get over there? What if he registers but gets a... He's late to get over there and tell the staff that. And his stack blinds out. Is that still okay? Can your clone just uh, have his partial stack taken off the table and he just come back for day 1C? Well, if that was your fantasy and your name is Chance Cornuth, then you're in luck because that's exactly what happened. Uh, Chance Cornuth does not have a clone, but he did register for day 1B of the World Series. His stack blinded down and somehow he was allowed to have his stack taken off the table and come right back for day 1C. He didn't have to pay twice. He only had to pay once. And those chips from day 1B, they are now part of the World Series in other people's stacks. Is that right? And was a rule violated here? We will talk about that here on Poker Fraud Alert as our final World Series of Poker topic. Well, there's a new gambling scandal, but it does not have to do with casino gambling or online poker or even online gambling of any kind. No. It has to do with gambling on items in a video game called Counter-Strike. And it's an interesting scandal. And it even has some parallels to poker, to online poker, as to what constitutes gambling. We will talk about that, and I will play you a little uh, video which explains the scandal somewhat, and then I'll explain it further. It's an interesting development, and I think it will eventually have implication on what is defined online gambling in the future. Because it's a gray area right now. You may remember some fail idea back in 2008 and 2009 called Poker Battle. And that was uh, yet one of the, uh, yet another idea in poker that was supposed to be the next big thing, the next exciting thing that of course did not become the next big or exciting thing and failed. But uh, something that was never known was that Poker Battle was funded of almost $4 million by an EPT grand final champion named Glenn Chorney from Canada. Glenn Chorney sent $3.77 million to the shady founder of Poker Battle. Why are we talking about that now? Well, because there's a lawsuit about this. Glenn Chorney has finally come to realize that he was ripped off. (laughs) So I'll tell you a bit about this lawsuit that has just been filed 
And uh, I'll tell you about a website about poker battle that's still up, even though it's long gone. Final poker gambling topic of the night. Larry Flint, the owner of Hustler Magazine and the Hustler Poker Room, known as the Hustler Casino, in the L.A. area, has now bought another L.A. area casino. He's bought the disgraced Normandy Casino. We'll talk about why he bought it and why the previous owners could not keep it. General topics tonight. I had a nightmare in a cell phone repair shop. And I'll tell you how that went. And the situation where what looked like was probably an honest mistake escalated because the ones who made the mistake tried too hard to cover it up. And I've seen this before. I'll tell you this sordid tale when we get to that in the general topics. And finally, a new trend, though it's been happening before now, but I've seen a lot of it in the last week. Blocking freeways to protest something. If you have a big group of people and you want to protest something, you just find a busy freeway and you block it to where traffic cannot pass through and anybody who's currently on the freeway that you're blocking is stuck. They cannot go anywhere. That is a new trend. What should happen to these protesters? And is it okay to block freeways as a form of social protest? These topics and more will be the subject of tonight's Poker Fraud Alert Radio with Todd Dandruff with Tellis and the ghost of Brandon Gerson. If anybody wants to co-host with me, by the way, let me know. <laughs> Something I noticed doing these shows in Vegas is because it's so dry, uh, my throat gets dry a lot quicker than when I'm doing this in other secret locations. So if you hear this, it means I'm drinking water trying to fight the dryness of my throat that comes from incessant talking with an air conditioner blowing in my face. Which one is right now? You know what sucks about the AC at the Rio is that it's very hard to get it to keep the room at a good temperature. It's either blasting cold air in and you're freezing, or if you turn it up too high, then it starts blasting heat in, which is the last thing you want. And if you just turn it off, well, that's fine for the moment if the room gets cold. But then, of course, since you're in Vegas during the summer, the room gets hot very quickly when it's off. So it's a very hard thing to manage. Right now it's blasting cold air in my face. All right, enough complaining. Let's take a look at the chat room where you can go right now if you're listening live. Oh, I'm getting a message from Trader Ruski that he will co-host. Good, good, good. You have someone here. Trader Ruski may not be the most talkative individual when he's on here, but at least he's here. At least it's someone. He's he's reliable. He's available, maybe. He's not answering. Here we are. Trader Ruski. Uh oh, not the best connection here. No? No, you want it's me to he, call you? You know, I, I I don't even know if that's the reason. It could just be that the real internet sucks, but uh I don't know. See, see, this is the problem. Uh, actually, I'm not sure why. Because when I'm broadcasting here, what happens is, and I'm sure you know this, I am sending out my voice from my computer through the real internet to the Poker Fraud Alert server, which then broadcasts to everybody else hearing it. So I am uploading my voice 
when you were talking to me, I'm downloading your voice. So if the download is slow right now, but the upload's fast, I can do the show clearly, but then you can't speak to me without interference. That's why I'm suspecting maybe the download is just kind of lousy right now because it's 9 p.m. at the, at the Rio. But uh, here, speak again. Let's see if it's any better. Okay, how does that sound? Yeah, see, it's not that good. Uh, I'm trying to think what we should do here. Uh, try to call me back. It's never easy here. Notice we never got the call from Kathy. Never got the call from Kathy. Okay, is this any better now? Yeah, it sounds. I mean, it's, you sound clear to me. Okay, you sound better. I th- we're better. All righty. Okay. All right. So, one thing I forgot to mention before we get going with the show is we have a call to listen line. I'm very proud of it. It's a, a phone number you can call to listen to the show at any time. Either while it's live or while we are streaming our reruns. Because when the show is not live, what it does is stream reruns. It just randomly picks a rerun from the past four years and streams it as if it's running live. So you can listen to those streaming reruns either on the radio page of Poker Fraud Alert or you can use the TuneIn app on your phone or you can call the call to listen line, which is... 712-775-8162 712-775-8162 If you forget that number Just go to the radio page It's listed right there The radio tab Which is on the top of PokerFraudAlert.com 712-775-8162 It can also be used To listen to the show live So It's a very useful Item Especially Because you don't need The internet To listen to the radio show all you need is a phone that can dial. Any phone. Any phone in the world that can dial. 712-775-8162. You can listen to the show. It doesn't cost you even one byte of your data. You don't even have to have data. You don't need a smartphone. And there's no buffering BS. You know when you have like a bad connection on your cell phone and or, or any internet uh, connection where you're listening to a, a podcast or some kind of streaming thing online and it says buffering and you're listening to someone talking at halt. It's like, I'm talking... King right now, this is how it sounds. Like it's really frustrating to listen to it. It's like that. Okay, so the call to listen line never buffers. So that's a good thing to listen to if you don't have the best internet connection either. So I, I highly recommend it. In fact, if I were to listen to this show, that's what I would use to listen. Seven one two seven seven five eight one six two. The call to listen line. It's been running since November. Gets about uh, twenty two. Thousand minutes, twenty-two thousand minutes listened to every month, according to my metrics. Sysop says he will co-host. Okay, uh, I just invited him to come Skype me, and I can put him on. Okay, so let me uh, start with the World Series news, and uh, we will go through our agenda. Now, I'm not going to be doing this show till like five a.m. I've got to be in the Rio tomorrow. Or I'm in the Rio, but i got to be in the Rio poker room, in the Amazon room tomorrow, by 11 a.m. to play. And, of course, I have to sleep. So I want to get eight hours of sleep. So i I, I got to be in bed by 2 because I want to wake up around 10. So uh, I've got to end the show before then. But we're a while away from that. It's, it's not even 9 yet. So just telling you if you're expecting, like, an eight-hour show, it's not going to happen. But, but to, to be honest... 
when Brandon's not here, the show isn't as long. Brandon and I can just go on talking about so many different tangents, and that's what makes the show extend, extend, extend. But without Brandon here, then uh, the tangents are much fewer, and the show is shorter. So I know people really enjoy these long shows. Uh, I can just tell you, like by myself or, or with uh, non-Brandon co-hosts, it's, it's unlikely we'll get to seven or eight hours. But tonight we won't for sure. So I played the main event, as I have every year since 2005. Last year I got a, a very good table draw. The reason I play the main event, by the way, is that there's a lot of amateurs in the field. There's a lot of people who play that are not very good. There's a lot of people who enter the main event that are not pro poker players, are not no-limit hold'em experts. Most people who play these days have a clue. You're not going to have that many like major fish in the, in, the, in the main event, don't get me wrong. But you're going to have a lot of like okay amateurs, ones who, who understand basic tournament strategy, ones who don't take really unreasonable lines, but at the same time, they're, they're not difficult opponents at all. Many of them are very easy to read. Many of them are, are super straightforward. Uh, many of them don't bluff very much or at all. Many of them never try to steal pots or even steal blinds. So you get a lot of these guys at your table at the beginning. And that's where you really have the edge. You don't have the edge later when you're facing all the good players who survived to the later stages. Unless you're like one of the very, very top tournament players, which I'm not. At least not No Limit Hold'em. So, let me, uh, you know what, this is weird. Um, yeah, Trader Risk, I'm going to call you right back, hang up. Alright. This is weird. I To take this call, I guess, uh, is this Sysop? Hello? Sysop, you there? <laughs> I hung up. On Trader Ruski to take this call from what I think is Sysop, and I can't hear him. See, Skype has this idiosyncrasies. You can't, you can't add a, a another Skype caller onto like a, a group call unless they're already on your friends list. It's a really dumb thing, but I can't even hear him, so he must have a a messed up uh, microphone or something. I'm going to blame it on him because I can hear Trader Ruski just fine when we had him on here. Here, I just added him as a friend. Let's see if we can... Now I'll put Trader Ruski back. The next time we get a call from Sysop, provided he has a fixed microphone. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah, I was trying to take the call from Sysop, and it wasn't letting me take it like along with you, but his mic wasn't working anyway. So we will wait for him to call back later. Anyway, getting back to the World Series. I... Got a good starting table last year. I was very excited about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to own everybody here. Well, I didn't. I, I couldn't get hands to fall for me. I, I could not. Uh, every draw was missing. You know, whenever I had something, the other guy didn't, and they folded. When they, when they had something, that's when I'm trying to knock them out of it, and I can't because they've got something. Like, it all wasn't working last year. So I finished with uh, only a little bit above starting stack. And then I came back to day two to a tough table, including Scott Montgomery with a big stack, which is always tough to deal with. And uh, I didn't survive very long. So I made it to like early to mid-day two when I was gone last year. Well, this year, again, I got a good table. Now, admittedly, last year's table was better, but this year it was just about all recreational players. 
not necessarily bad recreational players, but not good ones either. Like, a lot of these guys at the table were pretty much the same player. And this is the type of table where I would do very well. I, I, there was no young, aggressive pro there. There was no one at the table who was particularly difficult to deal with. There wasn't anyone being tricky. Uh, there was very little three-betting going on, like uh, unless someone really had a big hand. So like I, I was very infrequently three-bet yesterday, despite opening a lot of pots. I opened a lot of pots partially because I had a lot of hands. So with all these different factors, including I was dealt pocket aces four times, pocket kings three times, pocket queens four times, and I got tons of other pocket pairs, five, sixes, and sevens a bunch of times. I got, I think every pair dealt to me except threes, nines, and jacks, and as I said, aces, kings, and queens, I got a whole lot. Uh, 11 times combined for those three. And I never once ran into a set when I had any of those. So I should have just cleaned up, right? Like, how could I have lost? And and I didn't lose any gigantic pot. So So how did I not have a good day? Well... The problem is, number one, I missed every single draw I had. Number two, uh, every time I was hitting big hands or getting big hands dealt to me pre-flop, just about every time I was getting no action. Number three, when I missed the flop, my opponents always hit. Like, just about every time, they had something. So I could not bet them off. There were a few times I was able to do it, but most of the times, no, they really had something. In fact, many times they had something and underplayed it. Oh, and I even ran the king high flush into the ace high flush one time. That was also nice. I ran queens into aces. That was also nice. So, uh, anyway, when the smoke cleared, when it was all said and done, I finished with a very uh, disappointing 29,700 in chips when we started with 50. So I ended up with about 60% of starting stack. The average right now is about 66 only about a quarter of the field busted. By the way, a sysop, are you here? I mean, I see him, but... Sysop, I cannot hear you. Trader Risky, I can hear you, right? Yeah, no, I'm here, and I'm hearing like a thumping. Or yeah, a thumping, and it's like we have thumper on the phone here. i got to hang Check. on. Well, well, here we go. I hear something. Check. Check, yes. Hello. Check. I bet. What do you do? Call? I call. Yeah, if, if this is the World Series last night, you're going to call, and I'm going to bet the turn you're going to call. It's going to go check, check, river. You're going to have a uh, top two pair the whole way. <laughs> okay. Am I coming through? Am I coming through all right? Yeah, you're coming through, uh, I'd say, mediocre. It's uh, you're, you're a little bit soft, and uh, it's a little bit. It, it's pretty much the same. I mean, I, it could be some on my end because I'm at the Rio and the Internet's not the best, but we, and we can make do. It's not terrible. All right, well, I can boost myself if needed. Let's see. Let's see what the chat room has to say. Does this guy sound okay? Does he, does he sound too loud, too soft? To me, it's like a little bit soft, but I, I sometimes hear it different than you guys hear it. 
So the chat room can help me here. How does he sound? How do I sound, chat? I think this is the first time I've talked to you, right? Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, I lose track of the revolving door of co-hosts we have here, but I think that uh, this is the first time we've talked on here. Okay. Someone said it sounds like whenever he talks, it sounds like whenever anyone talks, he gets muffled out, but his levels are fine. I, I don't hear that part happening. I don't either. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, so I was, I was disappointed with this because that's the type of table where I should just be owning everybody. Now, one thing was difficult yesterday, and that was that uh, nobody was spewing chips. So while you did have them calling down a lot, uh, nobody was just uh, shooting off their chips with bad holdings. And they were aware enough to fold, I guess, if the bet was big enough. One thing that was also difficult there is that since so many people were underplaying their hands there, it was also hard to value bet at that table. Because <laughs> uh, there, there were times where, uh, like, I checked back top pair good kicker on a river that was a total blank, and I was right that they had something much better than me and were just scared. Like, I was getting that feeling. There were two hands. I, I forget the exact details, but there were two hands where the river was absolutely meaningless. And I had top pair good kicker, and I went check, check, and I was right. Like, the, they, they had me beat the whole way. So, uh, it, it, that was one thing that made it a little bit tough at the table. But I, I just was totally out of sync. When I had a huge hand, they had nothing and folded. And when I had nothing, they always had something. So, yeah, that's the way it goes. But uh, the Isn't good thing how is... how it always goes? I, I wouldn't say it always goes, but... Uh, you're saying for me or just in general? In general. I mean, that's, well, you know, that happens more often than not because the fact that you have a hand makes it, you know, the fact that you've connected with the flop makes it less likely that the other person did. Unless the way you've connected has nothing to do with your hand. Like if you have aces and the flop is king high, you've connected, but only because your your hand, your, your whole cards are good. Right. But, uh, but if you've got like ace king and there's a king on the flop, then there's a good chance that just nobody has a king. And they're just going to fold. So the, yes, that's true. But uh, but I there were just a lot of situations where they could have easily had something. Like I'll flop a set, and that uh, they could have easily had an overpair instead. They have ace king and missed, and they're going to fold. Like that, that happened to me so many times. Like I had four sets, got no action. So and and again, it wasn't because I was tight. It wasn't because they saw me as like the 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 middle aged tight guy. Because most of the players at the table were older than me. So I, I wasn't like I wasn't like the old guy. Were you playing super tight? No, I was one of the looser ones at the table. So that's <laughs> that, that's that's what's it definitely wasn't because of that. Like, and 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 I was younger than average at the table, so I wasn't like the old guy that everyone said, "Oh, he must always have it." So, it, it just it just things fell out of sync. That's the best way to put it. Uh, by the way, the main event. It's amazing how consistent it's been. It always seems to be like in the mid to high sixes. Always like sixty-four something, sixty-five, sixty-six, sixty-seven. Well, this year they drew sixty-seven, thirty-seven players. So, it is the highest in five years, but not by much. It's it's been right around that for several years now, for five years now, I think. Grenada Rogers saying that Kathy's claiming that she called one, four, and ten times. I don't Who's believe, Kathy? Kathy's this 
woman who I think might be fake on the forum who just recently signed up, who's the, the, the girlfriend of the lurker. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she's saying that uh, she tried to call. They're, they're in the Cayman Islands or whatever, right? Yeah, that whole thing. Like, I don't believe it. I think this is just an excuse. So I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. I'm not seeing a call. Here, I'm, I'm going to test this. I'm going to call myself. I'm going to use my cell phone. Let's see here. I'm going to call myself. See if this gets through. Let me see here. 775-372. This makes great radio. Okay. Drove, by the way, I got a $10 bounty on me. I just need your PayPal address. Oh, you, you haven't sent it yet. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you in a second. I mean, I, I don't right. want to give it on the air here. but uh, Yeah, right, it, it's, yeah it's showing the call coming in. Yeah, that's, uh, she's, she's full of crap. I, I just tested it just, just in case she was telling the truth. Because once in a while, the phones here have problems. So... I said, I'm going to test because these two guys are connected on Skype, which is different. So I get, I'm going to call myself on my cell phone and see if I get through. It went, went right through. So she's just lying. Like this, this whole thing is suspicious. Like when I called out the whole thing, when I said, you know, I don't really believe this story. I think there's a good chance it's fake. Can you two post a picture together? Because they already posted a picture together. But can you post another picture, the lurker and Kathy, where you're both holding up a sign that says Mumbles minus 100? Because they were trying to get uh, Mumbles Badly's rep down to uh, minus 100 at the time. When I say they, I mean like people on the forum. So it was like a little joke. Put Mumbles minus 100 on a paper and hold it up. And that'll prove that's really you two rather than just a, a, a picture of, of two random people you found on the Internet. And when I asked for that, like the thread died in its tracks. So... I didn't believe it either. Yeah, it's it, there's just too many weird elements to the story. So, I mean, I'm, I, checking, the, I'm checking the number two. Is that call coming through? What number two? Oh, the phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming through. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, see it works. Yeah. Full of shit. Yeah, exactly. I called ten times. Yeah, sure. All righty. Uh, and let's see. The last time she said was at seven forty. Actually, 840. It says 740 because they have the time zone wrong. But uh, yeah, 840, which was uh, long after I fixed the Skype issue. So yeah, it, she isn't calling. It's a lie. All righty. So uh, anyway, back to the World Series. Back to the World Trump, Series. I missed it. Are you still in the main? Yeah, I'm still there with uh, with 29,700 chips. Now, the good What's news. the average? Uh, the average is like 66, and starting stack was 50. So you see why I'm kind of disappointed. All right. But uh, what are the blinds, Trust? Did you say what the blinds are? No, I didn't, but I'm going to say now. The blinds are going to be 300, 600 with 100 ante. Now, here's the good news. Here's the, so I have about 50 bigs, but here's the good news. The good news is it looks like I got another good table draw. I've got another shot at this. Because uh, it's not like last year where I got the tough uh, tough table with Scott Montgomery and the big stack and all that other crap. Like, like here, it looks like I'm with... I haven't fully researched everybody yet, but it looks like I am with a table full of recreational players again. And nobody has a stack bigger than 82K, and only two people have more than 60K. In fact, two of them have fewer chips than I do. So this table has fewer chips than average, which is good for me, given that I have a short stack. And it looks like we do not have any pro players at the table. So... Maybe, maybe there's one or two that I don't recognize, but I don't recognize anyone. And just from from what I'm gathering, from what I've seen so far of the names that are there, I, I think these are all wrecks. 
And if it's not all wrecks, then it's mostly wrecks. So now, of course, I have to still get cards, or if I run into a cooler, then I lose. If a draw makes it against me, I lose. There's a lot of ways I can still lose. I only have 30k in chips, but I'm much happier. Yeah, 50 bigs. You have to look at it like that. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I've got 50 bigs, and I have a table that probably is not one of the stronger tables of this day too. So I've got to work from there. And I have had it before where I come in with kind of a crappy stack, and I have a a table that suits my style well, and then I build from there. In fact, if somebody asked me, would I rather have 60K with a tough table or 30K with, with this table, I think I'd take the 30K with this table, to be honest. So I, I have some optimism about it. It's a cautious optimism. Because I was, like, waiting to find that. I actually fell asleep. I was tired last night. I was, like, I was waiting for them to post it, and I fell asleep. But then I woke up in the morning, and I looked at the table draw, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's way better than I expected. I was totally dreading I'm going to have, like, all these, uh, like, tough pros to my left with, like, 150K each. But I don't. I, I don't have that. So no one's up big early. No one's up big early here. What do you mean by that? You said the top few stacks only have sixty k or so. No, 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 no. At at, at my table, okay. it, I happen to get a, a a distribution of smaller stacks compared to the rest of the field. Okay. The the biggest stack at my table is eighty two. The second biggest is like seventy seven, and then the rest are un, under sixty k, which is great because the average is like sixty six. So that's awesome. that's very good for me with my 29K stack. Because the problem is, when you have good pros with a big stack and they see someone with a stack like mine, which is not like desperately short but is on the shorter side, then they take shots at you because they, they know that you're not desperate enough to go all, all in with anything that looks hopeful. But it's, So like they know you can fold, and at the same time, uh, you don't have enough to really hurt them, so they're not that afraid to take shots at you. So... Everybody at the table now can be hurt by my stack. Even the guy with 82K doesn't want to lose to me right now. So uh, that's that's a good thing. We'll see where I can go with it, but that's a good thing. So that's that's where I stand right now. I, I feel disappointed. I didn't. I wasn't able to capitalize on the good table draw I got, but I I feel like okay, I've been granted a second good table draw to make up for the failure of the first day to capitalize. So we will see. And I guess not much more to say about that. Let me tell you the rest of the the World Series topics that occurred. Some uh, (laughs) things going on, of course, at the World Series, as we have every single year. Always news every time we do a show during the World Series. Uh, Howard Letterer. What was that? One step saying. One step saying he's trying to call in. Hmm. I'm not getting his call either, but I got your call and I got my own call. Right. So one step. Try again. Seven seven five fraud fifty five. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Show your caller ID. I mean, one step. You can call in if you want. But I think one step wants to promote this trip he's yeah, taking. He, for some exactly, reason, he wants yeah. us. Yeah, he wants us to pay for a trip he's taking. Uh, to Vegas and somewhere else. I, I don't even remember very well, but it's something involving sex, and he claims he wants to have sex with a woman this time, and who knows. But uh, I, I still don't understand why One Step thinks that others should pay for his trips. He, I mean, yes, he's going to come back and post a trip report, but is it really worth it? Like, I, I can't bring myself to pay for One Step trips. I'm, I'm too cheap. I can't. I, I have a hard enough time paying for my own trips. So, 
Anyway, Howard Lederer played the main event, as you might guess. And he was in day 1B, just like I was. And he was confronted at the table, not by another dude, but by a woman. Daniela Anderson, a.k.a. D-Moon Girl. She is a online grinder. And I guess she had... Uh, oh, I have a call coming in. Let me Before we get to that topic, let's take the call. Call her Okay, it works. So they're all fucking lying. Yeah, they're lying. Yeah, bad guy. Welcome to the show. I'll call back after you're done talking about all your dumb shit. Okay. You, <laughs> all right. You, you do that. Thank you, bad guy. My dumb shit. Yeah, bad guy once said, the more appreciative bad guy once said that he listens to the show because he enjoys learning. He says he feels smarter after listening to the show. But now he's saying my dumb shit. I guess uh, he doesn't appreciate the stuff I talk about anymore. But uh, but thank you for proving that everyone's full of shit about trying to call in. Thank you. Even though uh, Sishop already proved it. All right. So Howard Letterer was called out by Daniel Anderson. She was really, really angry when she saw Howard at her table because she had $60,000 locked up. I think it was her. Someone had sixty. Maybe it was someone else. Well, she had a lot of money locked up. I won't give you a figure because I'm not sure. But she had a lot of money locked up on full tilt when the Black Friday bust happened on April 15, 2011. Money that was locked up for years until she finally got it back. Now, some people erroneously think that it is the government's fault that this occurred. Because the government busted full tilt, all of a sudden your money was stuck. Well, wouldn't that be the government's fault? No. Why? Because the reason the money was locked up is because the money was not there. Locked up would be the wrong way of putting it. The money was gone. When full tilt got busted, the money was gone. They had spent it. They had stolen it already. The best way of putting it is a current event cannot change a past event. No matter what you do today, you cannot change anything that happened before today. Same thing with the full tilt situation. When Howard Lederer, Chris Ferguson, Ray Batar, and Ray First had stolen $300 million of our money, which they did, and the site was broke, and then after that, the Black Friday bus took place, that means the Black Friday bus did not cause the money to be gone. The money was already gone. So, Danielle Anderson's money was trapped on there for a long time, and she was a grinder, and she uh, she's married, she has a family to support, so she was very, very upset about this, as you would think she would be, and it's understandable. So it was very frustrating for her to see Howard at her table, because she felt like, you know, if you're going to do this crap, Howard, and get away with it and keep a lot of the money you made from this whole thing, at least stay away from everybody you did it to. At least don't slap them in the face by coming back and playing poker with them and acting like everything's fine. So he tried his uh, phony apology that he put out through Daniel Negreanu earlier this year, which nobody really bought. But uh, a lot of players aren't satisfied with that and are very angry to see Chris Ferguson and Howard Lederer playing in the World Series as if nothing happened. So, uh, yeah. Why do some people think that the government caused that? Well, because it's one of these things where all they see is the government busted full tilt and then their money was not accessible. So they saw on April 14th, 2011, it seemed like everything was fine on full tilt. On April 15th, not only couldn't they they play there anymore, but they couldn't cash out. So people who didn't follow the situation very closely believe 
that the government caused this, that maybe the government seized their money or the government stopped them from making money to be able to cash out. People didn't really think about the fact or maybe didn't know that the money was already stolen before the government came in and busted them. Now, when the government busted them, it was not because they stole the money. The government didn't know they stole the money. The government thought that Full Tilt had a lot of money like PokerStars did and thought that both sites, PokerStars and Full Tilt, were going to pay a huge fine to them to get out of this whole thing. And PokerStars did. They did pay that huge fine. Full Tilt did not because they were already broke. And UB, the third one busted, also was totally broke. So the government kind of miscalculated. Uh, two of the three sites they busted they thought was going to be it was going to make them rich. Uh, it turned out that they were all broke, those two sites. Right. The only one with money was PokerStars. Uh, others think, well, I got my money back eventually. It wasn't ideal, but, you know, hey, I got the money back. Maybe I shouldn't be so angry. No. You got the money back because PokerStars bought Full Tilt. And bailed them out hard. Right. And they were the only ones who would have done it. So had PokerStars not decided to do this, which was not... This wasn't obvious to happen. It's not like Howard said, hey, if uh, you know, we'll take the money for right now. We'll steal the player money, but if, if all else fails, we'll just sell ourselves to PokerStars and it'll all be cool. That wasn't what they were going to do. It, they lucked out. We lucked out as players that PokerStars bought them. Otherwise, we would have not gotten that money. If, if PokerStars did not buy them, the payment we would have gotten from Full Tilt Poker would have been... Zero point zero. That's what it would have been. So... A lot of people, I think a lot of people tend to forget that. Yeah, they do. So just because a third party came in and bailed us out of the situation does not mean that the original thieves made it right. They did not. You could say, well, at least the thieves sold the site to allow this to happen. No, they didn't. They sold the site to the government because they were forced to. This is one of the things they did to settle with the government so they did not get prosecuted. So, again... It's not like Howard went and did the right thing. Okay, well, we're broke now. We're going to sell the site so you guys get paid. That's not what he did. So, anyway, this is what Daniel Anderson said. This is what she tweeted. This is, uh, so she just talked about some other person busting, and she put, Oh, my God, she's replaced by Howard Letterer. This can't be real life. I think I'm actually going to be physically sick. Then she posted seven minutes later, He hasn't caused enough pain. He has to show his face and be a constant reminder to the worst time of my fucking life. So fucked. Then 10 minutes later, she tweets what she said to Howard. She said, does it not bother you that it's physically painful for people to see you? Like I'm actually sick to my stomach right now because you're here. (laughs) She actually said that to Howard Letterer. And then Howard nodded quietly and said, yeah, it bothers me. And then she said, then why are you here? The least you could do is leave us alone. And he didn't answer. He just sat there. Was it, was any of this confirmed, though, that she actually said this? Uh, I don't know, but she's, you know, I don't really think she's known to be a liar or a drama queen. Like, she, I, I just from what I know of her, I don't know her personally, but I, I would believe this story is, is completely accurate. Not okay. sure, but I, I, I would guess that. She's not known to be a drama queen. She's not known to be someone who... Uh, lies or says things for attention she's she she's pretty down to earth she's she's like a yeah she's a married woman who just kind of wants to grind poker and uh, you know I, I i'm sure she likes the fact that people know who she is and that she's somewhat of a name poker player but she's not uh, she's not the type i could see to make up stories like this and i i believe that she was expressing her true sentiment because she was she really did have a lot of money stuck on there at the time this happened and of course she's pissed now it was brought up by someone on the forum, 
hey, look, you know, these people were idiots. They they kept their whole life roll on full tilt, and then when when they got shut down, and when it turned out they didn't have the money, whatever. Uh, these people were broke. Well, that's their own fault. What kind of idiot leaves their entire life roll on full tilt? Well, look. I kind of uh, half agree with that a little bit. Well, I don't agree. I'll tell you why I don't agree with it. I agree it is a mistake to leave your life roll on any poker site. It's it's dumb because uh, this can this is what can happen. These are unregulated sites. You could wake up the next day and the money could just be gone in one of many ways. And that's what happened with Full Tilt. Just bang, April 15, 2011. Not only did they get busted, but it comes out uh, a few months later that uh, Full Tilt's broke and never had the money in the first place. So, uh, like, like I have money on Bovada right now. I'm very aware that at any point I could wake up one day and Bovada will be gone. And my mm-hmm. money will be too. Okay, so, so I, I don't fully count that money that I see on my Bovada bankroll as mine until I actually withdraw it. But if Bovada went down and my money was gone, I wouldn't be broke. It, uh, honestly, it would be very frustrating. I'd be very annoyed. I, I would be mad. But uh, it wouldn't affect my lifestyle. My lifestyle would you be got, the exact same. You got over five figures on there? Or? Yeah, I actually have about 40000 on there right now. So no, like, I, I wouldn't want to lose the 40000 But if I lost the 40000 like my life really wouldn't change uh, other than me being mad and, and right. $40,000 poorer. So uh, like, I wouldn't leave an amount on there. That would decays a lot in this in this uh, new poker economy. What was that? I said forty k is a lot in this new poker. It, it is, economy. and I'll I'll tell you why I have it on there. I I don't usually keep that much on there. Like I want to get it back down to thirty, and not by losing it, but <laughs> by withdrawing it. But uh, at that thirty sixty game on there, it's a shorthanded thirty sixty limit game on there. It's a very aggressive game, and there's also a lot of uh, a lot of people on their bluff. So it's very hard to make tight laydowns on that site. So if you're running bad on there, that money can evaporate real quickly. And uh, so you can go on, on downers of like 30K there. So you've, you've got to have that on there to feel comfortable. At least uh, like that's what I determined. That's what another limit player I know determined. That's just that's kind of the consensus right now with that game is you need about 30K to, to comfortably play because of some of the downswings that happen there. Now, when you're running well, then, of course, you run up very quickly because then all the all the people who – get all aggressive with you or bluff you, then they just fail over and over, and you just uh, you watch the money pile up so fast. And I've had that many times, too. You can't really table choose on there, right, because of the anonymous thing? No, no. There's like there's some ways to kind of do it, but it's kind of an inexact science, but you, you can't see who you're playing against. Like There's, there's some indications of, of who might be a rec player by how much money they have on the table. But, uh, right. but other than that, you're... Uh, and the funny thing is what I buy in for actually fools people into thinking I'm a fish. But I, I let them think that. Like, I don't even care. Like, let, let them get the what wrong impression. Short stack buy or what? I'm not a short buy, but I don't buy, like, a whole lot. Like, I buy less than most of the other pros. So I think they – and then if I, like, lose the first hand – well, I, I usually rebuy if I lose the first hand. But, but like, just that buy itself, I think people think that, oh, I must be uh, a rec player, and then they sit to my left. But, uh, you know, they, they, they learn pretty quickly, though, when they watch the gameplay that uh, <laughs> it's not what they're expecting. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the bottom line is that uh, while leaving a lot of money on an online poker site, well, I should say leaving more money than you need there or more money than you could afford to lose by it going down is stupid. It, it's just stupid. I, I'll say that. But doing something stupid does not justify others stealing from you. And if someone does steal from you, or scam you, or whatever, cheat you, 
even if you did not take proper steps to prevent it, even if you were gullible, even if you made bad decisions to allow it, that doesn't make the person who did it any less of a scumbag. It doesn't mean they should face less consequence. It doesn't mean they should face less wrath or less anger. Uh, an example I gave on the forum today. Let's say you leave $20,000 cash sitting out on the passenger side of your car. You just leave 20000 on the passenger seat and, and walk out of your car and, and lock it and walk away. That would be incredibly stupid. And probably if somebody walked by and looked in your car and saw 20000 cash sitting in the passenger seat, they'd probably smash your window and grab the 20000 and run off. Like, I wouldn't do it if I saw that, but, but a lot of people who would have no problem stealing would. Okay? So would that really be a dumb move on your part? Of course it would be. But you don't deserve to lose it if you do that. You just uh, did something dumb, and it doesn't make the criminal who took it any less of a criminal or any less of a thief. They're still a thief. You just made it too easy for them. But they're still a thief. They're still just as bad as if they stole the 20000 from you in, in a way that uh, where you did everything right, but they still stole it. Like that's, uh, It's still someone stealing. And that's what I see with, with Howard and with, uh, with Chris and with all the other Full Tilt guys who were responsible for this. It doesn't matter if people made a bad decision to leave too much of their bankroll on there. That doesn't minimize what happened. And, uh, you know, and everybody makes mistakes, too, as far as uh, leaving too much of money on a poker site. You know, everybody makes mistakes of different kinds that end up harming their own life, but that doesn't mean that uh, those that have taken advantage of those mistakes are any less culpable. So that's why I don't accept that argument other than saying I agree it was done. So... And, Brock, it did say in the terms and conditions, though, that they didn't it say they kept the money in a player and it was a separate bank account, or was that just assumed? I, I don't know if it ever said in their terms and conditions if they did or didn't, but. Uh, but that was the standard that you thought people thought for sure they were doing. So when they took the money out of those accounts to fund their company, that was that's the fraud and the stealing. Yeah, and, right and keep in mind the segregated accounts, it, it, it's a. It's something that sounds good, but in reality, you don't even need it as long as the money's being held responsibly. So you can hold it in one account as long as you say, well, the, the first uh, $300 million in this account is untouchable because this isn't our money. It doesn't have to be a separate account. I, I guess it's easier for bookkeeping purposes, but uh, like, like, for example, people have asked me before, do I hold the free roll money for this free roll that's donated by listeners of the show? Do I hold the free roll money in a separate account? <laughs> And, of course, the answer is no. I, I mingle it with all my money, but uh, I know what was sent to me, and then I give it back away in the free roll. So uh, similarly, even on a much grander scale, they don't have to have it in a separate account. They just have to keep it. And it's, it's very, very much implied that when you deposit to a poker site that your money is there and that anything that shows in your balance in a poker site, that money is there for you to get. And that maybe the only limiting factor would be how quickly they can get it to you because of cash out problems, but not not because they don't have it. They're supposed to have it. So, uh, like at every casino, land based casino, they're required to have cash on hand for every chip they have in the casino. And the theory is that they don't ever want a situation, they meaning the government, to where people are holding chips that cannot be cashed at a casino. And any casino that doesn't do that can be shut down. In fact, Binion's in Las Vegas was once shut down for that reason, because they did not have enough cash on hand to cover the chips there. 
So the online casinos and poker rooms should operate this way, and Full Tilt did not. They actually stole money from the players. And something that's not very well known is they were still distributing, quote, profits to the owners long after they were stealing player money to operate. So they were stealing, they were distributing fake profits that was actually player money to the various owners. Now, I don't blame these owners so much because they didn't know what was going on. There's only four people who knew what was going on. That was the board of Ray First, Ray Batar, Chris Ferguson, and Howard Lederer. There, there's been some rumors that Ray First was the one who was like least in the loop, that he was uh, kind of the, uh, of the four board members, he was the one who was least engaged. But uh, the other three were very much engaged. The other three definitely knew. So I give credit to Danielle for calling him out. I like what she said. Does it bother you that it's physically painful for people to see you? Like I'm actually sick to my stomach because you're here. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I like that she said that to him. And uh, I, I don't know if she said it anymore, but I would actually tell the whole table. If, if Chris or Howard were at my table, not only would I call them out and let them know that I'm unhappy to see them, but I'd actually tell the whole table, if you're not understanding what's going on here, and then I'd explain to them why I'm so mad. So this way everybody knows that Howard or Chris, whoever's at the table with me, is a no-good thief who stole $300 million from the poker world. That, like, otherwise it just looks like a private beef. He does look quite old, though, now, doesn't he? Yeah, that's amazing. Like, Okay, so Howard Lederer, I think, is in his early 50s. Let me look up his age. I think he's like 51, something like that. Let me see. Let me see how old he is. I know he's, like, older than me, to, like, way older than me. Let me see. Let me see his age. I think he's got to be at least 55. No, he's 51. He'll be 52 really? in October. Yeah, wow. he, yeah, he looks ancient for 51. Ancient. And the funny thing is he didn't look that old. Like, if you go back to pictures of him from, like, 08, 09, like, he doesn't look young for his age. He looks a little bit older than he was, but not that much older. Like, he doesn't look really that old back from, like, 08, 09. But this must have really taken its toll on him. And, I, and, of course, he deserves it, but he must have been truly, truly stressed by this whole thing to look as old as he does now because he really, really looks like an old man now at the table. That's what I was thinking, too. I think he's just been, you know, stewing about this. And I, I guess that's one example of sometimes where money can't buy happiness because he still has a lot of money. He has a lot of money, and uh, most of this came from full tilt. So he, I, I think um, he's miserable because of you know what happened and how everyone thinks of him now. He used to be the professor or whatever. Yeah, that is what happened. Is that uh, Howard Letterer to him his reputation was very important. He he loved the admiration that right. uh, that he got in poker. That was very important to him. The admiration and and the impression of him, which was wholly good in poker and then for this to occur and for everything that was once good that was thought about him in poker to be overshadowed by the general narrative that Howard Letterer is a thief, Howard Letterer ruined online poker, Howard Letterer stole three hundred million dollars, like that's just a he knows that's how he will be remembered in poker. And even if he can make nice with some of the bigger names in poker when in private, like he was at the, the last Poker Hall of Fame ceremony and was you know, yucking it up with everybody, but 
that's not what's that important to him. What's more important to him is how the masses see him, and he feels like this uh, this big legion of fans he once had now mm-hmm. all look down upon him as a no good thief, and he hates that. And that's that's why he's made these attempts, like that poker news interview that went terribly, like uh, that apology letter that he put through Daniel Negreanu this year, which went terribly. And, and Chris Ferguson, he's different. He doesn't really give a crap. Chris Ferguson, I'm not even sure what he cares about, but he doesn't care so much what the public thinks of him. And uh, he also, what's funny is, despite all this, money isn't that important to him. He actually had a lot of money on full tilt himself that he didn't withdraw because uh, he, he just doesn't seem to care about money too much. But at the same time, he wasn't making it right with anybody because he doesn't give a crap about what people think of him. And I, I think both of these two, and I, I can't say for sure because I'm not in their heads, but I think both of these guys still don't believe that they stole anything. I think they really believe that they were just doing what was right to keep the company afloat. They thought, okay, well, the company is losing money. The company went through its cash. Well, our, our options either to shut down or, or keep going. And, and, and you know, we may have to take some money from the, from the player funds to prop it up, but not everybody's cashing out at once. So we'll just, we'll just borrow some of the money and, uh, and, and keep the whole thing going. And this way everyone's happy, everyone's cashing out, and no, one knows, no one's the wiser. And eventually we'll make the money back, everyone will get their money back. So this is the smartest thing for everybody long term. Well, the problem is you can't do that. You, you can't steal other people's money to give yourself a free loan. You can't free Especially roll on other people's they're... money. Paying Phil Ivy a million a month or whatever. Yeah, and giving the distributions, right, and and still distributing money to the other to the owners, some of which were big distributions, like the Ivy one, like to keep doing that while you're stealing the player money. I, and I think they probably did that to give the other owners the impression like nothing was wrong, like they kept these guys in the dark, and like if the money stopped coming in, they'd say, "What the hell's going on? Why is there no more profit?" So so they had to keep the the other owners believing that everything was fine, so that was probably also part of the plan. We've got to keep paying the owners like there's still profit. Like, the whole thing, the whole thing was a big scam. The whole thing was a big fraud, and it doesn't matter if they had the intention to make it all right at some point. They still stole money. I cannot steal money from you to fund what I think is a good idea for my business. I can't. Got a, got a question for you, though. Had they stopped paying these distri- distributions, do you think any of these players would have blown any whistles or anything? Um, well, see, if they stopped, this is what they should have done. They should have stopped the distributions and said, look, uh, for reasons X, Y, and Z, uh, we're not making money anymore for the moment, so we have to stop the distributions. So they could have even offered uh, uh, various options for these players about, uh, you know, they, they can they, they can sell their share at this point if they whatever they want or maybe they could tell these players hey you can reinvest and get buy a bigger piece in the company uh that, that could help some of the cash flow problems whatever they, they we're or, talking about a company that gave out a two million dollar loan twice yeah it was right it was incompetently run too all these all these loans they gave to people it was run by idiots that, that was like maybe not idiots as far as uh, their intellect was concerned but idi- idiots from the business sense they had no clue to what they were doing so uh when you can't keep paying distributions to people just to make it look like the company's still profitable and then steal right. especially when you're stealing that money for the distributions from the players so you you have to tell the other owners we can't distribute money anymore for these reasons and just have them deal with it and the funny thing is the players would have understood if they if they said let's say some owner did blow the whistle and say you know it's weird we were getting profits before now we're getting nothing what the hell is full tilt in trouble then full tilt can say look such and such payment processor 
uh, is having these issues right now, and this has caused us some trouble. It's, you know, we're still going to pay everybody. We still have all of the player money intact, but uh, at the moment we cannot pay the other owners because if we're not making a profit, we can't pay distributions. It's that simple. I think a lot of people would have appreciated that. So good. You know, you're. That's. Uh, I mean, yes, it's better to hear that everything is fine and everything's so good that you can pay the owner so much money, but uh, th- they maintain this facade to the other owners, to the players, and in reality, there was nothing left. They, they did it for so long, for, for so much money, that it was all gone. Very quickly, $300 million was gone. So there's other things they can do. They could, they could solicit outside loans, outside investors. This happens to businesses all the time where they, where they don't have the cash flow. They don't have the capital to continue. But that, that's when you have to seek help. You don't steal to continue. And that's what they did. They stole to continue their business. So no matter which way Howard or Chris or their supporters try to spin this, you cannot get around the fact that they stole. They stole player money to fund their business. You cannot do that. You absolutely cannot do that. So that's what they did. And if I, you know, had I ended up at their table, in fact, I could end up at Howard's table tomorrow. He, he survived to day two. I survived to day two. I'm not at his t- starting table, but if one of our tables breaks and he ends up at my table, then I'll, I'll say this to him tomorrow. I really will. So did uh did Micon play the uh main? I don't know. If he did, it would be today because Micon has an obsession with playing the last day. So he would play today if it was uh, if he's going to play. I don't know if he did or didn't. Okay. And Rob, those were profit distributions for some. I thought those were like just marketing fees that they were paying people. Well, because if it was profit, wouldn't it change every quarter? I mean, it wouldn't distribute like a set amount every month. Um, well, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was. It was. I shouldn't say distribute. It wasn't really a profit distribution, like tied to profit, but it, it was a distribution from the profits. That's why I call it that. You're, you're correct in the, in the uh, distinction, though. That's what you, it was. Uh, for the most part, uh, like a constant. Uh, right. It was like they were paying Phil Ivy to market their business. Right. Right. But so but these these guys were also but, but they were getting they this because they were partially business. they were partial owners. This is what they were getting as a distribution. This was like what they agreed to pay them. So that's it. that's why I call it the distribution. Even though you're right, it is not directly tied to profits. And you know, and, and theoretically, if the if the company kept making huge money and hadn't made all these different blunders, then they could have increased this at some point when the the company had so much cash on hand they could have distributed more. But uh, obviously, they didn't get to that point. Uh, so anyway. Uh, if, if Howard ends up at my table, I will say something. Probably won't happen, but we will see. Fedor Holtz has done it again. Uh, this is a 22-year-old kid. And uh, he looks even younger than 22, in my opinion. He looks like a high school kid to me. Maybe just because I'm old now. But he is just tearing up the poker scene. Just tearing it up, especially these high-limit events. He keeps entering these like super high-limit events that are like a six-figure buy-in. And he just keeps winning them. I mean, he just keeps winning. Here, I'm going to pull up his Hinden mob. It's going to be crazy to read this. But let's, let's bring up uh, Fedor Holtz's uh, Hinden mob and see what uh, what it says. He just won the one-drop event, which is the $111,000 buy-in event this year. Every other year, it's either uh, $1 million or 111000 It alternates year after year. So this year is 111,000 buy-in. I'm sure he would have still played it if it was a million. Uh, 
But here's his results. I, th- I thought he was... It's funny. This says he's cashed uh, $18.4 million. I thought it was $22 million, but eighteen point four is still pretty good for live events for a 22-year-old. So he just got the uh, almost $5 million cash from the one-drop event yesterday. Uh, he got third at the 50K Aria event for 407K. He got uh, first at the 25K High Roller event at the Aria on June 17th for 276K. June 10th, a week earlier, 25K also at the Aria, won that, 393K. June 3rd, at the at the Super High Roller, 50K, 637,000, he won. The 300K Super High Roller Bowl with 888 Poker, he got second place for 3.5 million. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> One how's guy he doing, doing on the? How's he doing on that fail uh, player of the year? You know, he's probably not even that high because this is mostly just. Uh, are you talking about the GPI thing? Yeah. Uh, he, he's actually first. Oh, <laughs> so good. It's, it's actually working. Yeah, for the World Series, he won't be player of the year, but the GPI, he's first. Uh, anyway, he's he's just been killing it in uh, 2016 alone. Let's see what he has. Uh, 2016 alone, he's cashed uh, 14.6 million. That's all. So this is insane. And he's from Germany. He's actually so young that he still has acne. He hasn't even gotten past the acne stage of his life yet. And it's funny, depending on what picture you see of him, like the high roller, uh, or the, or not the high roller, the uh, the aria. Not the, wait, I'm getting confused. He's won so many, I'm getting confused. The 111K one drop from last night, I saw the picture of him after he won. I didn't see any acne. So he looked like way better in that picture than I've seen in other pictures of him. Uh, so he must just have like these acne outbreaks still, like we all remember getting when we were teenagers and maybe early 20s. So that that's how young the guy is. I'm not bashing for having acne. Like I'm just saying he's that young, he's not even past the acne stage yet. But uh, this shows you how well he's running too. And I'm not going to be one of these bitter poker players and say, oh, it's just because he's running well, that's why he's winning. No, he's winning because he's running well and he's really good, obviously. And he must have a style that kills these high rollers. Like He, he must have a style that's really good against other good players. He must be like kryptonite to the other top players. He must have a style that really counteracts their style very well. But at the same time, uh, it's... His his final hand. Let me bring this up here. Where is this? Hang on a second. I have the wrong thread up here. I should have had this prepared, but I don't. It was eight seven of clubs, I think. Are you talking about the one drop? Yeah, the one drop. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I still don't have it in front of me here. Let me. Where is this? I don't know how I lost this thread. Uh, let me see. Uh, 
I can't find it. It was never mind. But I'll, I'll yeah, I'll tell you what I remember. The, the final hand, which was against uh, Dan Smith, another very good young player. He's heads up. He's on the button and he limps. And Dan Smith raises him. Dan Smith had ace nine. Okay, I think ace nine suited. So Fedor Holstein goes all in. Now keep in mind, Dan. I, I don't remember what the blinds were, but Dan Smith raised to 2.5 million. Fedor Holst with 8 high, 8.7 he has, goes all in for 20 million. Smith calls. So Dan Smith isn't having it. You think Dan Smith might be intimidated by the limp re-raise because when you get limp re-raise, usually ace nine is not a very good hand. Like what if you're against aces, you're screwed. What if you're against ace king, you're still in horrible shape. So he gets limp re-raise, has ace-nine, Dan Smith's like, yeah, I'm going to call it off anyway. And he's right. He's up against ace-seven. So Fedora Hulse flops the open-ended straight draw, and of course in the turn there's the straight. Easy, right? So he wins. That's the final hand. So when you're running well, that's what happens. Like, I know if I did a limp re-raise with ace-seven against someone... And they had ace nine and called me. I'm losing that every time. I'm going to lose it and look stupid. But uh, somehow when Fedora Hulse does it, it works out. So he's obviously uh, everything's falling for him. Obviously, he must. It must be a combination of having a style that really works well against these other top pros and is running really well. So. He won uh, almost $5 million. I don't know how much he has of himself. Does anybody know how much he has of himself? Is he, is he still backed by people? Like like when he entered this 300 k event, did he do that with his own money? What about this event, uh, this 111 one-drop? Did he plunk down 111 k of his own money, or is, is there some backer involved here? I highly doubt he has that much money. Well, well he, after the summer he had, though, leading up to that. I mean, yeah, he might. That's what I'm saying. It wouldn't be a stretch. Yeah, that wouldn't be a stretch. Like the 300K earlier, I think, may have been, uh, that could have been backers. but uh, Unless he had a, he might have had a deal with his backers, though, to take a piece of him and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, it, does he really have all this money? Like, he cashed for, for 14 point something million this year alone so far. We're only halfway through the year. Uh, minus whatever he bought in to the events he's played this year. Does he really have all that money right now, or does he only have a percentage of it because of the the, the backer? You, see, you never know this with tournament players. Like you, I'm so skeptical when I see what China tournament. China Maniac in the chat saying he had 100 percent of himself on the one drop. Wow, <laughs> that would be a good feeling. Have 100 percent of yourself. Put up the 111k, which, unless you're like just ridiculously rich, 111k is a lot of money. So you yeah. put up 111k, and then you just win five million. Like, yeah, I'm five million richer now. And then you shove with the seven eight. Yeah, yeah, you shove with the seven eight. It gets there, and and uh, you're five million richer. Like, it's crazy. So, wow, he had 100. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised he had 100 percent of himself because of the summer he's had, and 111 thousand just isn't that much. And when you're winning so much like he is, why not? So. We'll see what happens. We'll see if, like, I, I wonder if he's going to continue at this pace or anywhere near it. Like, are we going to have every year he's just dominating every high roller event? Or is he going to cool down? Is he going to flame out? Like, what's going to happen? So much can happen between now and the next few years with this guy. 
Larry Laffer says he'll be broke by 27. <laughs> well, it, this isn't the best age to roll up that type of money because uh, it, it can it can change you. You can start making irresponsible decisions. There's uh, a lot to be said for coming into money later when you have more maturity. So China also saying in the chat that he has said he's leaving poker soon. I, I read about that. Yeah, that's it's so weird. Yeah, he's saying that this is pretty much like what he wanted to do. And like now that I've done this, I'm I'm kind of done. I, I want to go do other things, which is kind of funny. Like <laughs> he's 22. What's he gonna go do now? What like what what's his next thing in life? I, I don't get this. Like what? It, it's great that he's so good at poker, but what does he think he's gonna move on to now? That's gonna be so successful for him. Because I would think, if I was Fedor Holtz and I was just killing everything right now, and I'm new on the scene, so I don't even have the the feeling like oh I've you know I remember the time when I was losing too. Like all he's done is win online live. He just Killing constantly in these tournaments somehow. Wouldn't you want to stick around and and become known as the as like the best player of all time? Where, yeah, generations from now, people talk about Fedor Holtz as the the all time best poker player. Wouldn't he want that rather than just quitting at twenty two? And people saying, well, I don't know, maybe he just luck boxed for a few years. I think that's going to be the case. That he's just going to quit, and people will say that. No, I think he's just luck boxing right now. So leaving would probably be a good idea. Like if he really is luck boxing, if he, if he really is like a good player who's also just running super well, then then yeah, I guess uh, he could leave and his uh, legacy will be intact. He won't have years of, of struggling. I have seen players who just seem like they can't lose go through these stretches after that where you go, wait, I forgot they're even still here. You forget they're even still around because they play, they never show up in anything. Right. It's funny, you can you can look at results of poker tournaments, and you see certain names up there, and it's easy to get jealous of some of these people going, damn, like the, this person, you know, this is the, the fifth big cash they've had in the last two months. And, and, and it's easy to get jealous of them. And then you remember, what about the guys you were looking at and saw that situation with five years ago, ten years ago. Uh, where are they now? Are they still playing poker? Are they still showing up in all these tournaments? Like, what happened? Why are they gone? A few of them just got tired of it and moved on. But but a lot of them are broke. A lot of them either just started losing or, or they shot off their money in some other way. But you're forgetting, you're, you're looking at names that come from a large pool of players you've heard of. So for the ones you see on top, at the final table, uh, there's many others that entered and busted that you don't even know were in the tournament. They may have been the ones from a few years ago that you were seeing kick ass and were jealous of back then. And there's, as I was saying, there's these backing deals, and a lot of times the money that it appears they're making is is not the way it looks on the screen when you look at the results. I remember being jealous of a lot of these people, but now, you know, not, you know, it's different now. Yeah, you know, I, the, the attitude I've taken here is uh, it would be nice to uh, have that type of success in tournaments and to win those those huge paydays. And uh, But at the same time, you know, I just got to look at myself and say, am I happy with, with the situation I'm in personally? 
If the answer is yes, I don't have to worry about what anybody else is doing. Like that's just that, that's really the way I, I see it. I go, am I am I okay with where I am? Am I okay with with the amount of money I have? With the situation I'm in? If the answer is yes, then then I, I don't care what these other guys are doing. You know, if the they want to, uh, if, if they're gonna, there's gonna be guys winning five million dollars. Great. And the truth is, like I couldn't see myself slapping down 111 thousand to enter the one drop. Like, even if I was doing really well in tournaments as a tournament player, it'd be hard for me to just say, you know, I'm going to enter a tournament for 111000 It just seems kind of crazy to me. Well, you sell some. I, I probably would sell some then. But, I mean, like, by myself. Like, if, if, if I was a regular tournament player and I was going to enter that, yeah, then I would sell off pieces. That's definitely what I'd do. I'm just saying, like, it'd be hard for me to enter with my own money. Right. So. That's a lot of money. It is. It, for one tournament, it's a lot of money. It, it really is a lot of money for one tournament. You, you think of all the variants tournaments have. You think of the small percentage, relatively small percentage of the cash, where everybody else just like walks away empty-handed. To have like an $111,000 event where 85% of the people walk away empty-handed is pretty crazy. How, much, how many people did into the uh, one drop this year? Do you know? That is a fine question. Let me look that up. In fact, I, I can just click on... Click on it right now on the Hendon Mob, and it says, uh, let's see. Well, they paid 28 spots. 183 people entered. Okay. And they paid 28. 28th place was Jason Moe, who got uh, 166000 If that was a limit tournament, would you put up your own money? No. I, no? I, I, if it was a limit hold'em tournament, I might uh, try to raise it from deep-pocketed people who might be willing to put large amounts to get me in, like see money maybe, but uh, no, I wouldn't enter for that. The, truthfully, like even the, the 10K limit, I kind of bristle at that because it's uh, it's just one tournament and so much can happen. Like, and I, right. I learned that this year. <laughs> I had the chip lead, or, the, or either first or second chip lead in the middle of the first day, and then an hour later I was gone. So I... Uh, I saw firsthand how, how quickly the variants can kill you there. And, uh, yeah, if, if the it's interesting. The people I see listed that made uh, the top nine, some of them I recognize, like Scott Seaver, ninth place. Uh, Joe McKeon made sixth place. Dan Smith, second and first place. Fedor Hulse, of course. But uh, I don't recognize the other names. Corey Aldemir, Jack Slater, Brian Green, Nick Petrangelo, Neal Farrell. I wonder if these are like businessmen who just. Entered. I was just gonna say, I'm yeah. probably businessmen. They all, they got pretty far, and I see Antonio. He got deep. He got thirteenth, but nothing like his win that year when it was a million. Like the, when it's a million, that's kind of crazy. Like that's. I don't see how anybody enters the million dollar version unless they really have a lot of backing. What kind of bankroll would you need to enter that tournament? Uh, the million. You personally, you personally, yeah. Uh, Forty million. No, I need more. Like, here's the problem: it's, it's so hard for me to think in these terms. It's it's hard for me to get in my head that I could just enter one tournament for one million dollars. It, it really is tough for me to think in that man because I think about what a million dollars can buy. At some point, even if you have a whole lot of money, you can you still think. Of things like a million dollars as a lot, maybe not a lot as compared to your overall net worth, but a lot compared like what it can buy. Like like so many things could be done with a million dollars. 
And right. it's hard for me to think, like, I'm just going to put this in one poker tournament where the much higher chances I'm not going to cash than I will cash. Like, it's, I mean, yeah, if I was a billionaire, I, sure, I, I guess I would. Like, but uh, You'd have to be a billionaire is what you're saying? No, I'm saying, like, there I'd say, okay, I just have so much, fine, a million, no big deal. But I, I don't know, because it's still a million dollars. That's the problem. Like, it's you still a million. Second, you need the second Dr. Evil drop. Yeah. $100 billion. <laughs> <laughs> I used that. I used that on uh, one of the other shows, too, we did. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It, it's a crazy amount of money to me to be entering for tournaments. But uh, I, I do like to remind people, though, that in the early 70s, the World Series of Poker main event was over $50,000 by today's money. Someone's saying in chat that none of them people you listed were businessmen. I guess they were poker players. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a sad. I don't follow the tournament scene well enough to know half these names. Me, not me either. Like, I, I didn't mean. even know Fedor Holtz until uh, China Maniac told me about him. Like, now I know him. Now everybody knows him. But, like, I, I was one of the later people to learn about him, as was Brandon. I remember we had Brandon on here, too. He didn't know who he was either. Beer and poker saying you won't even pay a dollar fifty extra for me double me you won't into the one drop. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's hard for me to do. I'm I'm used to being a cash player and and one especially in recent years who has shied away from even the higher limit cash games because of the variance they were bringing. I used to be more willing to take risks at cash games and playing as high as five hundred one thousand. But but this was just so stressful. It was just so stressful when I wouldn't run well and, and would just lose tens of thousands of dollars in one session and I'm like, Oh my god, I can't believe like I'm I've just lost this much money in one day. It was it was so hard. So, you say the games are much tougher now, right? Well there's that too. But but even if we could put myself back in those days, I'm not sure if I'd have done the same thing. It just, it was so stressful. It's so much less stress now to just be like grinding thirty sixty because even if I have a horrible day, it's it's not like it's not that bad. So uh, when you have the mindset of just like kind of grinding mid to high limit cash, it's it's hard to play big buy in tournaments. It's hard to get that mindset where you're just going to plunk that down for a tournament and then just you're out after a short time and that money's just gone. Right, because you do consider yourself a cash player, right? Yeah, I am. That's what I am. I think I only play the World Series for tournaments. I don't. Uh, I'm not really a tournament player. And main reason I play the World Series is because I I just kind of got into it from those first two events I entered 11 years ago, where I finished third and first. Right. And and I knew I got lucky to do that. Like I know that was not going to be the norm for me, and it hasn't been. But uh, and I, I you know I've had like someone said this year uh, who invested in the tournament package I sold, they said, you know, I'm not disappointed that you didn't win this year. You know, a few things fall differently. You could have been at two final tables. And it's true. Like, I, I had two big stacks in the first two limit events I played and then uh, fell apart very quickly. So, you know how it goes. Like, like just a few different things happen and, and everything falls a different way. And that's that's what's so annoying with tournaments is that you really that's really the situation where where when I play cash it's not like that. When I play cash it's like a long series of events which causes my success or failure even in a given session. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I just have more of a mindset as a cash player anyway. 
Beer and Poker it's, pointing out, by the way, in the chat that uh, the, that Super High Roller, that 300K Super High Roller, had no rake, which is interesting. Wow, that's very interesting. Mm. Why would they do that? Uh, probably for publicity. Let's see here. So let me go to the next topic here. Uh, whatever that is. Let's see if we get my agenda back. Here we are. So this is something I got to witness myself. Little uh, poker gossips here for uh, regarding Justin Bonomo. Justin Bonomo, who had played uh, the 50K Poker Players Championship, it came in second to Brian Rast, who we'll talk about in a second, had just won 800000 and was playing the main event. He was at the table right next to mine. And uh, as is the case with people who are running well, Justin Bonomo has done very well this summer, and I watched him run well again. I watched him. Uh, I watched him recreational player get it all in when Justin Bonomo held the nuts, and he's like, "Okay, call. Yep, here it is. I win." So I, like, he just gets a mountain of chips shipped over to him, and just kind of cruise from there. I think he finished with like 145k that day. But that's not the story. The story is starting from the middle of day one. Justin Bonomo was playing the tournament. Entirely standing up. At first I thought he was just standing, you know, maybe to talk to someone or maybe to stretch. But I'd look over, he's standing again. I'd look over, he's standing again. Every time I looked, he's standing. And I realized Justin Bonomo is constantly standing. He's never taking his seat, which is really weird. I've played a lot of tournaments. I've never seen it ever. And I say ever. That someone has stood the entire time playing tournaments. I didn't even think that was allowed. Well, somebody at the table. What was that? If your butt, if your butt's not in the seat, your hands dead. Right. That's what I had thought. So, someone finally complained. I don't know who. The only name person I saw at his table besides him was Bruno Fatusi, who wasn't did doing he, well. Did he whine about it when someone complained? Yes, he actually did. So this is what happened. So somebody complained. I didn't see who. As I said, Bruno Fatusi was at the table, and he had a very short stack, so maybe he was in a bad mood and complained. I don't know, but somebody complained. Where I saw this all begin, I mean, I'd seen him standing, but I, I didn't. Uh, when I saw the controversy begin was when I heard arguing, and I looked over, and the floor was there. And Justin was saying that the reason he was standing, the reason he has to play the entire tournament standing up, is because his back hurts. <laughs> So Justin Bonomo, who's was a younger guy, was like 30 or something, his back is hurting. And it hurts so much that he has to stand the entire time while he's playing. Now, I don't think he's making up the back pain, but uh, uh, but he, that's what he claimed. So the floor man was arguing with him and said, look, you told us this before, that your back was hurting and you wanted to stand. And we offered that you could uh, take a second chair and and sit higher up on the chair this way, and, and you refused. You said you didn't want to do that. So you know, we tried to make accommodations for you, so sit back down. So he was arguing with them. He's arguing and arguing with a floor man, basically telling them that they're unreasonable, that his back hurts. The only way his back can feel relief is if he stands. So the floor man's like, no, look, I can't let you do this. It just feels weird to have a turn of, uh, player standing. And I, I think the concern that people were having was that with a player standing, maybe he can see the whole cards a lot better than if someone is sitting. Maybe with, you know, standing over the table, it, it's easier to see things like whole cards and that everybody needs to be in their seats when the cards are dealt. So 
someone must have complained about this that they didn't like the situation. He, they kind of feel like he's uh, like staring over them. Maybe I would too, though. Yeah, I wouldn't like that either. I wouldn't like the guy next. Imagine the player next to you standing the whole time. Like a, they can easily see your cards. It's true. Yeah. So finally, the it, it was decided that yes, he has to sit down during the hand. You mean either when it's dealt or while he's in the hand. Once he folds his cards, then he can stand all he wants. So that's what he was doing. He was standing, sitting, standing, sitting. But look, this is my take on it. I believe his back was hurting. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, even though he had that uh, cheating incident with a multi-accounting 10 years ago. Since he hasn't had any other cheating incident in the last 10 years, I'll assume this was not an angle to cheat people, and he probably really just wanted to stand the entire time because his, uh, his back was hurting. But it is not a requirement to play the main event. If your back hurts too much to sit down while you're in the hands that you're in, then there's an easy solution. Don't play the main event. You don't have to play the main. If you're not, if your back's not healthy enough to sit, then don't play. You can't just invent your own rules because you your back hurts. So he tried. Isn't this, isn't this Bonomo guy the social justice warrior? Type? Yes, yes, very much so. So yeah, I, I don't know what the fellow social justice warriors would say about uh, standing at the poker. They, they probably would approve of this. The, the social justice warriors would probably say that uh, uh, th- this makes him handicapped, so therefore there must be allowances for him. <laughs> but, but yeah, he. he I mean, I, I, look, props to the floor man. I was a little afraid the floor man was going to back down on this because Justin Bonomo is a, a known name in poker. And there's like, unfortunately, there is favoritism in poker. For certain people, and I, I know there's big favoritism for the huge names like like Phil Hellmuth, uh, and and Phil Ivy. Like I know those guys get tons of favoritism. I, I once told the story of uh, how at the end of a limit event, a limit day, where Phil Ivy made the next day, he just stood up and walked off, and the floor man bagged his chips for him. Like I was thinking, like what if I just walked off and said to the floor man, "Hey, you go bag my chips. I, I get a penalty the next day." That's what would happen, right? Either that, or I'd be disqualified. Would, would they bag him though? Yeah, they may just not bag them and disqualify me. But Phil Ivey, he literally just stood up and walked off, and then I saw the floor man bagging his chips. So there's definitely favoritism at the World Series, but I wasn't sure where Justin Bonomo felt in that because people know who he is, and he's been successful on the tournament scene, but he's also not like a huge name. So, you know, props to the floor man for not giving him any favoritism here and just saying no I like the way he put it. It just feels weird to let someone play standing up. So he wasn't allowed. He had to uh, sit back down. And I agree with that ruling. And it's it's Bonomo's fault. He shouldn't have played if he can't do it. No one forced him to play. Crow Diddley wins my bounty. Crow Diddley, congratulations. So Brian Rast, who beat Justin Bonomo, also did something stupid yesterday that I want to talk about. Brian Rast, I have no problem with him. I, I don't like Bonomo, but Brian Rast, I have no problem with this guy. He has a good reputation. Uh, he's known to be a very good player. He's known to be a nice guy. Uh, you, don't, you never hear any controversy surrounding Brian Rast. He's just one of these guys who you know is a good player. You, you don't really hear much about him other than him winning. So I, I think the most controversial thing he did was call out Negranu about all the Choice Center stuff, but I, I agreed with a lot of what Rass said about that, so I, I can't even fault him there. Uh, 
So that's why what he did yesterday kind of surprised me. Now, I'll tell you, he didn't do anything shady. He didn't steal from anyone or scam anyone or cheat anyone. But uh, he did something I felt was uh, inappropriate and kind of insensitive. The bracelet ceremonies are held on certain days of the World Series, and they force everyone to listen to them or watch them, depending on what room they're in. Because they take place after the first break of the first level, uh, or the first two levels, the first two hours. After the first two hours is a break, then after the break's over, they hold the bracelet ceremony. I always thought they should hold the bracelet ceremony during the break, so this way anyone who wants to watch it can, anyone who doesn't isn't forced to. But they hold it after the break, and they hold up whatever tournament is running that day for everyone to watch the bracelet ceremony, or in some cases listen, because it's not even in the same room. So there was a triple bracelet ceremony yesterday that took place after level one of the main event at about one thirty. They still do the national anthem and everything? Sadly, yes. Yes, they play the national anthem for the home country. Now, fortunately, they've combined it where there's like three people from America. They just play it once. They used to play it like three times, which was really, <laughs> really stupid. <laughs> but, uh, yes, they, they still played it. But there were three bracelet winners that they presented. One of them was Tony Dunst. One of them was some player's name I don't remember. I knew of the person. I forgot who it was. It was a known player, but I forgot who it is. And then the third one was Brian Rast. Now, the first two, including Tony Dunst, they didn't talk. They didn't speak. They just took the bracelet, and that was that. And that's fine. You know, you don't have to make a speech. Brian Rast wanted to make a speech, and I think that's fine, too. If you want to make a speech and you want to thank your friends, thank your family, uh, make a little speech about how much it means to you, that's fine. My opinion is that if you want to give thanks to people, or if you want to make a speech about some appropriate topic, then that's good. An example, Ryan LaPlante, who used to listen to this show but doesn't anymore for whatever reason, he won a bracelet this year. He's an openly gay poker player. And he won his bracelet on the same day that the Orlando shootings happened at the gay nightclub over there. So... Yeah, he had mixed emotions. He was, you know, as a member of the gay community, he was very upset to see what happened. And at the same time, he was very happy about winning a bracelet. So he had mixed emotions that next day. So he decided at the last minute he's going to make a speech after all. And he made a very emotional speech about uh, how he's proud to be a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. It means so much to him. But that he's also proud to be an openly gay man. And he had his boyfriend pre- present him with a bracelet. And uh, you know he stood with him there. And then he gave a little... He ma- gave a mention to the Orlando victims and how, how tragic that was. And you know, it, it was a nice speech. You, know, you could tell it was very heartfelt and just done at the moment. And uh, that was appropriate. A gay man who won his bracelet on the same day as the shooting of gay people at the Orlando nightclub. Fine, he wants to speak about that, no problem. And everybody, nobody said that speech was inappropriate. Everyone thought good things about that speech. But then we have Brian Rast. Brian Rast won his second bracelet in the Poker Players Championship. He's won it before in the previous year. And I'm hearing typing, by the way. Is that you? Sorry uh, about that. Okay. So, so Brian Rast, uh, he made a speech. And at the beginning of the speech, it was kind of generic, but it was, it was nice. He, he thanked his family. He thanked his friends for giving him support and encouragement. He thanked his dad for always coming out to watch his final tables. Great. 
Okay. Got an update here. Yep. Crow, did, Crow Diddly won the tournament. He so won the he tournament, won. too, and knocked you out. Wow, so your chips went yes. to good use. My chips are cursed. When people knock me out, they tend to they tend to uh, go out pretty quickly themselves. That, that just tends to happen with me. So you, anyone listening out there, you don't want to knock me out of tournaments. You're not going to do well. But okay, so anyway, back to Brian Rast. After that first part of his speech, which, as I say, was pretty generic, but appropriate and fine, didn't go on too long, then he transitioned into the crazy stuff. He went on with a weird, rambling speech about a lot of different topics that had nothing to do with poker or even really much that's going on at all. Uh... He he talked about how nationalism is bad. We're all human beings. We all need to see each other as human beings and not of a certain nationality. Uh, he ranted something about global warming, which didn't even make sense. I couldn't even tell what he was trying to say about global warming. I, I think he was trying to say, if you're denying global warming, you're warming, you're crazy. But he didn't say it very clearly. He said it in a way where you he was saying something about global warming, but it, it didn't even come through what point he was trying to make. Uh, he ranted about a lot of just general kind of like worldview stuff without getting too specific. It's not even like he was making political points. It's not like he said, uh, you know, don't vote for Donald Trump. He, he's dangerous for America or Hillary Clinton. She's shady and a liar. Don't vote for her. It wasn't like that. It was like just this really weird rambling new age kind of uh, hippie kind of speech, which sounded – Sounded like he's making points, but if you think about it, he was really saying nothing. I'm not even saying it from the point of view of disagreeing with him. I'm not even sure what I agree with and what I disagree with because most of it didn't make any sense. It was all over the place. It was weird. It was like a weird rant that I did not expect from him. But the the, the most inappropriate part of it was that we were all forced to listen to it. This was a bracelet ceremony. We weren't there to hear speeches about political topics or social topics. We weren't at like a like a campus peace rally or something. We're at the World Series of Poker main event. We want to get back to playing poker. We've already... I remember looking at my watch, and it was 140. Now, what's significant about 140 is that the main event starts at 11 o'clock. They started a little bit late. I think they started like 11.08. But uh, the break's 20 minutes. So that means we should have been back to playing at like 128. So here it was 140, and we're not playing yet. And everybody's make sure to be back by 128 because you don't want to miss any hands, right? So you're sitting and sitting here, and you're like, oh, come on, let's just play already. Let's play, let's play, let's play. And you've got to listen to this guy ranting about all these weird topics. It's just not the right time and place, and there should be a time limit on this. You, you shouldn't be able to just go up there on stage with a captive audience that just has to listen to you because they're waiting to play poker. And just rant as long as you want. This speech must have gone on for like five minutes. Most of which was the ranting. I'd say like the speech was like 70% ranting and 30% thanking his family and friends. Maybe even 75-25. So I know what he's probably thinking. Like I've got important stuff to say. There's stuff that's very important to me. I want everyone to hear it. This is my only chance. And you know, I, th- I think if I've won a bracelet, I've earned this right. But you really haven't. Nobody wants to hear this. You're no more important than the rest of us because you won a bracelet. The bracelet ceremony is meant to recognize your achievement in poker. 
it's not meant to give you a platform to force people to hear your political or social views. So I think if somebody wanted to use that moment to talk about uh, things like, like Howard Lederer or Chris Ferguson being there or anything else appropriate to poker, that's fine. It's at least appropriate to poker and the people in the room. But the stuff Brian Rast was ranting about was just general stuff in life that he wanted to talk about. And I, I just, especially for five minutes for this to go on, it's just, and, and looking around the table, everyone's kind of just like, has like a what the hell look on their face. Like no one knew what to say. Everyone's kind of sitting there, like just chomping the bit to start playing and thinking, when's this guy going to be done? When is the speech going to be over? They're just sitting here and <laughs> they, they just, they can't believe this is happening. That, that was what everyone was thinking as this was going on. And it's so funny because, like, he's the last one I would expect to do this. I always thought of him as, like, a, a pretty grounded guy. So it was weird. It wasn't terrible. It was just weird. And I think it's insensitive towards the time of other people. They want to get back to playing poker. Don't force them to listen to you. Now, I rant on this radio show, but the difference is I don't force you to listen. At any time, you can turn me off. But someone someone just uh, sent me a message uh, on the text phone number. In fact, I'll read all these here from the eight three one. Hey Todd, you should look at Daniel Anderson's Twitter. She tweeted about playing with Howard Lederer on day one in the main event. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show tonight. <laughs> and the 619 saying uh, call to listen plus one this evening this is from Larry Laffer Druff just texting you to confirm my free roll money made it to you if it did can please be used tonight um, I think free I got over. I think I got your money I got, I got to go look it up but uh, I can't use it tonight it's already been set but thank you for sending it uh, from the 410, when's day three of the main event? Day three, if I make it, it's a big if at this point, day three will be on July 14th. And I've got something else to tell you guys about day three, if I make day three. I will have nowhere to stay! Yep. Maybe I'll sleep in my car. You're not really going to do that, are you? No, but I have nowhere to stay at the moment. Without paying? Uh, well, yeah, but I, but I can't stay here. Like I, I really am just shut out of the Rio after, uh, I have to leave on the 13th. Anyone try to clean your room this year? I, I stopped that. It was, it, there were some attempts, but I stopped it. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, July 13th, I'm booted out of this room. I can come back on the 15th if I want, but between the 13th and the 15th, I'm out. I have to be out. So I have to go <laughs> find elsewhere to go. But I figured, look, uh, you know, I'm not even going to worry about it. I've got uh, 29.7k in chips, which is not very much. And if, if I can somehow run this up, and that's not a positive attitude I have. You know, sometimes the power of negative thinking helps. I've noticed that. Like if you if you go in with like like uh, no expectations, you sometimes do better. Okay. So. So you're not disappointed. I am disappointed. That's no, I mean, like you don't go in. 
with high expectations so you don't disappoint yourself. But it's not even just that. It's like sometimes actually going in, like feeling like uh, you don't have an expectation you're going to win, then you surprise yourself. It's not even about like not being disappointed. It's like sometimes you actually do better because you have low expectations. Right. Like like uh, this was true in the very first World Series event I played eleven years ago. I didn't say oh, I'm going to win this thing. I just thought like, oh, like I'm going to try to make it deep in this thing. It's my first tournament ever. Like, you know, of course, I'd like to do well, but like I'm not expecting going to do that great here because it's my first tournament. Then I cashed. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I cashed. Okay, well, if I can make even like a deep cash, that'd be really awesome. Then I make a deep cash. Then I think, wow, what if I made the final table in my first tournament ever? Then I make the, the final table, and I didn't win, but I got third was way better than I expected. Now, I'll admit the one I won, I went into that one believing I really wanted to win. That one I was really obsessed with winning. And did. So. I don't know. I, I guess I had both the positive and the negative thinking in that one. And, uh, in fact, I remember the first one I played when I was down to 1,200 in chips, and the uh, we were playing 300, 600 limits, so obviously I was uh, not exactly. I, I had uh, four. I had four big blinds left, and I remember looking down at my stack, and there was this girl sitting next to me. I'd never seen her before. She told me she played on party poker. She said this is her first time playing too, but she, she told me that uh, she thought I was going to do well. And I remember uh, sitting there with 1,200 chips and just thinking about what she said to me. And I'm thinking, oh, well, <laughs> she's about to see me bust. And uh, I, I guess her statement that she thinks I'm going to do well is going to be proven false. And then I raised on the button, and she three-bet me. And I call, and, and I you know four-bet to make it all in. I had ace-three. She had ace-jack. And I was ready to just pack up my stuff and leave. Chop that one, won the next two hands, won the next hand, the next hand, the next hand, suddenly I'm back in it. So, I, I remember sitting here thinking, like, okay, I'm not going to cash in this one. I guess she was wrong. So, the power of negative thinking. Don't underestimate it. But, you know, I'm not even, I'll be honest, I'm not thinking negatively about tomorrow. I, I've got kind of like the I can see it go either way thing. In my mind, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if because I got a good table draw that I just run it up, and the and the uh, bad day one becomes a memory, or I could also see where I just uh, get stomped out of there like within an hour, and just go well that happens because I had a short stack to begin with. So I'm trying to look at it like like Trader Ruski said. I'm trying to look at it like I've got 50 big blinds. I'm not like in desperate territory. Where is Trader Ruski? Is he still here? I'm here. He's here. You know, I'm going to think about that tr- tomorrow, Trader Ruski. Like, I'm going to be in the... Um, you got to look at it that way. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to look. I'm going to say Trader Ruski said I have 50 big blinds and that I'm not in a rush. No matter what my av- my stack is compared to the average, I'm not in a rush to uh, to chip it up. I've just got to make smart moves and uh, get it back to... I hope to get some action when you flop sets. Yeah, I hope to get action. Hope that when I get aces four times, that for once I get a other high pocket pair against me and it doesn't flop a set. Things like that. Or even just that 
I'll be happy if I could just keep chipping up by stealing blinds and antis because they're they're getting bigger. You know, 300, 600, 100. Uh, at a nine-handed table, that is 1,800 per round. That's 1,800 every time you steal blinds. So, you know, I do that a few times, or even if I get called out of the big blind and bet and they fold, like, th- that can add up fast. So I I think if I can even get back to, like, 45 or something quickly, I think I'm, I'll be in, like, much more comfortable shape. You got a negative thinker in the chat. Someone thinks you'll be out by the third hand. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Like I, because I'm not going to feel desperate. I'm not going to feel like I've got to go in. I got to go in. Like I'm not going to feel like I got to shove all in. Like I'm honestly, if if I'm in the third hand, it's because I got something very good. And there's a lot of action. And if I happen to get cooler, I get cooler. But I don't think that'll happen. But like, might I be out in like two hours? Yeah. Might I be out in one hour? Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, but I, I can also see I, I come back and, you know, I'm going right into day three with, with like an average stack. So who knows? Well, good luck. No, thank you. So let's uh, let's see what else we got here. Jared Blesnick, he was responsible indirectly for my meltdown at the uh, 10K event earlier this summer, the 10K limit. I was going great there, probably the top or second chip leader in the room. And uh, Blesnick got moved to my table. He's not really a limit hold'em player, and uh, I was totally out of sync with with what he was doing. Not not through any genius thing he was doing. Like the first hand I had against him is what brought me to my high. Uh, I flopped a flush, and he gave me a whole lot of action, and I I beat him. But after that, he was playing so many hands. Every time I tried to look up something where I thought he was bluffing, he wasn't. And every time I folded, it turned out he was bluffing. Was it, was he showing you? No, like there'd be like a third person in there with something even weaker than what I had, and they, they once I folded, they called down and he had crap. Like it was things like oh, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So no, he never showed it. But uh, so like that kind of started the downswing, and then after that, I just started getting like coolered by everybody, including the final hand where I had two pair against aces on the turn and the board paired, and I lost. So. That wasn't against Blesnick, but Blesnick actually busted. Like he busted before I did, so he, he was like he was losing against everybody except me. But that's that's not the topic here. That's that's my history with Blesnick this uh, World Series. But the the bigger topic and Alan Kessler came up to me during the World Series and told me that he wants me to cover this. He was very concerned about this. Jared Blesnick was banned from the World Series for life because. Of a card crumpling incident Let me tell you about what happened uh, Blesnick is known to behave badly He has a temper He just uh, he just isn't a very nice guy And he's not always very pleasant to play with So Blesnick had an incident at the World Series That uh, nobody took kind to Here is the description On the World Series uh Reporting site uh, Zayinchko Looks over at Blesnick and says I only have 1,000 left Give me a payout ticket Zayinchko bets 1,000 Blesnick fires his last ship into the pot Floor, give me a fucking payout ticket now Says Blesnick I guess this is This thing's a little bit incorrect He was trying to say that Zanko said that, but it was actually Blesnick who said, I only have 1,000 left, give me a payout ticket. 
So so Blesnick's already shouting he wants a payout ticket, just throwing his last 1,000 chip in. So then he calls out, Floor, give me a fucking payout ticket now. So then uh, Zayanko shows, uh, this is at the uh, 1,500 Deuce to 7 event, by the way. He shows 10-6-5-4-2 for a 10-low. Uh, Blesnick's first four cards are in front of him, 8-5-3-2. So he's in good shape until his last draw apparently uh, couldn't beat the 10 high or the 10 low. So he crumpled up the card in his hand and threw it across the table. Then he grabbed the rest of his hand, crumpled them up as well, and spiked them down on the table. Zayanka quietly took the pot, and Blesnick was escorted to the payout desk. So the tournament directors are very unhappy about this, that he crumpled up all five cards. First he crumpled up the draw card that didn't get there for him, and then he crumpled up the rest of them and spiked them on the table. So they banned him for life for this. Now, I know he's had other issues before. I don't know if at the World Series, but he's had other issues in other places, at other tournaments. He's been known to just blow up. So there, there must have been other incidents at the World Series that I probably hadn't heard about. But, uh, but I wasn't the one making this decision, obviously. They decided they're banning him for life. Okay? So you would think... Maybe he could appeal this, and maybe next year he could come back if he apologized enough, blah, blah, blah. Somehow, Jared Blesnick was back playing the World Series within a few days? I have no idea how he managed that. Now, I don't care that much, but how did he manage that? If they if they were mad enough at him to ban him for life, how does it go... For life to nothing so quickly. Does he know somebody there that's influential? Like, what did he do? What did he do to get back in? Bagged. I don't know. It's so weird. that, uh, and, and no one could figure it out, and the World Series won't answer. You know, it's, it's none of anybody else's business if Lesnick comes back. So the World Series can do it if they want. It's so odd to ban someone for life and then let them write back a few days later. Like, I, I didn't know life is a few days, but apparently it was. So, very, very weird. And I, I don't have much more to say about it other than I really am wondering what he did. Was it like a really, really serious apology? Or did he just get someone to pull strings for him? It might be more indication that not everybody's treated the same. I have a feeling if I got banned for life from the World Series, they wouldn't be welcoming me back in like a few days. Maybe, you know, maybe he just went up and shook the guy's hand and apologized, and maybe they thought to let him back, you know. It's not that far-fetched. Well, do you mean that, like, I don't think, the guy who who beat him in the pot was that angry. I think that the the tournament staff was angry. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, go up to the tournament director, apologize truly, and you know. You're saying like maybe. later on because like at the time he was banned for life, so they didn't care about anything he had to say at that point. They 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 brought him to the payout desk, gave him his money as they had to. Like by law, they had to pay him. Right. And then they said, "And now you're banned for life." And, and kicked him. In fact, he was kicked from all Caesars properties. He wasn't just banned from the World Series. He was banned from all Caesars properties. 
So somehow in just a few days, he got that undone, which is crazy. Uh, to show you how difficult this is to do, uh, there was a guy who got caught card counting at Caesars Properties who wanted to play the World Series. And it wasn't any famous player or anything. I had never heard of him. But he actually hired an attorney to try to negotiate with Caesars to let him just come back and play the World Series. Where, where basically the guy would agree that he wouldn't play any more pit games, but he would only play the World Series. And and the, there was even a lawsuit about this. I, I don't know what the... That is kind of strange when you go more deeper into it. Yeah, so like... If this guy who, who got banned for card counting had to put such effort to get back in the World Series, I don't even know if he's successful. Like, How do you go from a lifetime Caesars ban to being back there in a few days unless you had someone to go to bat for you and say, hey, you know, give Blesnick one more chance. You know, He has a temper problem. He'll never let it happen again. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe he got someone to speak for him and, and get them to reverse it. It's really weird. It was like either that or, or maybe someone felt they were being too harsh on him, that they thought you know this was bad but it wasn't deserving of a lifetime ban. But I, I don't know what history he has. It'd be interesting to know what history he has. They usually have like a warning system in place where if you behave badly, you get like a warning, then a second warning, then a, a disqualification, then a ban or something like that. Some kind of escalating hierarchy of punishments if you misbehave at the World Series. I actually wish they had that back in 2010 because I inadvertently showed cards on day six of the main event. Just because I thought the hand was over, I showed my big blind hand of 8-5 offsuit to show why I wasn't calling. And it turned out there was somebody else who was still in the hand, and I didn't realize it because the chips didn't show up well on the felt because there's all this advertising on it. So I just all missed right. that somebody else was in there. So I, it was cl- truly an accident, but they gave me a, a one-round penalty for it. Yeah, and I was furious about this. And, and strangely enough, I've said that before on the show. Uh, this exact same thing happened to Theo Tran on that same day at the same time. He was sitting in the penalty box when I was. So it was so weird. We both got a penalty for, at the same time for exposing cards at different tables, and in both cases, it was it was accidental. What made you show the cards again? Just that they were shit. Yeah. What happens is sometimes if someone raises. And it folds to my big blind, and I have total trash. I'll turn it over and show. Sometimes I do it for a purpose to kind of give them the idea that you can't just keep stealing my blind. Right. That I'm not just some guy you can just keep stealing from. That this is what I have. This is what. That's more of why I do it. So sometimes I just show it kind of like, ah, look what I had here. Like, look how easy this decision was. But it's so dumb to have given me a penalty from that because it was so obvious I wasn't exposing it on purpose. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, we have to do it. That's the rules. You know, you expose cards, you have to. I, I understand it, but I have to give it to you. I was, I was really angry about it because this is day six of the main event. That that really can affect things. So. Big time. Yeah, so they. I think they've changed that. I think you now get like a warning system. I, th- I, th- I think if that happened this year, they would give me a warning and do nothing else yet. So. Anyway, I have nothing more to say about that, but uh, it's just weird. Let's see. I think we have one more World Series topic. Uh, Chance Cornuth. This is a topic brought up by uh, Chinese Maniac, by the way. 
Yeah, I read this and was interested in it. Yeah, I, and I, I don't, this was just brought up, so I don't really know the answer, but you guys can listen and decide for yourself. He registered for day 1B, just like I did for the main event, and his stack sat there for hours without him showing up to play it. So it was blinding off. Every time the blinds came, they, they put out his, his blinds, and people could steal the blinds of his stack that was just sitting there without him playing it. Well, after some time, he tweeted to the World Series of Poker account, and told them that he doesn't want to play that day. He want he wanted to get a uh, a refund and and then register for a different day. This is what he tweeted at uh, twelve fifty nine p.m., which is almost two hours into the event. Hey, World Series of Poker Tournament Director, I registered today, but I'm using my one pickup playing one pick pick up me playing tomorrow. Would you like to know which seat? So what he's trying to say there is there's a rule at the World Series where if you've registered an event and you don't show up that uh, instead of just losing the money, they actually call it your one pick me up where they eventually pick up your stack if you don't show up for a long enough time, and then you just get a refund. So even though your chips end up in the pool, or in the, the pool of chips, the, the ones that people won by blinding it off, you do get a refund. But you only get to do this once. If you do it a second time in a year, then they are going to uh, not pick you up and you're just going to lose your money. But you get one shot. So the thinking here is, like, let's say you oversleep. Or let, let's say... Uh, your car breaks down on the way to the World Series. Some kind of like one-time unusual event, you get your money back. So, okay, fine. That's, that's not that bad. I, I wouldn't mind it if it's just too bad you lose the money, but, but uh, you know, I, I can understand giving people a one-time exception per year. I think per year is probably too much. They should make it like once every five years. <laughs> really, like you shouldn't be doing this once a year if you think about it. But that's not the point of this. I think once a year is fair or... But I've never had this happen. Like all the years I've played, I played the World Series now since '05. I've never once had it where I can't show up to the, to the tournament uh, yeah, to, at least, still, un- to at least unregister. You're, you're a very on time type person, though. You, you know? Well, you think that, but then you see how this show always starts uh, 20 minutes late every day. Yeah, but you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, but uh, okay, once a year, fine. Like okay, so they have once a year you can get picked up once. But that's not the point of this segment. The point of this segment is that, from what we know, the rule is that you get picked up, you get a refund, but you can't go back and play the tournament. That you're, you're out of that tournament, you just don't lose any money for it. Well, what Chance Cornuth wanted was not just to get his money back for day 1B, but to be able to buy then into day 1C the next day. And that's what he did. How do we know? Because he tweeted today that he has 37 k after the first break, he didn't have a good first level, obviously, but uh, <laughs> he played. He played today after his stack blinded out yesterday. So, strangely, there were actually two chance Carnuths playing this tournament. One that didn't show up yesterday, and one that showed up today. It's, it's the same guy. There's not actually two of them. But his stack was there twice. Once it was there blinding out, and the next day he was actually playing it. Now, the reason this can be a problem is this could be taken advantage of. 
Uh, I could register for day 1B, send my buddy over to take a look who's at my table. And if he calls me up and is like, hey, Todd, your table sucks. You've got a lot of tough players there. I'll be okay, no problem. And simply ask the World Series to refund my money. And then come back and take my shot with one with one C. This angle could easily be pulled. Whereas if you're not allowed to enter the tournament and you just get a refund, then it can't be pulled. I mean, I guess it can be pulled if you want to use that to just get out of a bad table draw. But I'm not that worried about that. I don't like how people could angle this to basically get a second table draw if they don't like the first one. So maybe make the rule you can't do it within amount of, a certain amount of days before the event. Because things can happen in life. And no, can't no, no, you I'm, early, early I'm, register for a lot of these events? No, no, I'm okay with them getting a refund. I just don't like that they can enter the event still. I don't like that they can... That, that, that once the event begins, they're stacking blind off, they can get their money back and then register again for a different flight of that same event. That allows you to basically table draw twice if you want. That's what I don't like here. I don't, I don't mind so much that the guy can get a refund. I, I just don't like... I don't even mind that if somehow he finds out his table draw is bad, he gets a refund, provided that he can't re-enter that same event and get a second table draw. I just don't like that he can get a second table draw here, which probably isn't what happened, but it could happen. It's an angle people could pull. All you have to do is send your friend over to take a look at the table, give you a call. If you don't like it, unregister, take your one time there. And at the main event, since it's the last event, if you haven't used your one time yet, then you can always do it. So I don't like it. I don't know what the official rule is. China Maniac and some other people are concerned that this isn't even the rule, that you're not even supposed to be able to enter the same event, and somehow they just allowed it. So... Uh, here's some uh, responses, by the way. China Maniac tweeted, Didn't they force you to play yesterday? And he wrote back, Nope, I'm in today. Brian Devonshire wrote, You inquire about? Thought it was clear. If they picked you up and refunded you, you couldn't play. Kyle Cartwright said, I was told you can't buy into the same tournament after being picked up. Hope rule has changed for your sake. Now, some people are thinking maybe he just went and rebought in and they didn't realize it. They didn't put it in the computer. He can't play. So maybe he'll get disqualified for this. I don't know. But he did bust, so it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue, okay. Yeah, see, he's the... Uh, he has a World Series of Poker bracelet. He ha- he is the uh, 25K Aussie Millions High Roller Champ. He won the Bellagio Cup. So he's had a lot of tournament success, Chance Cornuth. So it was afraid... People were afraid that they were giving him special privileges because he's a uh, somewhat known name in poker, whereas uh, if it's just an average player tried this, they'd say, sorry, can't enter the same event. So it's good to see that he didn't make it, because he shouldn't He shouldn't have been allowed to play after this. This is, uh, And I don't necessarily think he was angling, but he could have been. There really should be no opportunity to play the same tournament for that reason, because you don't want someone to be able to uh, game the table draw system. And it's very, the first table you get is very important in these tournaments. Very important. I I can tell you when I see I got a good table versus a bad table, good meaning good for me, bad meaning bad for me as far as the opponents, 
it makes a huge difference of my perception of my chances in that event. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out. Like yesterday, I thought I had a good draw. I didn't do very well. But for the most part, it usually falls somewhat close to where you expect it will. How much more of an advantage do you think you could get by doing this? By pulling this trick? Yeah. I, I don't know how to quantify it, but I can tell you that I got a very bad table draw in 2014, and that was the only day I went out on the day one in the last several years. Uh, I, I can tell you if I had the chance to redraw 2014, uh, believe me, I would have, and I would have been thrilled to. So I can't tell you what kind of percentage edge it gives you by getting a good draw or even an average draw over a bad one, but I can tell you if I had a bad one, I'd be very happy if I could somehow get out of it. Would you pull this angle? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pull this angle. I'd I feel crappy about doing that, but uh, I uh, I think they need to close it. <laughs> I think this needs to end. And if 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 Chance Cornuth wasn't doing this, believe me, others will have thought of it now. Now knowing that he has done this, even if it wasn't intentional, people think, oh, okay. Well, now I see what I can do. Now I can see if I like my first table draw, I'll sit. If I don't, I'll get my refund and come back. And you're not even risking anything because, as I said, this is the last tournament, so you're using your one time that it's a use it or lose it thing. You'd think that the casino would catch on. If you did it every year, yes, but if you... Uh, Plus if mass amounts of people started doing yeah, it. Yeah, mass amounts of people started probably, yeah. But they, they should just cut it off now and say... And the, the funny thing is they may have already cut it off and... Somehow this guy may have gotten by it. It's kind of weird. So, okay, that's the end of our World Series segment. And uh, I'm hoping next week, when I do my next World Series segment, that it will be about the great success I had coming back from a not-so-good day one and just uh, kicking ass from there. So, there's a new uh, gambling scandal that's going on, but it's not related to poker. It's not related to casino gambling. It's not related to sports betting. It's not related to any kind of online gambling that you may partake in or may have even heard of. No. This is a gambling scandal related to betting for what they call skins in a video game called Counter-Strike. You may say, why am I even bothering to cover this? Well, this is not a video game show. The only video games that I really play are old-school 1980s games. I just want to go on the record and say I do own this game. Oh, you do? But I've never heard of this like black market thing we're talking about now. Yeah, so this is a, uh, it's a game called uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, abbreviated CSGO. Very popular game. CSGO. CSGO, right. And it's a very popular game, and there's things you can get called skins. And skins are, are things you can get by, uh, if you play the game a lot, you I guess you encounter a like a treasure chest every so often, and you open it up, and you'll get these uh, different skins. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that these skins, they don't help you in the game. They just... Uh, they're for aesthetics. They're, they're, they're just cool things to have as far as visually, but they don't really help you in anything, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So these are just things that like for collecting. It's like a thing you can brag about having or feel good about having, but it doesn't help you in the game. But uh, people playing CSGO have really taken to these skins and really uh, ha- have tried to get the ones that are rare because uh, some of them everybody has. When I say everybody, not every single player, but a lot of these skins are very common. Some of the other ones are, are really unusual, and if you have one of those, people really think you're cool. I will just go on and say that, like, there's been a lot of this type of stuff before with plenty of other games, like World of Warcraft, and people would sell accounts there for, you know, five figures, I heard. So this isn't anything new, really. Yeah, But, but as far as them allowing it... Well, it's, it's that, got a gambling angle, which is different. Yeah, the, so what, what he's talking about here is that these games, there is a money element to them, a real money element... Uh, that you would think there, there, at first glance, there wouldn't be. And the the money, money element is that some people are so into these games that they will pay for things that they have not achieved themselves that they could buy off other people. So as he right. was saying here, like World of Warcraft, if you've built an account on World of Warcraft uh, to have a whole lot of stuff, uh, maybe you'll pay someone to just get that stuff rather than going through the arduous process of earning it yourself. So exactly. so that has been going on for a long time. That, that's very true. Uh, this even goes on to some degree in poker, in play money poker, where you can buy, before poker stars started selling these themselves, uh, you used to be able to buy large amounts of play money chips for real money on poker stars through the black market. But, right, which I never understood. Yeah, that's, that is kind of weird. <laughs> but anyway... This CSGO game with these skins, uh, this all started when this this platform called Steam, which is uh, – Steam is a thing you can use to play interactive video games with other people, and games are kind of written around Steam. They're meant to integrate with Steam. So you can go on Steam and play various games there, multiplayer games, and interact with other people, other Steam users playing the same game. Uh, something that Steam started doing is for, for like $3 each, you could open up a treasure chest right there. You can just say, I'm going to pay $3, I'm going to open up a treasure chest, and then it spins something like a slot machine and will give you one of these skins. Now, usually you're going to get something pretty common. Every once in a while, if you're lucky, you'll win a very rare skin. Well, if you've won something very rare, that means... If you can sell it in some way, this kind of is like gambling. Because what you're doing is you're paying $3 to open up this chest. And then you come upon something that's very valuable to people who would pay real money to get it. And you could sell what you've just won on that by opening that chest for $3 for much, much more than $3. Maybe even as much as $700. You could think of this as gambling. (laughs) And it looks like a slot machine. It spins around like a slot machine. A lot of mobile games are like this now. Yeah, and and the big thing is because you can transfer it. See, if you couldn't transfer it, then it really wouldn't be gambling because it may have a value to you, but it doesn't have a monetary value. Uh, here, it can have a monetary value because you can sell it to people for, for credits on Steam, which then you could use to buy other things and sell it to people in real life. Like you could buy other games on Steam and then sell people those games o- offline. 
So that that's why this could be construed as gambling. But it gets much worse. And the problem is, for whatever reason, Steam has decided to allow third-party companies to interface with their system to see exactly what skins each player has and, and to facilitate the transfer of these skins if these people want. That you can, right. that they allowed developers of third-party websites. I saw, yeah, I saw the post where there's API for it. Right, where, where they they allow they're allowing third-party sites, where if a user enters his info into the third-party site, that it will access what he has on Steam, the skins he has there, and allow them to transfer them to the owners of the third-party site. So, as you might imagine. Sites have popped up that interface with Steam that are not owned by Steam. You know, private individual sites pop up that actually are gambling for these for these uh, skins. And the way it works, there's no skill involved. It's not like poker where you're, it's a skill game and the better players tend to win, the worse players tend to lose. This is a complete luck game, like a slot machine. Slot machine has no skill either. You just spin, spin, spin. Uh, what what these third party sites do is they uh, uh, you you can uh, load in your your stuff there and they put it all in one big pool and then it it, it you know it spins with a chance of you to win more stuff so you can either win more stuff or lose the stuff that you that you gave there and the way these third party sites end up profiting is that they keep about eight percent. Of all the stuff given for themselves, so basically, uh, uh, and each each thing is assigned like a value according to its rarity, and and that's that's how many credits you have to gamble with on there. Now you can say, how is this legal? Well, it's legal because you're not you're only gambling for things that are supposed to have no monetary value. So let let's say I made a a, a fake thing called uh, poker fraud alert bucks. But you couldn't cash them out. It's just something you have on the site. It displays how many poker fraud alert bucks you have, but it, but it uh, you can't cash them out. Well, we actually have that. We have the no fraud online poker room. Now, when you play the the free roll every week, uh, there you can win a real prize. You're not buying in for anything, so you're not really gambling. But uh, but if you just go like sit down with someone and play a heads up match with them with the, with the uh, play chips you have on the poker fraud alert no fraud online poker room. If you win or lose, there's really nothing you can do. You can't do anything with the chips on there. There's literally nothing you can do with them. They have no value. No one's going to want to buy them. So there, it's really not gambling. But if there was a secondary market to sell your Poker Fraud Alert, No Fraud Online Poker Room chips for real money, then it could start to look like gambling. So it's this gray area where if the site doesn't provide a way to cash out, of these virtual prizes you're winning. But if people do want to buy the virtual prizes and you can sell them elsewhere, then it could be considered gambling because you're paying, and if you're paying to play, if, if you play for free, then it's not gambling. But if you're paying to play, if you're paying to possibly win some kind of virtual prize, and if you can then turn around and t- turn the virtual prize into real money by selling it to someone else, then it can be seen as gambling because you have all the elements of gambling there. You have buying in for real money, you have a game of chance, and you have the ability to cash out the prizes you win for real money. So I think it constitutes gambling. 
A lot of other people do too. But what's even sicker about this is that these third-party sites, the age required to play on them is not 21. It is not 18. It is 13. And they don't even enforce that. So so Steam's definitely going to be held responsible for, like, you know, making this possible to happen. Well, I don't know. It's kind of a gray area for them, but the third-party sites definitely are allowing gambling to underage kids. There's no question. And uh, and the reason this is gambling is because people are, are paying. They're, they're taking things that – they're taking items that uh, they have – for the most part, gotten by buying them on Steam, by, by first doing that thing where you uh, you pay $3 to acquire them each time, and then transferring them over to this third-party site and gambling these items that they paid money for on Steam, and then cashing out uh, you know, whatever they win. Because you can, the way you can cash out, one way, for example, is to uh, convert these to Steam credits... And then, uh, and and then just buy stuff on Steam and sell them off to other people for real money. So that's that's the problem. Is these really can be converted to real money? And all these third-party gambling sites—they're not up there just out of the goodness of people's hearts because they want to have fun. These gambling sites are up there because they're they're converting it to real money. They're actually making money off this. Hmm. Now I, I'm going to play you a little video of a guy explaining a scandal that is taking place where two very popular YouTube personalities in the gaming world, I hadn't heard of them because I'm not part of the gaming world, but two very popular gaming personalities ran one of these uh, CSGO gambling sites and were pretending like it wasn't their site. And what they were doing is they were doing YouTube videos of pretending like they just discovered this site and they pretended like they were gambling on there. And winning all these uh, all these big things on there, going, oh my god, I won again! Oh my god, I won again! Oh my god, my luck's so good! So people would see this and get all excited and want to win like they did, when in reality it was their site, and they didn't disclose that, and these, they were probably faking the results because it was their own site that could do anything. So here is a, a video explaining this. And I'll start from about the one minute mark, because the, the intro doesn't really matter. Really shady shit going on with Valve and even more with the people operating these sites themselves. By the way, Valve is the company that owns Steam. So when he talks about Valve, that's what that is. Selves. And I kind of want to give you guys an overview from top down just to show you how fucked up this shit has gotten. Now, according to this Bloomberg article entitled Virtual Weapons Are Turning Teen Gamers Into Serious Gamblers, they allege that these gambling sites take $2.3 billion trades just in 2015 2.3 billion that's a huge industry for those of you who are not familiar with counter-strike it's basically a multiplayer game where you shoot each other but the big pull of the game right now is the virtual items you can own in the game so you can get a really cool looking ak-47 and they range in price from one cent all the way up to like four thousand dollars and the way you obtain these skins is by buying a key that costs 250 to opening crates that randomly drop in the game. And it feels like Valve itself has specifically designed this game to operate almost exactly like a slot machine. 
When you compare opening a crate in CSGO, it looks almost identical to an online slot machine. The only difference is that you have to be over the age of 21 or people will go to prison. Opening crates? Everybody's welcome. Kids invited. Valve has created a loophole for themselves by claiming that CSGO skins aren't money and therefore it's not gambling. But if you look, you can immediately sell these skins for real money. In addition to Valve's own system for opening crates, tons of CSGO gambling sites have propped up in the past couple of years. These gambling sites are fairly simple. You basically just put in your skins, do a coin toss against other players, essentially just putting all your money into a pile and flipping a coin to see who wins. Now this is when it gets really interesting. People have created a class action lawsuit against Valve, suing them for helping these gambling sites. So what this lawsuit alleges is that Valve knowingly allowed supported and or sponsored illegal gambling by allowing millions of Americans to link their individual Steam accounts to third-party websites. Furthermore, because Valve has helped to create an unregulated international gambling concern with no oversight that targets teenagers, plaintiffs, and the class have been damaged. This unregulated market is ripe for scams, cheating, fraud, and other harm to users. Their kids lost money, and the parents came together saying, well, this is illegal. Why are you allowing my kids to gamble on your site? And they had this premonition like, this is an unregulated gambling market that's ripe for scams and fraud, okay? And this is where this story is going next, and this is when it gets so crazy, guys. I'm going to be focusing on two extremely popular YouTubers by the name of Pro Syndicate and T. Martin. And these guys are huge CSGO players. Together they have a combined sub count of well over 10 million. Now these two guys have a ton of CSGO gambling videos on their YouTube pages where they're winning huge amounts of money. They have videos titled such as how to win $13,000 in five minutes with CSGO betting. Now, if that title doesn't sound just like a get-rich-quick scheme, then I'm the fucking Pope. Play now and win $10,000, right? Like, are you creating entertainment or are you trying to get kids to gamble? And and they're both always playing on the same site, CSGO Lotto. You know what? Today I woke up and thought, let's do something stupid. And that certain thing of stupidness is I'm putting my Orp Dragon Law Factory New on the line. I'm gambling on CSGO Lotto. I'm going... For the jewel arena, 50-50 chance of winning. What if I told you that they were being paid by CS Lotto? To- yeah, so the guy, what he's saying here, the uh, the one who, with the English accent or Australia, whatever that accent was, he was saying, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something stupid today. I'm going to take my, my really rare item that's so valuable. I'm going to bet this on CSGO Lotto and see if I win another one of them. I'm just going to go do it, 50-50 chance to win. But it's not as it appears. He's not doing something stupid, actually. Do you know, introduce children to gambling and get people to go on their site. And they didn't even disclose it in the description. They didn't say paid by, they didn't pay sponsored. What if I told you that these two slimy fucks actually own this website? T. Martin is the president and Pro Syndicate is the vice president. Yeah, so that's that's what's going on there. So basically these guys are like, I'm going to do something stupid today. I'm going to try to gamble my skins on this site, on CSGO Lotto. And turns out CSGO Lotto is actually his site. And both he and his partner were doing all these videos pretending like CSGO Lotto is just where they're, they're playing to have fun and showing themselves winning and how exciting it is. When in reality it was their own site, and they were probably raking them in their favor, or at least... Uh, 
falsifying the results for the video so kids would go, oh, I want to win $13,000 too, and then go gamble on these guys' sites. So they, they really are encouraging kids. It's mostly kids who play these things and do all this, this gambling. on A lot of them are kids to go gamble. Yeah, that is seriously. Uh... <laughs> so, so that's one of the big scandals now that they're that these guys were were doing. Listen to this. Listen to one of these douchebags actually try to deny it and act all outraged in his video. Let me get to this part here, where, where the, one of the owners of this is actually he does this stupid video where he's like walking around his house and acting all pissed that people are accusing him of this. And then it's just totally lying. Let me get to the part here. Self and a few other people, including Tom, are pro syndicate. You know, damage control mode. T. Martin went to his YouTube channel and posted this vlog saying, yes, I'm the part owner of CSGOLOTO.com, full story. And he tries to explain how it's not that big of a deal. Basically, what's breaking news now is that myself and a few other people, including Tom, or pro syndicate, own CSGOLOTO. And uh, this is something that has never been a secret. Well, that's nice to say, but me and a team of researchers haven't been able to find one example of him disclosing that he's the owner of this uh, site, nor has Pro Syndicate. In fact, I went to his LinkedIn, and even there where he proudly displays all of his achievements as a businessman, C.S. Galato is suspiciously missing from that list. I mean, that's, that's quite an achievement, dude. You own a CSGO gambling site. That probably generates a lot of revenue. I would definitely put that on my LinkedIn if that was something I was proud of as a businessman. Certainly, I wouldn't want to hide that or conceal that from anybody, right? Not unless I was doing something shady. Watch this clip and tell me if this is a man who's disclosing he's the owner of this site. Now, what I was talking about earlier, I want to talk to you guys about at the end of the video. Uh, I've been starting to bet a little bit more. Like, Brock, like, obviously, you guys know he loves betting. He's posted a ton of betting videos on his channel and stuff. And he's been hitting me up. And we found this new site called CSGO Lotto. So I'll link it down in the description if you guys want to check it out. But we were betting on it today, and I won a pot of like $69 or something like that. So it was a pretty small pot, but it was like the coolest feeling ever. And uh, I ended up like following them on Twitter and stuff, and they hit me up, and they're talking to me about potentially doing like a skin sponsorship. Like they'll give me skins to be able to bet on the site and stuff. And I've been like considering doing it. Like I think that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> He's considering doing it. He owned the site the whole time. I mean, what, a, what a deceptive you, piece of what shit. What do you think the average age of the kids that are gambling? That, that's a great question. And, no, you know, someone else pointed out on the forum that these guys are constantly using the words bet and gambling a lot in their videos to maybe just, like, appeal to kids who always thought that sounded cool. We're like, when we talk about stuff on this show, like, how often do I use the word betting and gambling? Like, not very often. Oh, like, like, we don't have to do that because it's not, it's not cool or forbidden to be betting or gambling when you're an adult. But, but these guys are constantly saying, this is a really cool gambling site. Oh, I love to be betting here, like, over and over and over are, again. How old are these guys that are doing the videos? Uh, they're, like, in their 20s. So, but but uh, these games, there, there's a lot of kids that play them. It's not only kids, but there's a lot of kids that play. And, uh, and, and the thing is here... A lot of times, these kids have uh, you know fort- been fortunate to win these things through these uh, three dollar purchases. They make two fifty purchases on Steam. They get lucky enough to win one of these cool skins, and then they they go gamble these skins, these valuable skins they won on these sites like CS:GO Lotto, and uh, 
you know, it, so it really is like gambling. Like first they win on Steam, and then they go gamble it here, and maybe they'll lose it back, or maybe they'll win more things, and then yeah, you know, eventually they probably lose. And who wins? Steam, not Steam, both Steam and these guys owning things like CS:GO, Lotto, because they take eight percent off the top. They could easily have it rigged, and they could have it rigged. That's another concern that has been expressed, right? That the that they are rigging it, perhaps even for their own players. They have house players in there uh, winning things. So it, the whole thing is really, really shady. Of course, it's unregulated. Nobody's watching what's going on. There's concern if these guys are doing videos of themselves winning and winning and winning. How are they doing that? They weren't just getting lucky. So either they, they falsified the video, which is probably the best-case scenario. that they, just, they didn't really win. They were just pretending they did for the, for the purposes of the video to promote their site, which is still bad because it entices anyone who watches it, including kids, to gamble on there. Or, worst case, they really were winning. They were just bringing the site to win for themselves against real people they're playing against. So, these guys seem really scummy. And and, uh, and then, this this arrogant guy walking around going, yeah, so it's a big deal on the internet these days. People talking about me pl- uh, not disclosing it's my own site. I've always said it's my own site. And the guy's like walking around his house with almost like a GoPro. Like holding the camera way up, and he he just looks like a dick. He's walking around there, looking kind of arrogant, like like like. So this is what people are saying. Just kind of like walking around his house. It, it's it's an obnoxious video, and I don't know who this guy is who's been narrating it, but you know he seems pretty on the ball, and he seems to uh, he lays this out pretty clearly. So the good video is called "Deception, Lies, and CS:GO." I played you some clips of it. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it's an interesting scandal. If you're interested in this type of stuff, check it out. And where it has a parallel to poker, and to actually someone we know or knew, uh, Brian Mikon, who ran the Seals with Club site and was arrested for it in Nevada, got off with a very light sentence, and actually no sentence pretty much is probation. But his whole premise for running Bitcoin gambling was that Bitcoin is not real currency. So therefore, you can gamble it. And right. Brian Mikon found out in Nevada that's definitely not true. <laughs> the cops kicked down his door. But uh, it, it's got some similarities. Now, I, I don't necessarily believe that Mikon was cheating or scamming anyone or, or even encouraging kids to gamble. But uh, So this is worse. But, but it's the same concept of unregulated gambling on something that isn't actually money but can easily be converted into money. So... I, I feel that anything that has a buy-in in real money that can be converted into real money when you win and that you're playing something with an element of chance is gambling. gambling. I mean, that's gambling. I mean, it is. And and that's I, – I think all those things need to be regulated. And if you don't regulate them, you end up with a lot of shady things occurring. You end up I with think, a lot of scams. I think that will just be shut down. Yeah, I, well, I hope this gets shut down. Yeah, I'm just talking about in general. This, this in particular, should be shut down. I mean, this, <laughs> this one letting 13 year olds play. What well, the hell? There's a lot of mobile games where you pay to play, and you know, parents let these kids play these games, and then it racks up the bill. Yeah, because they're actually really gambling, and it's actually training them to gamble. You know. Yeah, and well, that's just disturbing in these videos. If you watch these videos of these guys, these two owners of this uh, CSGO Lotto, they use the word bet and gambling so much, and i got to think that's not an accident. 
and they talk about how crazy it is, how fun it is to to do gambling on there and to bet on there. They they use that word so much. At they, least they're being honest. Well, but they're, but they're trying to entice kids. It's like it's like, hey, kids, do you want to do drugs? Drugs? Yeah, drugs are so cool. It's so much fun doing drugs. It's it's kind of like that because you present something to a kid that they know is forbidden and they know they're too young to be doing, and it becomes more enticing to them. Where if you say that type of thing to an adult, they're like, okay, stop saying gambling. I can gamble if I want. Leave me alone. So. Back in the day, how many kids do you think were playing online poker? I don't think that many. I think there were, it's like a very small percentage of the players were. Uh, and and those that were, I don't think they were playing for very high limits. But I don't think that's ever been a major problem. And I don't think it was ever really marketed to kids. I, I Kids knew of poker, but I, I don't think, it wasn't that strongly marketed to them. Maybe at the very peak of poker when everyone was talking about it. Maybe it had, uh, you know, it, it's most kids at that point. But I I haven't heard really of anyone say that they started gambling in online poker when they were kids and that developed a gambling problem for later that they wished you know, online poker hadn't brought them into gambling. I, I haven't heard of this before. I've heard of young adults who got into it in college and all that, but I haven't heard of like underage kids who became addicts because of playing online poker. I'm sure it's happened to some, but it, it's probably pretty rare, where I think we would have heard of it more. Right. Especially for, through the uh, opponents of online gambling, like Sheldon Adelson. You think they would have found these kids by now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these kids would be adults now. The kids who did this during the poker boom uh, would have been, they'd be in their mid-20s now. So Adelson could find some of them and pay them some money to tell their true story. It would be very powerful stuff. I haven't seen any of these kids out there, so I think this very few and far between. But this is pretty bad here. This whole thing, uh, they, they really are marketing to kids here. Not just kids, but kids among many. And Yeah, tons of people play that game. Well, And also, these two guys who own this site, the CSGO Lotto, most of their following is kids. See, uh, people like you may play Counter-Strike, uh, you know, Global Offensive, they may, you may play it and enjoy the game, but you're not watching, you're not as likely to watch the videos of these 20-something douchebags, you know, talking about right. playing or playing on, like, you're not as likely to watch those videos. These are videos are really aimed at younger people. I've never even really noticed these, uh, things that they're selling anyway, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I play the game a lot, but I've never really noticed this before. Interesting. Yeah, I've never played it, but, but really these, these YouTube stars, their followings, Usually, it's mainly kids. These these gamers who have very very popular YouTube channels. Some of them make huge money just from these channels themselves. But it's mostly kids watching. So, yep. and there's been criticism that some of these guys are are not very good guys. There's been some who've turned out to be pedophiles. There, there's been some who, some who've just uh, put a lot of content out that's inappropriate for kids to be watching. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy about these YouTube stars in general of these gaming channels because uh, uh, they're speaking to young and impressionable kids, and and the parents don't even know. The parents just think, "Oh, my kid's watching this. You know, he loves this game. He's watching this video about this game. You know, my my ten year old loves Minecraft, uh, so he's watching Minecraft videos on YouTube. You know, what's wrong with that? Well, usually nothing. But there's there's no regulation of this content and. Uh, Sometimes these guys are very inappropriate, and if you, as I said, a few bad cases. There's been some of the, some pedophiles who've uh, uh, befriended some of their young fans and uh, said and done very inappropriate and criminal things to these kids. So, 
Jesus. Yeah, so you have to so watch out. It's, it's like a whole sub-community most people don't even know about. But, the, but it's very big with, with kids and, the, and these uh, YouTube videos and these YouTube stars. And, and, and there's a lot of money involved, too. No, there's tons of money, like definitely in streaming, you know, on Twitch, streaming your video games. Yeah, there's a lot of money in all this. A lot of those guys make a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot of money in all this, and what's often underestimated is how much money kids generate. Because you think of kids, well, how much money do they have to spend? Like nothing, so how can they generate money? And what people forget is that the kids have parents who want to make them happy, and the parents often don't understand exactly everything the kids are doing, especially something that seems harmless. Like mm-hmm. like like playing games and wa- watching videos of of other guys playing games. Like the parents aren't going to watch this every second; they're going to be too busy to to really monitor this closely. And uh, so these these things really make a lot of money. And these kids really get attached to these guys who make the videos. And in fact, they really see them in some cases as, as like uh, almost like gods. Like I was were... I was in a situation where a kid was types of videos. Well, you're, you're cutting out. What did you say again? You're in a situation what? I said I was in a relationship where she had a five-year-old, and he was, like, constantly watching these type of videos. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, Ben does – it's interesting. Benjamin doesn't like have – video games and and people that play the video games. A five-year-old. Wow, that's uh, – yeah, that's pretty unusual. Usually it's, like, eight-year-old, ten-year-olds watching this stuff. Uh, five-year-old, that's, that's pretty unusual. Like, Ben is five. He doesn't watch that type of stuff. He watches some things on on YouTube, but just kind of like random things that are aimed at kids, not uh, not these guys who play video games. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's a big subculture out there that people don't really realize exists because kids are such a large part of it. And anything that kids are a large part of, you can easily overlook because it's something you don't, you probably are not involved with or have any interest in yourself, and you probably never even find it. Unless your kid does it. And if your kid does it, you kind of just ignore it because you just think, uh, oh, what's the big deal? They're just having fun. So, yeah, that, that's uh, – but these guys, will, they'll take advantage of whatever they can. Sometimes if they're perverts, you know, pedophiles will take advantage in a sexual way. And uh, more often they'll take advantage in some sort of uh, monetary way. And that's what these guys are doing here. Is so, that what – I mean, are the people blowing them up? Is that what we were listening to? Yeah, people? yeah, that's the guy who's blowing them up. Yeah, this has become a big scandal here. This is uh, – Something's probably going to happen out of all this because there's a, it's a it's a very big deal. That's why it's kind of made its way over to Poker Fraud Alert and gotten my attention. Because otherwise, we don't talk about gaming too much over here because it's just not really our topic. But because it has some parallels to the type of gambling we talk about, I figured it was worth talking about. Now, here's an interesting subject that dates back a number of years. There are a number of concepts in. Uh, poker, especially online poker that have developed over the years that everyone promotes as the next big thing, the next exciting thing, but it ends up being a failure. Often money is put into into developing or promoting these concepts. And the money might as well be flushed down the toilet because... How's that, how's that poker league going? Oh, the Global Poker League? I haven't checked yeah. on it recently. I know it. it was kind of Drawing moderate numbers, it wasn't a complete failure, but it it didn't seem to be really catching on that much. It's just it, like they they're paying Poker News and other outlets to really promote them and make it look like a bigger deal than it is. Like I I, I was 
I remember I, I have I was watching Poker News just like tweeting out the results of every bit of the Global Poker League draft, and like they, they must have sent like 300 tweets that day. And my my reaction to that was because <laughs> you know Poker News didn't really care. You know they were being paid to do that, but but. Like, even in the poker boom, I wouldn't be interested. No, I wouldn't either. I thought it was dumb. Like, who wants to watch team poker? It's boring. Right. But But anyway, uh, like, like, it really is boring. Like, like, there is some interest people have in watching individuals perform in poker. Like, like, like these days, Fedora Holtz is doing so well. You watch, watch what's he going to do, what's he going to win next? You know, how, how far is he going to go? How, how much is he going to win? How, how, how long is he going to keep dominating? Like, that can be interesting. A, a team is not interesting. It, it's just not a team sport. So anyway, something called Poker Battle, I, I don't even completely understand what it was supposed to be, but something called Poker Battle uh, popped up in 2008. And again, it was supposed to be some exciting new concept that was going to take poker by storm. And it was developed by a guy named uh, Philippe Ruas, who was from uh, France. And it was clear that Philippe Ruas had a lot of money behind it. It was clear that he was very free spending with promoting poker battle even though it didn't seem to be making any money, didn't seem to be getting off the ground. People always wondered where to come from. And he did his media buys too, he making, you know, buying space on poker news to cover them, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that the money was coming from a Canadian poker player named Glenn Chorney. Glenn Chorney, you may have remembered if you followed tournament poker at the time, he won the, uh, the EPT Grand Final in 2008 for about uh, $3.2 million. And uh, he entered in a lot of other big events. He had some other success. That was his biggest one, but he had some other success. However, by the end of 2009, Chorney was gone from the big event poker scene. And since 2009, he, uh, he, you know, he's barely been around. So what's happened to him? Where'd he go? Did he, did, did he blow his money sports betting or maybe playing cash games that were too big for him? Or uh, you know, to develop a drug plot problem and shoot off all his money that way? No. Glenn Chorney sent $3.77 million to Poker Battle. <laughs> yes. Glenn Chorney, for some reason, thought that this is a good investment. Of all, of all possible investments to make with almost $4 million is what appears to be his life savings. He decided to invest in Poker Battle. So this is from uh, a lawsuit that was just filed. The reason we're talking about it now is a lawsuit was just filed against Philippe Ross by Glenn Chorney. Here's some things that uh, are being said in the lawsuit. In or around 2008, Ross approached Chorney about a potential investment opportunity involving online poker. Effective May 19, 2008, Chorney entered into a non-disclosure and confidentiality agreement with an Indiana corporation called Ross Entertainment, Inc., which, on information and belief, is owned and operated by Ross. The purpose of the NDA was for Ross Entertainment to provide confidential information to Chorney for the limited purpose of exploring and maintaining a business and creative relationship between Ross Entertainment and Chorney. After the execution of the non-disclosure agreement, Ross convinced Chorney to purchase 
10 million units of Poker World in exchange for $3.2 million. These 10 million units represented 10% of the total units in Poker World. And I may wonder, what is Poker World? We're, we're talking about uh, Poker Battles. So what is Poker World? <laughs> poker World is somehow associated with Poker Battle. I, I'm not, it's not even totally clear. Uh, something called the Poker World Society. Where Chorney was convinced by Ruas that the Poker World Society was worth one million dollars times thirty-two. He convinced him it was worth thirty-two million dollars, and that Chorney was buying ten percent of Poker World Society. Which had some association with Poker Battle. I think he claimed it owned Poker Battle when it really didn't. It was just like a separate company owned by uh, Ruas, which is even shadier. And, and then he was buying 10 million units of it, of 100 million total units of Poker World Society, which right there sounds shady. Why not just say you're buying 10%? Why, what's up with all these uh, units? 10 million uni- units you're buying. But that's what that's what he bought. And Chorney agreed. Chorney's like, okay, I'll have ten million units for three point two million dollars, please. And and he really sent three point two million dollars. So the next thing says in this lawsuit, in order to persuade Chorney to make that investment, Ruas represented that Poker World would launch a lifestyle retail and gaming brand called Poker Battle. The primary revenue generator, Ruas said, would be an online poker site where Poker World could charge players to play poker on its website. Ruas stated, quote, the sky's the limit, and that even if they captured only 10% of the market for online gaming, Poker World could net over... One million dollars. Per day! <laughs> now, now, first of all, capturing 10% of the online gaming market... Is impossible. You know how big online gaming is. Ten <laughs> percent of that market. I don't think Poker Stars had that. But even if you you did get ten percent of, even if you wanted to say it's poker, ten percent of online poker, there's no way you're going to do that with a new room. There's no way. But going on, in making these representations, Ruas failed to disclose that Poker World did not own the brand Poker Battle that Ruas was proposing the Poker World market, but that the trademark for that brand was instead owned by Ruas Entertainment. <laughs> so so Chorney not only bought 10% of crap, but he also bought uh, 10% of non-existent crap. He, he bought 10% of a company that didn't really own Poker Battle, where I guess Ruas could have easily screwed him if it, if it worked out. He could have just said, oh, hey, you, know, you own Poker World, not Poker Battle. So this is how that $3.2 million was paid. Is on in uh, 2008. June 9th, 500K. July 7th, 500K. August 7th, a million. October 20th, 500K. December 10th, 500K. And finally, March 31st, 2009, he paid $200,000. $3.2 million. Uh, then, in early 2009, Ruas asked Chorney to invest further in Poker World this time in the form of loans. Ruas claimed he was in negotiations that would result in significant promotion of the brand Poker Battle. Ruas failed to disclose that about the same time an attorney he had hired was still unsure if the online gaming site that Poker Battle was supposed to be launching was legal. Not knowing that fact, Chorney went on to make not only the final payment on a $3.2 million, but also loan an additional $570,000 as follows. 
That is 150,000 on February 4th, 2009, 120,000 on June 30th, and 300,000 on August 4th. So he sent totally $3.77 million to Ruas. Terrible. And uh, all he got for it were a few logos. The last thing he got was in 2013. He got a, a few more poker battle logos. That's all he ever got was some logos that were sent to him for poker battle. It never got off the ground. Uh, poker battle signed a lot of different pros involved with it uh, in 2008. Or sorry, it was 2009. Ruas signed Ninad Medic, Scotty Wynn, Glenn Chorney, Chris Ferguson, David Williams, Noah Schwartz, Chino Ream, Michael the Grinder Mizraki, Rob Mizraki, Eric Mizraki. I can't believe they, f- they signed Eric Mizraki. What has he done? Except cash in one event where his brothers did. Uh, Evelyn Eng, Tiffany Michelle, Nam Lee, Steve Song, Patrick Hillebranski, Johnny Chan. Well, I was getting everyone here. Jean-Robert Belland, Wayne and Emmeline Boich, John Fan, and Alan Smurfit. Wow. So he signed all these guys. So he was very free spending with uh, Chorney's money. Basically, this was just like a, a scammer who went around throwing around this money with this with this poker battle concept, but that he never really seriously developed and never got off the ground. The logos we've seen for it are very laughable. One of them is a logo. It's posted on the Poker Fraud Alert uh, Scam Scandals and Shadiness site. It says poker battle. It's over like a green, uh, over a green background and a blue and white shield, and has like wings on the shield. But the funny thing is, <laughs> there's there's like white splotches all over it. I'm not even sure what the white splotches are supposed to be, but yeah, it it kind of looks like somebody ejaculated all over the logo. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's what it looks like. Now, would you believe that poker battle actually still has? A website. You can go take a look at a website. It's not very well developed, and it's been sitting the same way. I'm surprised even Chorney's, or not Chorney, uh, Ruas is even still paying the bills for this. But uh, you can go to this website. It is called pokerbattle.com. And it plays this little flash opening. Coming soon. Very cheesy the funniest thing is, you heard that boom at the end? That's a picture of like a clown, and the word lose is stamped over him. <laughs> now, I don't know what that has to do with what they were trying to say poker battle is. It says, Poker World Society presents poker battle, retail gaming lifestyle. But it like it does this like weird opening in, in a flash video with fire and a bunch of other stuff. And then the last thing is a, a cartoon clown with the word lose stamped over his head. I guess at least it was accurate. It goes, coming soon. Yeah, here's the fire. Here's the clown. Lose. <laughs> Poker battle. Post, yeah. a like, uh, post a like to that in the chat. Yeah, well, just go to PokerBattle.com. It's very easy. Oh, okay. PokerBattle.com, and then just click on it. Whatever comes up, just click on it, and it'll do it. Oh, no, it comes up by itself. Actually. Fire. Plus heart. Here's the Here comes. Lose. 
It does all the card suits. It does the card suits, and it's just losing over the cloud. I, I guess that's directed at Chorney. Lose your $3.77 million. Lose, you clown. How's that even marketing to have a clown saying lose? Weird. All right, so that's uh, amazing how poker players can be separated from their money. How, how can you be smart enough to win all these poker tournaments and be so successful in that and then hand over all of it to some clear scammer with no business plan. Amazing. Well, speaking of... of uh, uh, what were you going to say? It happens a lot. Yeah. Speaking of uh, troubled gambling ventures, the Normandy Casino in the L.A. area, it's in Gardena. It's, it's, it's always been a shithole. I've never even been there. It's... Uh, it's been around a long time. It opened up in uh, 1947. So it's been there way before I was born. And it's a long-running card room, but it's it's such a has-been, if you could even call it a has-been. I, I can't even imagine why anyone would go there instead of a place like The Hustler, which is much newer and nicer. But uh, I guess what they had to degenerate to was money laundering. I guess that's the only reason anyone went there was to money launder. So people would show up there and were using it to launder money. And the management of the casino was turning the other way and uh, letting the money laundering go on. They got in trouble for it and the owner of the owners of the Normandy Casino, the Miller family, pled guilty to shielding several high rollers from the federal cash reporting requirements and violating the Bank Secrecy Act, basically money laundering. They weren't laundering themselves, but they were allowing their casino to be used for money laundering and knowingly. So among the terms of which they pled guilty, they had to either close the casino or sell it to somebody else within 120 days. And Larry Flint, who operates the Hustler Casino in the same city of Gardena, decided he would buy it. The Hustler is about two miles away from the Normandy. The Hustler is, uh, it's been open for 16 years. I've played there several times. It's its a nice kind of small to medium-sized card room. It's not anything like the Commerce, but its uh, that's what's actually nice about it, is it's, uh, it's more calm over there. It's a nicer setting. It's less stressful. But uh, it, uh, what's required in the city of Gardena is that all casinos open there have to contribute 12% of their monthly gross revenue to Gardena. Uh, they wouldn't say how much the Hustler's been doing better than Normandy. I know it does, but uh, the city officials of Gardena said that the Normandy Club has continued to struggle financially with some periods of recovery. So maybe they weren't even contributing. Maybe they were. Uh, well, they had to be contributing some, but uh, I bet not very much. So anyway, Normie's going to be taken over by Flint. I don't know if he's just going to. I don't know what he's going to do. He could. Uh, he could simply close it to eliminate the competition. He could make it some kind of extension of the Hustler, though it's it's still too far away to make it like one property. It's still two miles away, so he can't do that. But he could make like a Hustler two. Uh, he could remodel it. He could even wreck it and rebuild. Who knows what he's going to do there? But uh, Larry Flint now owns the other casino in Gardena. 
the Normandy. So we will see if the Normandy gets any better. I think they've got to shut it down. That place is such a shithole. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, he may have just bought it so nobody else buys it and he can just be the only game in town. Very possible. Yeah. I, I didn't know you were still a white trader, Ruski. Just uh, multitasking. Now, here, here's something we see on... Sop seems to have things going. Yeah, he does. So here, here's uh, here's something funny. I, I, I don't know if this is serious. Unfortunately, I think it probably was. Uh, there's a... Asian poker player named uh, Kitty Kuo. Her real name is uh, Kuo Hui Chen. And this is what she just tweeted out uh, earlier today. Uh, presumably about the main event. If you are famous players, not famous player, but if, not if you're a famous player, if you are famous players, please, please, please pretend you don't know me. Now why would that be? She goes on. Don't need to say hi to me. Why is that? I want to have pretty girl image, not pro image. Thanks. <laughs> so, so Kitty Quo wants you to see her as just a pretty girl at the table and not a dangerous poker pro. So if you know her, don't say, hey, Kitty, what's up? How you doing? You, know, you cash much this series? She goes, oh, no, 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 I don't know you. i pretty girl. I don't know you. That's funny. She she actually tweeted that out to everybody. I actually retweeted it. I thought it was so funny. So she's actually warning everybody. She wants a pretty girl image, not a poker pro image. I wonder if anyone violated that today. This is what she says about herself. She's By the way, she's on the San Francisco Rush in the, the Global Poker League. Oh, nice. But uh, she says, my name is Kitty Quo. I'm a professional poker player. Love eating, traveling, drinking, and seeing handsome man. Can't handle disappoint at poker. <laughs> and she said, well, she's not doing bad. She uh, had 87K at the dinner break. Most I had yesterday was 65. Chunked it off. Did she? No, did you chunk it off? Uh, in the last hour I did. I was yeah. kind of holding steady the whole day. All day I was kind of between 50 and 65. And then, uh, Were a bunch of people coming up and saying hi to you during the day? That might have done it. Yeah, they were, they were coming up and saying hi to me. And I said, no, no, don't do that. I, I want to be just a middle-aged poker player, not a middle-aged rec player. <laughs> not pro player. <laughs> now, actually, like when they, you can learn from Did you have your bracelet on? No, that's what I say. I do the opposite. I, I wear the bracelet so they do think I'm pro player. I mean, I think me and Kitty have to have a talk about this because I, I think it's a benefit to be seen as a pro player. Maybe for a girl it's different because guys may, may soft play a girl, whatever, like if they think there's just some pretty girl they like. But I, for me, I, I like being seen as a pro player. It gets my bets more respect. Now, now yesterday maybe, maybe I didn't like that because they weren't giving me action, but I think they just truly didn't have hands. But I, I actually prefer to have the feeling of control at the table, which I can only have if people are respecting my bets. If everyone just thinks I'm some some dude in my 40s that's just an unknown, they'll take shots at me. So I, I prefer that... Uh, that's why I wear the bracelet. That really is why I wear the bracelet. In fact, like the event I did not wear the bracelet this year was the 10K Limit Hold'em event because, like, there's tons of bracelet winners there and they, you know, they're not going to be fooled by this crap. Like, they just... <laughs> uh, they're, they're not going to be impressed. In fact, I had, like, four multiple bracelet winners at my table and 
I think at one point there were like seven of the nine at the table had a bracelet. So I got a bad table, but still. Should have took your one time there and bought out of that event. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. That's what I should have. I should have taken uh, uh, was a chance. Uh, Cornuth's. Uh, I wish I knew about this. I could have. I could have used my one time and come back in a different table. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. Keep that in mind. If now it's probably too late. I, th- I think they, they're already done with. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll probably be done with day 1C in like 10 minutes, if, according to like what they did yesterday. I think we finished at 11.52 yesterday. But uh, if you see your uh, day 2 on uh, on Wednesday, when if, that's when they're going to do day 2C. If she's at your table, do not say you know her. And this, this is something she tweeted. I, I got to follow her. She's very entertaining. She, this is what she... Tweeted about uh, 8 p.m. I complained no girl at a, at table and men so boring at my table. Guys say, what do you want me to say? Nail stuff? What the respect female poker WTF? <laughs> <laughs> so she thinks the men are boring. I think they're probably boring because they're afraid to talk to her. She says don't don't treat her like you know her. So what are you supposed to do? Like, if I got her at my table and I was trying to follow her advice, I, I wouldn't talk to her. I'd, I'd figure that uh, I have to be boring. That's funny. The guy says, what do you want me to say, nail stuff? This <laughs> <laughs> is what the respect female poker. Let's see what else she said. And then she she got mad at uh, there's a guy named John H Beveridge who responded back. What did he say? Uh, so he he wrote, "Do you want to be a poker player or a female poker player?" And she tweeted back, "I am the poker player and female too." He said, "You can earn respect by your play, not your gender." Do you want to be treated differently at a poker table because you're a woman? And she says, "What the fuck are you talking about? I just want to talk." And he says, "Girl can only talk about nail at poker table." <laughs> Okay, I'm going to follow this girl. I'm definitely following her. Here we go. Follow. There we go. Wow, she has 6,277 followers. I think it's going to be hard to... It's going to be hard for her to not be seen as as a pro poker player. There's over 6,000 people who know who she is. Okay. Larry Laffer saying in chat, I'm doing my best Charlie Chan uh, impression. No, I'm just, I'm just reading. I, the, the accent's kind of coming through just from the, the broken English. But I, I think it's great that she's, like, tweeting all this stuff, even knowing that she's typing broken English. Like, she's, she's not, like, the least bit ashamed of the broken English. She just is like, okay, I barely speak English, but screw it. I'm going to say anyway. So if you, if you want to follow her, it is uh, twitter.com slash kitty... Quo, that's K-U-O poker. Kitty, K-I-T-T-Y, K-U-O poker. All right, let's see. I think we got one more thing here. Oh, that's, that's it for those main topics. Now let me get to the... Uh... Oh, there's, see, see, 
Now, now someone is uh, someone's tweeting to her that I'm making fun of her on my podcast right now. See, that's not good. They're just someone. Someone's trying to make me look bad to Kitty Quo. I'm not even saying anything bad. Okay, so this is what happened to me uh, last week. I don't have much experience with these private cell phone stores. I generally don't trust them. But I have a story after this about the same subject. Yeah, okay. That's, that will be interesting to hear because I just had a nightmare with this. I, I typically stay away from them, but the, the truth is with Apple devices, it gets expensive to fix things when when things go wrong after they're out of warranty or if you they are on warranty and you've done something to break it or whatever. So uh, I, I twice have had the iPad glass break. I have two iPads and uh, one time the the glass was just mysteriously broken. I don't know. I just came there and it's on the counter and the glass is broken. I have no idea what happened. Uh, the second time uh, Benjamin did it on the on the newer iPad. So the first time it happened is about two years ago and I went to a place that was well rated on Yelp and they, they fixed the glass perfectly and it was a reasonable price so I was, uh, I was happy. I said okay I'm definitely coming back here. So with this most recent glass breakage I brought this uh, iPad Air there for uh, repair. And they told me that it'll be done the next day. I brought it in just before closing in the evening. They said it'll be done by the next day by like 12. They call me. Well, they never called me. But uh, they didn't call me for the previous repair either. So I figured I'd just come in the following day and it'd be done by then for sure. So I, I, on July 5th, right before they closed, I brought it in. I came in on July 7th. And it's supposed to have long been done by that point. So I, I showed up and I said, uh, okay, can I have my, my iPad? Is it done? So they looked it up and said, yeah, yeah, it's done. We'll get it for you. The guy goes back, gives it to me. And it was a southern guy. He was like from uh, Mississippi. And uh, so he brings me the iPad. I turn, it off. I turn it on and I see on the lock screen another family's picture. <laughs> It's not my iPad. So I said, uh, this isn't my iPad. I don't know these people. So he says, oh, oh I'm sorry. Let me go get you the right iPad. So he goes back and gets the uh, right iPad, brings it back to me, says, all right, here you go. I'm so sorry about that. Hands me the iPad. I notice there's no password on it, which is weird because I, you know, I knew mine had a password. So I, I look through it. I notice that, once again, this is not my iPad. <laughs> So I go, what the hell's going on here? Two different iPads that aren't mine the guy's trying to give me? Like, that's pretty bad. Like, what if I took one and walked off with it? I'd have someone else's iPad and all their data. Like, that's it's pretty bad to let that happen not once but twice. So I'm like, what's going on here? So I said, that's not mine either. So he frantically went through the receipts and the inventory. After about 10 minutes, he figured out what happened. Uh, they accidentally shipped my iPad out to one of their other locations, and it was still there. <laughs> But, but this isn't the big problem. This, this was not the big part of the story I'm going to tell you guys about. This was a boneheaded mistake. But uh, he promised they would go bring this iPad back within 25 minutes from the other location. And uh, they did. So I got the iPad back. That was no problem. But while I was waiting, I said, you know, I, I have another phone here. Not the cell phone I use, but my girlfriend's cell phone. And the the camera doesn't work anymore. It's an iPhone 6 Plus, and the the camera just doesn't focus well. 
So they said. Uh, so basically, the they said that they'll take a look. If they can fix it without replacing the camera, they'll do it for free. If they do replace the camera, it'll be uh, fifty dollars. Uh, but they said, you know what? Because you've been through this whole thing with us shipping your iPad off to the other store and hey, you having to wait for it, how about we just replace the camera for free uh, and won't charge you the $50? I said, okay, great. So I sit down, I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and what I think is a quick repair, like 45 minutes later, I'm getting no update on it. So I'm like, what the hell happened here? So I'm not understanding this. And the guy comes out, the southern guy comes out and says, yeah, well, I, I have some uh, bad news for you. Um, your your uh, your iPhone there is uh, it's in a boot loop. Now, what a boot loop is, it's where the phone cannot start. It's where the Apple logo comes up, it's booting up, but instead of going to the home screen, it just goes right back to the Apple logo over and over and over again. You can't use the phone. That's usually usually happens when something has gone wrong with the software, like you you try to jailbreak it and it fails or something like that. They tried to root it and they fucked it up. Yeah. So uh, now going back a little bit, there was already a problem because when I handed them the phone, they asked for my password. Now they've asked that for that password for the two iPads I had them fix also, but I refused to give it both times, and they. Gave me a little bit of resistance, but but very quickly backed down and said, okay, no problem. Well, with this iPhone, for some reason, they were very, very, very difficult about the password. They were insisting. When I say they, it was the southern guy and the tech guy, this Asian dude. They both stood there and berated me for refusing to give the password to the iPhone. Now, keep in mind, number one, this isn't my phone. This is my girlfriend's phone. And number two... She has a lot of important and personal and sensitive stuff on there. Now, in case you're wondering, there's no nudes of me or her on the phone. It's not stuff like that. But it's just a, a lot of personal stuff, a, a lot of information that she doesn't want the public seeing. So, and, and most of you probably have that same situation on your phones. You don't want to just let some stranger have access to it all. So I told them no. I said, this is a matter of privacy. Uh, I said I, I identified her as my wife, but I said my wife do, absolutely does not want you, does not want anyone having access to her stuff. No offense to you, but she just doesn't allow anyone else to have her password. So they were giving me such a hard time. Uh, the southern guy's going, you know, we service phones all day. We have forty to fifty phones that come on here every day, and we service phones of millionaires. So we 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 ain't interested in your data. You know, it, it, it's okay for them millionaires, so we can we can service yours too. And then they're telling me that, uh, what are you worried about? What, what do you think we're going to do to your data? What, what, you don't trust us? Like, I'm getting, I'm getting that type of crap from them. They're trying to shame me like I'm some sort of paranoid freak for not wanting to give them the password to my girlfriend's phone, which they're going to go work on in the back and I can't see what they're doing. Like, there's no chance. There's no chance I'm giving them that. There's a lot of things they could do with, that, with the data off that phone. There's no chance I would let them have that. There's pictures of Benjamin on there. There's no way. Anyway, I, I flat out refused. So finally they grumbled at the end and accepted it and walked off and, and worked on the phone. So as I said, after 45 minutes, they came out and told me about the boot loop. They said, hang on, they were going to try to fix the boot loop. Then they came out after some more time passed and said, well, we have some bad news for you. We can't get it out of the boot loop. The only thing we can do is try a recovery mode which will basically reset your phone back to factory settings and will wipe all the data. So I said, I can't have that. 
Uh, my girlfriend, she needs all her data. It's very important. We've got to try another way. Well, they started getting really nasty with me, telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. And when, when I told them I, that, you know, I, I went and looked online and I saw there, there are ways to recover the data sometimes if it gets in a boot loop. It's not always, but sometimes you can. And I started getting mocked for this. The southern guy saying, hey, look at this guy over here, this smart guy. He thinks he knows everything. He knows more than us. Yep, he's a smart guy. We're the dumb ones here. Like, that's what they're saying to me, the customer. And I'm saying, look, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give you permission to go wipe all the data. That's very important to her. I want to try everything I can to get it back. So I, so anyway, time is passing, passing, passing. They're making no progress. I go, I go to the southern guy and I say, look, I, I, I now, now that it's gotten, uh, we've gotten to a pretty serious point here. Uh, I, I'd like to speak to to the manager, please. He said, so he mocks me. He says. Oh, it's gotten real serious now, has it? <laughs> he has laughed at me. It's real serious. Well, why do you think it's so serious now, huh? And I said, it's serious because our, our phone, which was perfectly working when we brought in here, is now in a boot loop and we're going to lose our data? That sounds pretty serious to me. So I, I said, please, I'd like to speak to your manager. So he insisted to me that he is the manager. I said, well, you're not the owner. You obviously have a boss. He says, he has given me authorization to speak to, to, to handle this situation. I speak for him. I said, that's, that's fine, but I want to speak to him anyway. I, I, I have give, been given authorization. I'm the one in charge here. I have made the decision that, uh, that uh, you're going to be dealing with me, he tells me. So he, he's shielding me from his boss. He's not letting me speak to his boss. I ask if his boss is there. He says no. I said, well, can you call him, put him on the phone with me? He says no. I don't have a way to get a hold of him. <laughs> he says, what do you mean you don't have a way to get a hold of him? And he tells me, I said, you, t- you told me he gave you authorization to speak for him just now. How did he do that? He said, well, he came in a few minutes ago. and I, He comes in once a day. I, I see him once a day for a few minutes. I told him about this. He said, you just handle it. I'll give you authorization to handle it. Uh, don't involve me, is what he claimed. So he absolutely positively refused to put me on the phone or in any kind of contact with any bosses of his. Can't talk to the owner. Can't talk to whoever his direct manager is. He said, I'm in charge here. I'm going to handle this. You can't speak to anyone else. Now, what I should have done then, I should have said, okay, fine. Give me the phone back. Boot loop or not, I'm just taking it out and just left and then uh, called up his boss. You know, tracked down the boss myself. There was four different... phone's insured? No, it's not insured, no. No, okay. But that, you know, that's actually not the problem because they actually... One thing they were agreeing to the whole way is that if the phone can't get out of this boot loop, that they'll replace it for free. So oddly enough, that wasn't the issue. The issue was they wanted to do this recovery thing and wipe the phone, and I didn't want to let them. So I, I think they wanted your data just to piss you off. Well, I'll tell you at, at the end what I think happened. So finally, after after enough time passed, I just I can't wait anymore. I, I this is going nowhere. So I said, I just give me the phone back. I, I skipped one. I skipped one other thing. I called the Apple support line, and the guy on the Apple support line said to me. You know, you should ask them if they can get if the phone can be recognized in iTunes while it's boot looping because sometimes it can, and that'll tell me how much trouble the phone's in at this point. And maybe you, you know, if you can get into iTunes, you can actually back it up anyway, even if it's in a boot loop. So I asked them, "Can you recognize the phone in iTunes?" And the tech, after working on this for more than two hours, says, "I don't know. Let me go check." <laughs> So I said, what? what? You don't know, let you go check. What does that mean? 
if you've been working on this for two hours, how could you not know if it can connect to iTunes or not? So, so something was really fishy to me. So finally I said, look, just give me the phone back. I'll take it home. I'll see what I can recover off it myself. Maybe I'll send it to a third-party company. I'll see where it stands myself. And then Speak I'll just... phones. Uh, Larry says he's trying to call in. Yeah, I saw there were some calls coming in. I'm in the middle of this here. I can't take any calls. So, so I decided I'm just going to I'm going to assess the situation myself at home and then decide what to do next. So strangely enough, right then, the southern guy tells me that uh, that there is someone he can put me in contact with as far as his boss. I said, really? You were refusing that before? He said, well, yeah, but there's you know a guy you, you actually can't talk to, he tells me. So I said, okay. Uh, when I get home, I'll call you and you can give me the information. So I got the phone. They hand me the phone back and it's it's off. It's not in a boot loop. It's just off. Now I figured maybe the battery was running down or something. So I said, okay, I'll just I'll deal with this at home. So I go home, plug in the phone, nothing. I cannot get any power on it. It's completely dead. Well, that's really strange because they were telling me it's in a boot loop. I can't get it to go at all. Like the phone was shorted out or something. So I called in and told him the southern guy didn't act surprised at all. He he, he kind of feigned surprise, but you could tell that he, he knew this, this was the situation. So at that point, I asked to talk to his boss, and his boss called me. His boss turned out to be he was like the district manager of the four stores. I told them the whole story about the, the fight about the password where they were nasty to me and, and trying to shame me about uh, not wanting to give it to them. The part about uh, the... Do uh, you know that? Do you know if you plug an iPhone in to your computer, if the password screen is locked, if you, if you can't get into the files? You can't, no. No? Okay. But... but, but, but uh, it was getting no power at all, like nothing. Like there, there was the phone was totally dead. So no, what I'm asking is like, uh, since you had your password on. Oh yeah, they couldn't get into the files. No, that, that's no, what. Okay. That's why that whole controversy with that terrorist with the FBI and all that with the iPhone. But but these basically the, the manager told me that uh, this is all. You know, I told him the whole story about everything that happened, everything I just told you about the passcode, about the. Uh, the recovery mode where they were giving me such a hard time about uh, letting me you know, about not wiping it and, and and really being nasty to me about it and telling me there's no way to get the data off there if it's in recovery if it's in that boot loop which wasn't true. Not uh, thinking you're a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, telling me, mocking me that I'm not a millionaire. No, so, you know I, I was. Uh, they were really really nasty and rude to me there. In fact, at one point that southern guy was so nasty with me, it almost looked like he wanted to punch me. He probably did want to punch me. But uh, do you have your bracelet on? No, I probably should have. Maybe I would have gotten more respect. But but yeah, like the, like they were really really nasty and confrontational with me the whole way, even before the phone broke. Even when uh, and you think they should have been kissing my ass after losing my iPad at the beginning, but no, it was the opposite. And I wasn't rude when they lost my iPad. I was very nice about it. I never gave them a hard time. I didn't complain. I didn't get mad. Nothing. So I, I don't even understand this, but like from the moment I didn't want to give them the passcode, boy, they turned into assholes. So, and, and then that whole thing with with the with the recovery to keep, keep telling me I'm crazy. To, so, so basically, this is what I believe really happened because they what ended up happening is the district manager gave me a loaner phone. He took my phone back. He brought it back to the shop. He tested it out. He told me uh, the phone is shorted out. He told me, which is true. It was. So this is what I think really happened. I think they went to go work on my phone, screwed something up and shorted it out. And then like, oh my god, crap. We gotta do we, we can't tell him we just did this. We can't tell him we just screwed up his phone. Let's try to blame him. 
So something I didn't tell you, they, they kept asking me questions when the, when the phone was boot looping. They kept insisting the phone didn't have enough room on it. Like, what do you mean? They said the, the phone didn't have enough room. So, so when it boots, when it does a cold boot, it needs some room to boot up. If it doesn't have that and the phone's completely full, uh, th- then it can end up in this boot loop and, and, and crash. So I kept telling them it's a 128 gigabyte phone. There's no way. There's no way it's full. They kept insisting it's full. We know this is full. We know that's why this happened. It's full. They wanted me to admit it was full, even though it wasn't, so they could blame it on me. So I don't think they were trying to get out of not buying me a new phone because, as I said, that was promised the whole way. I think what they wanted is for me to accept it was my fault. And this way, when they had to replace the phone and justify to their boss why they had to buy a new $800 phone for me, that it was actually my fault. Now, something this nasty piece of shit Southern guy said to me when we were discussing this, he says that he actually thinks that I brought in a phone that was just about to break down, that that when the camera has a problem, that's usually indicative that the whole phone has a problem, and that it was just about to break down, and as soon as they opened it up, that's what finally did it. So they're getting, quote, the ass end of the situation. <laughs> That's actually what he told me. They're getting the ass end of the situation. Instead of sorry for the phone, but like the, he, he's lecturing me that this is my fault, and they're getting the ass end of this, is what he said to me. So this is the type of nasty shit, and the mocking of me saying I'm, a, I'm a, quote, the smart guy. The, the whole situation was terrible, and this is a place that really prides itself on its customer service and its happy customers and its social media ratings and, and its Yelp ratings and... and I was shocked I was being treated this way. So, so anyway, what really happened, getting back to what really happened, they shorted the phone out at the beginning. They wanted to somehow get me to take the blame. They were still going to buy me a new phone, but they wanted me to take the blame, and I wasn't going for it. I wasn't uh, – like the tech guy was actually mocking me for not giving him the password. He says, well, you didn't give me the password, so that's why we weren't able to check how much space was on the phone, and that's what caused all this. I said – if you wanted me to check how much space is on the phone, you should have told me. I would have unlocked it and checked it right there. So it, it, it was crazy. So anyway, what, what I believe really happened is they wanted me to take credit for something I did that caused it. Either I brought them a, a phone that was about to break or I, I didn't have enough room on the phone and wouldn't let them check into it because of the password. Something that they could justify to their boss, the customer screwed up. It's his fault the phone broke, not ours. So, yes, we have to replace it, but by the way, it was his fault, not ours. That's what they were hoping I would do and hoping I'd go along with. But I I kept throwing interference here because I wasn't going for their stories. I wasn't going for the phone is full story. I wasn't going for the uh, uh, let's not worry about it, just reset the whole data story. There was no boot loop. I don't believe it. I believe the phone was shorted out from the very beginning. They also lied to this district manager and told him that the phone was in the hello screen, you know, like the very first screen on the iPhone when it's, when it's not in a boot loop anymore, that it was in the hello screen and that they were just about to see what happened next, but I demanded the phone back and took it back even though they told me it's at a hello screen. <laughs> now, I said that doesn't make any sense. I'd been waiting for three hours for this whole thing to be fixed. They finally make progress, and that's when I grabbed the phone back. Why would I ever do that? And how does it go from the hello screen when they hand it to me to dead with a short when, when I have it at home? So they completely lied about that. Anyway, uh, I eventually spoke to the owner. The owner was very nice. He, the owner was basically like a workaholic who put every fiber of his being into developing these four stores and, and getting them the reviews and ratings they have and getting the reputation they have. And He was so upset to hear this, I could tell. And he told me he was about to go on a trip for the weekend. I talked to him on Friday. He told me 
as upset as you are about this whole thing, I'm five times as upset, he said. And I believed him. He said, this is not the way we do things here. I don't know what made these guys act this way. I believe you 100%. And he said, I didn't hear about this until the evening after, you know, the evening following it happening during the day. I wish I knew when it was happening at the time. And what I said to him was, I tried to let you know it was happening at the time. I was begging that southern guy on the front. I was begging him to, to get in contact with you and, and tell the owner what's happening. And he refused and said, I'm the one in charge here. And I could tell the owner just got furious when he heard this. He was furious about this, that they, sh- that they purposely shut out me talking to them about you know, what was happening there. So anyway, it was implied to me, not directly said, but it was implied to me that the southern guy is going to be fired Actually, was it was supposed to happen today? I didn't end up hearing what happened, but uh, it was implied to me that they're gonna that there's gonna be they're gonna be firing him on on uh, today, and uh, and that some other disciplinary action is gonna happen to the tech guy. Maybe I'm, I'm imagining they're not gonna fire him; would probably put him on thin ice. But I I don't feel bad about it. if that's what happens. I don't feel the slightest bit bad because boy, the, the for, number one they wasted three hours of my time for this ruse. They wanted this ruse where it was my fault, and because I wasn't going along with it, they were pretending to fix the phone, when in reality they were just sitting there doing nothing. I know they were doing nothing because, number one, they didn't even know if iTunes could access it. Well, there's no way they couldn't know this after two hours. Number two, they made up that stupid hello screen story, which clearly wasn't true. Number three, they handed me back a shorted out phone, which doesn't make sense. If it was in a boot loop the whole time, how does it suddenly get shorted out? So, so this, the whole thing was a lie. And then this password thing, like the, the shaming me about the password... What the hell was that about? Like, this is not how you're supposed to treat employees. And, and I could tell the owner really was one who had – he's put so much of himself into this business. Every waking hour is, he's putting into this business to make it successful. And you have these assholes ruining it for you, treating the customers this way. And I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to cause this. So, so employees like that shouldn't be working there. You can't decide as an employee, just because your boss isn't watching, you can't just decide you're going to abuse customers because you feel like it. You can't do that. If you do that, you shouldn't be working there. So if this guy gets fired for this, then then too bad. Then he deserves it. He sounded like a dick. Yeah, he was a huge dick. and Like for no reason. Like what did I do to cause this? I, I guarantee I did nothing to cause this, but I think they took an instant dislike to me when I wouldn't give that passcode. Why I... Like I don't know. I think I don't know what I. Well, I don't know why the passcode thing pisses them off. Because like the district manager even told me a lot of people won't give their passwords. But he said a lot of them don't. But for some reason they, they wanted it from me, and when I wouldn't give it, boy were they pissed. And they sat there, the two of them. Now the good thing, is that they they have a security camera in there to watch everything that goes on in the store, not to watch the employees, but to watch like for robberies or whatever. So. I said, look, you don't have audio on the security camera. They told me there's no audio. But I said to the owner, you can pull up the security camera and look at the footage, and you'll see, like, right before I hand them the phone, the two of them coming out there and arguing with me. And you can ask them, what were you arguing with the guy about? And it was, it was about the passcode. But, like, everything I'm telling you, you can, go vid- you can go verify against the video, even without sound. So, you know, this is how I feel about employees getting fired. If I tell a true and accurate version of, what, of events to the owner or the manager... And he decides to fire the employee based upon the true and accurate version of events. Unless these, unless what I'm reporting is a human honest mistake, in which case you can say that's an asshole thing to do to get someone fired over an accidental mistake. 
But you wouldn't do that, right? But 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 if if this is something where they're being nasty and abusive to the customer, and I am reporting factually and honestly what really happened to me, and the boss decides that he doesn't want his customers treated the way I was treated and fires the guy, that's not my fault. That's me giving a true and accurate picture to the owner of what has been occurring when he's not watching. Yeah, and if he likes his business like you said he does, he'll probably fire the guy. Right. So, uh, so uh, what ended up happening was they got the phone working, but the data was gone. Uh, apparently, iPhones are very stupid in this way, and that if you were, like, if anything changes hardware-wise, the iPhone decides it was tampered with, and therefore yeah. resets the data for its own security. Yeah. So that was the end of my girlfriend's data, and she's very unhappy. We should have backed it up before we brought it in there. That was a mistake. Uh, but I've learned a few things. Here are the three things I learned. Number one, always, always, always uh, back up your data before you ever let anywhere work on your iPhone. <laughs> always. Number two, uh, if uh, don't sit there and argue with low-level employees about things like this. If if anything gets stalled like this, they're never going to solve it for you. If you're having a bad experience with, with a with a low-level employee. Just get up and leave. And uh, uh, number three uh, is that I found out that these iPhone 6 Pluses that I bought around that time, late 2014, had a problem with the cameras. And that had I posted on Poker Fraud Alert that I'm having a problem with my camera focusing on my iPhone 6 Plus, someone would have responded... Oh, Apple will still fix that for free even if it's out of warranty because it was a defect. And I know this because someone posted that <laughs> after this whole thing happened. So the ironic thing is I could have had Apple fix this for free the whole way. So that's what's so sad about this. So I've learned that if there's a weird technical thing going on, I should post it to Poker Fraud Alert because someone may have the answer. Yeah. I tried Googling this and it didn't come up, but uh, the person on Poker Fraud Alert, FTP Jesus, and uh, by the way, it's not... Actually, Jesus Ferguson from uh, Full Tilt. I don't know why he named himself that, but uh, uh, his real name is David. But anyway, uh, yeah, he had this identical problem. He got his fix for free out of warranty. So I don't know how he found out about it. But, uh, yeah, those are the three things I learned out of this situation. And uh, so what, what was your story? What happened? Oh, uh, I pulled a drop. I, uh, I went to the cell phone shop just to see when my contract expired and it just happened to be like just a few days before so uh i wanted the new galaxy 7 or whatever and he said it was uh he was out of stock he said but it'll take you know three to five days or whatever so i said well what can we do about the wait because i can go to best buy and buy the phone right now and he said uh okay i'll just waive the activation fee so I got a brand new phone for free, basically. It's pretty tight. Oh, so I, I thought it was giving me a bad story. So, okay, no, good story. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you, I thought you had like a nightmare like I did. Okay. Oh, now you had a good story. Okay. Yeah. So I, this is uh, that was I was just you know, just stuck there for hours, and I like I felt trapped because I felt like I've like I don't want to have them abandon the process of whatever they're doing to try to undo their mistake. 
uh, and maybe get the phone back online, but but like times passing, 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 and they're being so abusive and nasty to me there, and demanding they want to reset the phone and and wipe all the data, and like you know, getting mad at me for not agreeing to it, and something weird was going on. They weren't telling me the truth, seemingly, and like it was just. Uh, I just wanted to get out of there. I should have just taken the phone back. That's what I should have done. And uh, I, I hate when employees won't let you talk to the, the manager or owner because usually that means they're covering something up. And that's what it was. Like they, I think the reason the guy offered at the end is because he knew I would track him down. Right. He, he knew I would track him down. Another he, bonus about my trip was is I ended up owning the phone outright so I don't even have to give it back so I can just keep the phone. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, especially because this place had four stores, so he probably knew, like, I was smart enough to see that they had three other locations. I'll just call another location and ask for the district, district manager. So he probably, after emotionally f- arguing with me about, no, you can't speak to my boss, I'm in charge here. It's like, oh, shit, wait, he can find him anyway. Okay, <laughs> better, better do this. So anyway, I'm, I'm still going to talk to the owner again. Uh, maybe I'll call him. Uh, no, tomorrow I'll be busy with the main, hopefully all day. But uh, Wednesday I won't be playing for sure. And uh, so I will maybe on Wednesday call up the owner if he doesn't call me first and ask what the resolution was. And while I don't have a right to hear whether he fired the employer, what discipline action he took, I, I do feel I have a right to at least hear what the owner has determined happened and and everything like that. Because it did happen to me, so I, I have a right to at least hear you know what he feels about the situation and what he feels really occurred. So finally... The new thing that's been happening, not totally new, it's happened before, but the new common thing to happen as far as protests, especially these uh, Black Lives Matter people, uh, the new thing they've been doing to protest has been blocking freeways. And it's pretty amazing if you watch like a time-lapse video of it with a big crowd of people runs on the freeway and that collectively blocks it. But you think, how do you block a freeway? Because even if you get a lot of people, there's cars like zooming down there, so aren't you going to get hit? But they do it kind of carefully where they first block one lane, then the next one, then the next one, and eventually they're standing the way enough to where cars approaching see this and stop short. And you watch in the video, some of these cars look like they almost hit each other. It's very dangerous to do, both for the protesters, who I don't really care about, and the drivers, who I do care about. Uh, But beyond that... (laughs) What are you laughing about? You don't care about the protest. Well, I don't. If they want to go try to block the freeway and get hit, too bad. Like that's, uh, I'm not going to cry for them. But uh, it's their, their choice to do that and put themselves at risk in that stupid form of protest. But what's what's so bad about this is that people are not on freeways for their own amusement. People are on freeways because they have a purpose. They're going somewhere. Now, sometimes it may just be going somewhere because they feel like going somewhere, visiting something, and it's not urgent. But other times... Uh, you might be going to catch an airplane to fly to somewhere important. Uh, you might be going to an important meeting. Or even more important, perhaps you are in an emergency vehicle with a life-threatening situation trying to get to the hospital. Maybe you're not in an emergency vehicle. Maybe your your brother or your father or your husband or your wife is driving you in your own passenger car, rushing you to the hospital because they feel it will be faster than waiting for an ambulance to show up doesn't matter the freeway is blocked you are stuck you cannot go anywhere there's someone in front of you there's someone behind you there's someone on your sides you cannot go anywhere you are totally stuck until these protesters decide that they're going to let you go through you are being held prisoner on the freeway literally now i guess you can get out of your car and walk out and abandon your car but you can't really do that either your car will be towed so and if you're if you're 
Uh, yep. Fucking leaving your car there. Yeah. So, so you're trapped. You're trapped. You're stuck. These people have decided their political protest is more important than your time, your situation, or your freedom. That they are trapping you on the freeway because they feel like trapping you. That is not protest. That is a crime. That, that is false imprisonment. That should not be allowed. In fact, I feel it should be a felony. Someone on the forum, hockey guy, said, fuck you, Druff, that's not a felony. I think it it's, should be. It's impeding traffic for sure. Yeah, but I think it should be because of it has so many dire consequences to it. There are so many different reasons people are on the road. And number one, collectively, all the cars you're stopping... If you stop them all for a long enough time, you're costing everybody collectively probably hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars if you add them oh. all together. Oh, yeah. And number two, uh, you could be causing someone's death because they can't get to the hospital. There's a, there's a lot of horrible things that can happen, ranging from mildly bad all the way up to horrible, to all these people you're blocking. You can also cause accidents this way, too. All these people you're blocking because of your stupid protest. That is not protest. That I was coming back from Canada, and I was coming through Detroit, and uh, they had the Black Lives Matter protest going on, and I just want to say it was very in order, and no one was blocking any roads. Yeah, well, that's fine. That's their right to do as Americans. But When you block roads, when you impede traffic, when you basically... Make everyone your prisoner for your protest on the freeway? This should be not just a crime, but a felony. And for those of you that think felony is too harsh, if I were to walk into a Best Buy tomorrow and shoplift a $700 laptop, guess what? It's a felony because I've stolen something worth more than $600. I thought it was $1,000. Uh, it varies from state to state, but, but typically it's around 600 Okay. Maybe in your state it's 1000 but typically it's $600. It doesn't, you, you get my point that shoplifting one laptop would be a felony. Now, what do you think is worse? Me shoplifting one laptop or blocking a freeway full of people for hours? I'll agree with you on that for sure. I mean, it's it's not even close as far as the damage to society, both monetarily, uh, possibly more than monetarily, uh, uh, disruption of people's lives and their movement and their freedom. Of course this should be a felony, and this is not something that one could accidentally do. Uh, it, it really takes a lot of nerve to block a freeway. I mean, that's, that's a really conscious and bad thing one is doing. You can't say, oh, I didn't realize it's wrong to block a freeway. Yeah, yes, you did. Yes, you did. So you can claim your cause is so important. You, It, it doesn't matter. You, you're allowed to have your free speech about whatever cause you care about. And you can demonstrate, and these things are all long-held American concepts of, of freedom of speech, and that's fine. But you cannot impede people's progress. You cannot hold them prisoner while you do it. You, you can't block major roads. You can't do these things. That's a crime. So I, I know the police are sometimes afraid to arrest people. They want to go ask them to disperse and then give them time to disperse, and if they don't try to talk them into dispersing, screw that. Now, if they want to give them one chance to say you must disperse within 30 seconds and let them disperse, fine, because then there's not that much time has passed. I still think there should be something, but if that were the compromise that were reached, that they'll give them one chance to disperse immediately and then start arresting people and charging with felonies, then I'm fine with it. 
But the, the problem is a lot of times the police are afraid, especially these days, to arrest these people because it seems like pouring salt on the wounds with the reason they're protesting. So if, if they're protesting the police treatment of black people and then those who are protesting it get arrested and charged with felonies, well, then it looks terrible. But the problem is these people aren't just protesting. They are creating a major safety issue. Yeah, clearly. It's... And, and I think uh, the public would understand that. I think only the, the idiot extremists would think this is okay to do. I agree with protesting and everything, but that's out of control. It, it's totally out of control, and it's getting more and more common. It just happened in Oakland. It happened in Los Angeles. It's uh, It happened in, in uh, some other state. I'm forgetting where. But uh, it, it's been happening all over the country. It's getting more and more common. This has to stop, and the only way it's going to stop is if consequences start getting handed down for it. And... This has to start occurring. And I'm be fine if they warn everybody first and say, okay, we're going to start cracking down on this, so this better not happen or, or you know, the such and such is going to occur. That's fine. You don't have to take them by surprise. But I mean, they can arrest them all they want, but I don't think it should be a felony. I, I, I do because it's got to be something serious enough. I mean, people are willing to take misdemeanors on their record. People are willing to – they feel so strongly about this. They're willing to take some kind of uh, minor charge. It's got to be we something need, that really stops it. We need to it. talk to Larry Laffer about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know he doesn't believe that in that. But no, I, I, the problem is I, I'm afraid without it being a felony. Number one, because it, it really is causing a lot of problems. It's not just it's not just for the principal. It really is causing I, – I use the laptop example. If I steal a laptop worth, even if you want to say $1,000, that is nowhere near the damage to society compared to what blocking the freeway does. So it's, it's ridiculous that if I stole a laptop, I should be charged with a felony, and the guy who blocks the freeway uh, gets charged with a misdemeanor. It wouldn't be fair to me. I'm not going to steal a laptop, but you get my point. So I, I feel that there are so many far-ranging consequences to doing this that that I think I the punishment think does fit. Get charged with uh, a felony for stealing a laptop, either though. By the way, well, that that I might agree with, but 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 I I think this is a real. I think this is much worse. The blocking the freeway. I think this is much worse than a lot of people are giving it credit for what it actually is. I think this is absolutely something that should never happen. Except the only people who should ever blo- be blocking freeways are absolutely insane people who may like you know run across the freeway back and forth or something and just you know, some guy who should be in a loony bin. Not people protesting. Not sane people protesting. They should they should know that not only is this wrong, but there's a serious consequence for doing it. And I think if they just hand, hand out misdemeanors for it, I, I think that's not going to deter a lot of these people who feel strongly enough about the cause to where they hey I'll take a misdemeanor. I think this is worth it. Felony, I bet they think a different different story. So that, that's my opinion. We'll, we'll see what eventually happens. They're eventually going to have to answer to this because when I say they, I mean the protesters and the police. You know, like what, 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 how's this going to be solved? How's this going to stop? Okay, Larry Laffer, he probably has a different opinion on this. Uh, hello. Hello. Well, I don't know if I have a different opinion. I mean, I agree that, you know, probably shouldn't be on a freeway. But what are we supposed to do? Well, protest wherever you want that doesn't impede people's progress. Yeah. Protest wherever we want, but that's where they want to protest. That's where you get people to... That's where you're where you forced people to listen to you. No, that's where you disrupt everyone's life and force them to listen to you. Not, not, not put yourself in a place where they can listen to you if they, if they want to, but where you're not forcing. No one should be forced to listen to anything. You purpose you you know you group up and you don't bother anybody else for a peaceful protest. Yeah, go be, you go stand in a but park or the sidewalk anymore. or whatever. 
Well, people don't want to listen, then they don't listen. You know, that's a, that's their choice. You can't force people to listen. That's the point. You you can never force people to listen. You you can try to get their attention. But why are we even protesting in the first place? I mean, I mean, we're, it's not like we're protesting for nothing here. I mean, well, I, they're pro- literally they're, they're killing people without even, like, any due process. Something. I mean, they, they killed that guy, and uh, they killed the sniper guy, right? And yeah, I get it. He was, he was shooting cops and stuff. But you have a right in this country, even as a criminal. To a trial. Well, no, no. The sniper guy had to be killed. He was, he was still trying to kill people. This wasn't this wasn't judge, jury, and executioner. It this doesn't not, matter. Of course it does. He, the, the safety of the public comes first. If someone is actively trying to kill people, you must kill them to stop them. There's no other choice. There are other. We there's no other choice. Come on. Otherwise, no, he kills he's more talking people. about the Dallas thing. Yeah, that's what, yeah, the, that's that, what you're talking about. That, that is what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you cannot let someone with a gun. Try, you know, who, who's who's using it to who either has killed people or says he's going to kill people with it? You cannot just let him kill people and try to arrest him peacefully. You just got to take him out. That's the no. only solution. Yes, but but like, come on, are we just gonna be like, are we just gonna be a militarized state where we're just gonna, you know, execute people whenever? That, we, that's whenever not executing people. That's stopping someone who who is trying to kill people at, at, at the moment, trying to kill people. The only solution. Okay, is how to about stop him. how about the guy in? Because uh, we're talking about the protests, right? And I don't want to derail the conversation, but I agree with you. Probably going on the highway is not a good thing to do. It's dangerous. I agree with you, and I agree that they shouldn't be impeding ambulances and stuff like that. I totally agree with you, but. It's time that we have to do something to to show people that, that we're just not going to take this anymore. I mean, we have a right to protest in this country. But then that's fine to do it. Do you want to protest on the street corner, or do you want to protest in front of the White House, or do you want to go on the highway? It's your right to do it. And it should not be a no, but that's a difference. That's a difference. You, see, that? Now you're now you're crossing over because you, it is your right to protest if you want, and you can and you can stand in spots where you'll be heard and where you'll be seen, and that's fine. You just cannot impede anyone's progress. You cannot force them to listen to you. You cannot stop their movement. You have to you have to allow everyone to go about their lives if they want to. You have to allow them to walk by you or drive by you if they want to. You cannot force them to listen to you. You cannot Man. force them not to move. Let me ask you this then. What's the difference between the highway and shutting down some major street? Like, I'm from Chicago, right? What if we went on Michigan Avenue and we protested there and we stopped all the cars on Michigan Avenue? That right? shouldn't is happen that either. The same thing? Is that, no, that shouldn't is happen that, either. That shouldn't be allowed unless, either? unless you have a permit from the city to protest there where they can divert traffic elsewhere, you, cannot shut, you can't no, shut down you a major don't street either. You need a permit to protest. That's, no, that's no, but wrong. to shut down streets, you do. You can't shut yeah. down streets. You can't just block streets. Yeah, it, it, the freeway is the worst because that's the hardest to get out of. But but you know if if you're trapped on a busy street, it's almost the same thing. So that that's I mean, terrible too. You can't do it. It's listen, just, obviously you know that I'm anti-law enforcement for whatever reasons I am anti-law enforcement at the moment, right? Yeah. But these things are like happening every single day. Every single day. Someone innocent, or maybe they're not innocent, but they're still guaranteed due process, right? Are being killed. They're being killed left and right. What about the guy in Minneapolis, in Minnesota? He he wasn't doing anything wrong. There's, he was a, a, a here's here's the here's the thing. Okay, there there's always going to be 
uh, isolated cases of of uh, police brutality or other cases where, where certain police officers are not going to act right or use too much force or, or jump the gun and get you trigger happy. And it's unfortunate, but this is... But these aren't isolated cases anymore. They are. In a big yeah, country, it is. Like... It's just it's, they're getting more... Because of the way the world is now with the, with the social media, there's a lot more press for them. So whenever these happen... To, I used to... Well, yeah, there's more cameras now. Now everyone has a camera. So it's the same thing. It's just it's covered more. That's what I'm trying to say. The, 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 I used to be more anti-police, but as you look into it, They've killed, you know, they killed a lot of people this year, but most of the people were white. That's funny. No, that 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 wasn't for like me. That. Actually, we we have a new caller on the line who just did that. New caller, would you like to identify yourself? Oh, he he hung up. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't even that was that was from a caller. I was high this time. That was that wasn't for me. That was that was. That's the caller. <laughs> your your voice sounds exactly the same to me. Does it really? Wow. Well, I guess that's how I was born. I don't like the sound of my voice anyway, so you know. But well, it sounds like I mean, trying to hide it. I mean, what? I mean, but like, okay. So then, where are these people supposed to protest? Then? But there's so many places they can do it in parks. They can do it on, on sidewalks. You know, a lot of places. In parks, like I said, I was coming back from Canada. And they they had the whole park packed full of people. I mean, they weren't bothering anybody. They were just protesting. Yeah, and let me tell you, you, these people are not doing themselves or their cause any favor by blocking freeways because all it does is get everyone angry. The vast majority, the vast, vast majority of people do not approve of this and get angry when they see it. And all they do is say, this cause sucks. This cause is selfish. This cause is uh, all they want to do is is disrupt everything. And and, and all they care about is themselves and nobody else. And everybody tunes out their message. If you want anyone to listen to your message when you're protesting, you have to be sensitive to those that you are giving the message to. Because they may be protesting the police, but the ones they want to listen to their message are, are, are the general is the general public, the, the, the average citizen. And you're not going to endear yourself to the average citizen if you're impeding his traffic or if the average citizen watches this on TV and thinks, wow, what if I was the one on the 405 freeway when this happened? Boy, would I have been pissed. Like, you don't want people seeing your group this way. You want or them just having generally acting like an idiot. Yeah, you want you them know? to see you as someone they can relate to and then agree with and, and maybe even identify with, not someone who's adversarial to them. And that's, and that's what the... Uh, these chapters of the Black Lives Matter movement, which, by the way, many of these people are white. Like in Minnesota, there was an arrest for blocking the freeway there, and 75% of the people arrested were white. So these aren't even black people concerned about their own lives mattering. These are white douchebags who pretend to understand. It's it's people who are like... well, I, don't I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Back, but the racial makeup of a group of protesters should not make a difference. I, I think it's funny, though, that the, the people who are who are doing this protesting, 75% of the people who blocked the freeway in Minnesota, again, something they should never be doing, a very selfish act, uh, who, who, are, who are doing this because the cause is so important, are not even part of this group. They're, they're not even part of this race that they feel is being persecuted. They're, they're not even part of this. They're not even ones who've ever felt this, uh, what they claim is this victimhood. I don't know. When I was down no, there... No, but there are people that support... They can support it, but support. I mean, they're, they're fanatical enough to block the freeway, though. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, well, blocking that, the freeway is another true. issue. Yeah, the that's, people that do that are... That's why... No, I don't, I'm not saying that people... You can protest 
with Black Lives Matter in a respectful and, and uninhibiting way and be white, that's fine if you want to stand in solidarity with them. I'm talking about how you're so worked up that you have to block the freeway and, and you're not even someone who's affected by all this that's been happening. You're someone who's, who's supporting them, but you're actually going so far to block the freeway when you're not even one of the people who's been affected by this or who can even relate to what's been happening. Yeah, some, and some white people can relate to the police being, you know, a, a little rough. Yeah, they can, but they but this these protests seem to be aimed at that the police are being racist towards black people, not that the police just in general are uh, are, are out of control. That seems to be the the theme recently is that but, the tar- targeting black people, whether you agree or not, that's the theme. But, but you know what? If this thing, the peaceful protesting isn't working, no one's getting the message. I would say right. no, everyone's getting so, the message. That's a, I'll, I'll tell you what's getting well, the everyone's, message. Everyone's getting the message now. The yeah, message but I don't – not because of the freeway. Yeah, not because I of the freeway. Exactly. getting the message. You know, they've done – look, it's been going I think what Jeff said earlier, if 100 percent of the people on the freeway were, were for the cause and then they – maybe 70 percent of the people would still be for the cause or just not as passionate about it. They yeah. certainly lose a lot of people. You know, I say this all the time to, to the vegans. I, there's these vegans I see on Facebook that just go on and on about their vegan okay. causes. And I say to the vegans, I say, look, <laughs> I, I say, look, I, I can understand your point here about loving animals, about not eating animals as food, about, uh, you know, how can you put some animals over others? You know, you say you don't want to harm any dogs, but then you're willing to eat a cow. I go, I understand your message here. OK, I, I'm st- I still eat meat, but I understand your message and I, I can I can see some of the points you're raising here. But. You're not going to convert anyone if your language is so harsh. And you, I, I see some of these vegans posting that anyone who eats meat is worse than Hitler, and they really mean it. Or, or others. No, out, I agree. Outrageous I have a stuff lot of like vegan this. friends that do that. And, and, and I, I see outrageous yeah, stuff like very this. Ag- and I, very militant. And, and I say to them, you're not going to convert anyone. If your goal is to get people to stop eating meat and, and to see all animals as precious and that you don't eat and you don't uh, farm for food, et cetera, et cetera, you have to – Appeal to the people you're speaking to. If you if you tell everyone that eats meat that they're worse than Hitler, they're going to tune you out. And they go, "Well, they are worse than Hitler. What about all the genocide of animals?" Blah blah blah. And I go, "Okay, you know what? Fine. Keep on the way you're keep keep doing what you're doing. See how successful it is. See how many people relate to you." Is it weird that I don't? What? I said, "Is it weird that I don't know any vegans at all?" That, that is weird. I I I know a lot. Yeah, of that is kind of weird. <laughs> I, the funny thing is, I can well, actually, you're lucky. I can actually understand some of their points, but the the way they present it is like the worst. Like they they just uh, uh, and the funny thing is, the vegan community is kind of breaking down because they there's like all this infighting now because there's some that are like big in the social justice warrior movement, and then some who are super anti the social justice warrior movement, and they're all fighting now. And, and there's all these different factions of the vegans now. It's it's kind of that's kind of entertaining to watch. But but yeah, like in general, if if you're trying to create some kind of societal change, you you have to watch your approach, and you have to make sure your approach is, is something that can resonate with the common people that you're trying to to get to adopt your position. If you're going to come at them in an offensive manner or or disrupt their lives in some way to try to get your point across, uh, they're just going to hate you, and they're not going to listen to you. That's what they're just making a mistake by what they're doing. Not only is it insensitive to do and nasty to do and dangerous to do what they've been doing with the freeway, but it's not even winning over any converts. It's it's just it's just making matters worse. 
So I, I, I don't even understand this but tactic. It's get, but, but it's getting their message out, right? But the message is already getting out. We, we've heard nothing about – we've heard so much about this stuff uh, over the, the past uh, two years or so, maybe in three years. We've heard, we've yeah, heard so much about this, this, uh, this uh, police brutality stuff now, especially involving black people. We've, we've heard about this constantly for three years. Uh, the message is getting out. I'm hearing it all the time. Yeah, there's videos of it everywhere. It is getting out. Yeah, it's getting out big time. Yeah, there's, there's videos are everywhere. I'll agree. Yeah, like uh, that's can that's something. At least, can we all at least agree, though, that, that it is a systemic problem that we're having here? That yes. the police are being over-militarized? I, I think... They're using deadly force too much? I, 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 well, I, I think it definitely is. I think that thing in Minnesota was just sick. And I heard that attorney on, yeah. uh, Good, Morning Agar- on Good Morning America... Saying, oh, it was more than a tail light. Now they're saying it wasn't even the tail light wasn't even out. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Well, there was that article that was posted, right, from the conservative treehouse, right? That was completely false, right? We, we have to agree that that article was completely false. The guy yeah. was a concealed carry, concealed carry permit, right? And he got killed because the officer was too afraid. And you signed up for that. No one makes these. No one makes these people become police officers. You sign up for that. Here's here's the problem, right. though. Okay, the, all these mistakes with with police brutality and 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 shootings, which were the police were over aggressive, have been happening uh, for for decades. But now, and I don't believe it's any worse now than it was before. Now we have the coverage of it because of, of social worse media. Now. Because, no, it's because we have coverage now. Before we didn't yeah, have coverage. I believe I believe that it's the coverage. And and so now we have the coverage of it. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't address the problem. But unfortunately, uh, what this the unfortunate side effect this has had is it 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 takes away from what I believe is the true problem is that there are certain uh, bad apples in in the police that in every police force there's you know a few bad apples that. Behave this way. Yes, I think it's a few because you're, you, this is a large country with 300 million people. You're going to have these incidents compared to the all the police interactions as a whole. This is a tiny percentage, but but the few that happen become very high profile. So you have the the, the small percentage of, of cops who are who are bad or over aggressive, and and there and the problem is there there is a system that kind of protects them, and, and that that has to stop. They need to get rid of the bad apples. But the problem is by all they, this by all this they, coverage. We have gotten now – there's now an impression of the police that I think is unfair, and the police are afraid now, even the good ones, to do their job. And some of you are not old enough to remember this. Some some of you are. The crime in the United States was rapidly increasing from the 60s through the early uh, – all the way through 1990. The, the crime was rapidly going up. I watched it happen as I grew up. Um, I was 18 in 1990. That's when the crime in the U.S. – Hit its highest, hit its peak, and it was it was bad. the The crime was at a very very bad level at that point, especially in the inner cities, and people didn't know what to do. And it just seemed like there'd be an endless problem. Just every year get worse, worse, worse. It had been getting worse for twenty five years without without stop. Something that changed in the early nineties was that they decided to try a uh, more of a community policing approach, or they would start just putting a lot of cops out there on the streets. And just not allowing them to take BS and putting stop to a lot of the the crap that was going on with a lot of the gang violence, and it worked, and it it, it cleaned up a lot of areas, 
and, and there were also attempts to, to clean up and gentrify a lot of areas like Times Square and things like that. Well, all these things worked, and for 23 straight years between 1990 and 2013, crime dropped. Uh-oh, what's all those noise? I don't know what's happening here. What's going on? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sorry about that. My uh, my dog knocked over. Wow, that was a nasty dog. So like anyway, the crime crime decreased for for twenty three straight years. Okay, we're gonna have to. Yeah, your phone's yeah, fucking up, man. I had, I had to drop Larry. He was too loud. Whatever that was, it was a. It wasn't just a dog. It was like very weird. Yeah, it was feedback or something. Yeah. So so anyway, the for twenty three straight years, crime dropped in the U.S. I used to cite this to people from other countries that would criticize the United States for being crime-ridden and everything else, I would I would tell people, look, our crime's going down every single year. We're improving here. We're not getting worse. So anyone who thinks the crime's getting worse, or you know, they're wrong. The crime's actually improving every single year. Well, I can't say that anymore. For the last three years, it's gotten worse rapidly. And 2016 is, is uh, we're really seeing a, a rapid spike in crime. In fact, uh, in the first five months of 2016, Las Vegas, for example, has about double the murders than it did in 2015. And it's not just this, not just in Vegas. It's happening everywhere. That the violent crime is rapidly spiking in the last three years, especially in 2016. Why? And, you know, and you think this is because the police are scared to do their job? I, I think so, because it correlates with the time when all of this started to be covered. And when even President Obama got involved. Nobody knows for sure. I can't say I know this for sure, because nobody knows for sure. You, you can't say for sure... Why in the last three years the trend reversed and now the crime is the violent crime is spiking back up again after 23 years of declining? You can't say it's the economy because we had many times the economy is worse than today. Over the past uh, since 1990, there were some some bad recessions that occurred, like the 2008 uh, housing crisis and the bank crisis, the uh, you know the, the the recession in the 90s. Uh, you had the dot-com bust in 2001 and the, the September 11th attacks. Like you, you had a lot of times the economy really went in the shitter, and yet crime still kept going down. But suddenly, no. But a lot of it, Truff, is because of all the new laws they've been passing in California that have been letting prisoners out early. They've also been talking to all the DAs because, like, there's the, you know because of the overcrowding prisons. I don't know if you've been following any of that in California, and a federal judge is basically making them. But they're letting non-violent people out. But yeah, but yeah, but here's the problem though. They said they're letting non-violent people out, right? So they might have had two armed robberies, and then they stole a bike on their third one. They're not counting the two armed robberies. They're just counting the last. Thing yeah, I've heard. I've heard about for. that. But that's just California. The thing is, right? But they but they contribute. But Vegas specifically has been blaming California because a lot. I think it's like AB one hundred and two. I forgot. What yeah, I heard about that. But I'm not. I'm not sure if I believe that. I think Vegas is just trying to scapegoat California for this. To be honest. I mean, I, I agree they shouldn't be. I agree they, they the way they're letting these prisoners out is wrong. They should consider everything. But but I also think that uh, Vegas is trying to find an excuse to blame California. But but this is occurring across the country. It's not just Vegas and, and, and L.A. This is the entire country. Crime in all the major cities. Crime is up sharply over the last three years, and it's go every year it's going up. And and there's we can't be sure of the reason. That's just my guess about it. That's, that's my guess about why it's happening because that's the, you, you think what has changed in the last three years and that's the, uh, regarding you know, anything having to do with crime and punishment what, or, or, or could be causing crime to occur. What has changed? Uh, What's different Renee today? Roger in chat saying it's because someone allowed 
abortions. Here's the abortion theory, but that wouldn't explain the last three years. The uh, there is a theory that the Roe versus Wade uh, ruling in 1972, uh, allowing abortions to be legal, allowed people to abort children that would have been raised in a bad environment and would have been much more likely to be criminals later in life than uh, than those children who were wanted. And that if you look at 1990, uh, that was when those kids were 18, would have been eight, this, the first batch of those kids that were aborted would have otherwise been 18. And that's why it peaked in 1990. And then it, and then it slowly it went down from there because every year um, – the people who weren't aborted that became criminals got older, and older people tend to cl- commit less crime. That's that's for sure. That the, most of the violent crime is committed by the younger people. So that as the people who were not aborted, who grew up in bad situations, uh, aged, as they aged, uh, then the newer group of young people, since a lot of them were aborted, that they would have been committing crimes. That that brought the crime rate down. That's the theory. However, even if you want to agree with that theory. That doesn't explain why now in 2013, why now it's going back up. That, that's the weird thing. Well, now it's all the kids on Maury that found that out. They, the, the person they thought was the father wasn't the father. Yeah. They're all turning 18. <laughs> there are a lot of fucked up kids out there now, you know? Yeah, but they're always, they're always they're, were. They're always saying he's trying to call back in. Yeah, well, I'm about to end the show anyway, but uh, but yeah, I, I, there's no there's no look there's no full answer to this. There's I, I can't say I know for sure why the crime went up in, since 2013. I, I I I can't even say I know why for sure why it went down starting 1990. You know, the, I know the abortion theory was one, but then there that does also correspond with when they started to uh, uh, do the uh, the community based policing and and then putting a lot of cops on the streets and, and changing the approach. In a lot of these uh, cities, where, where crime was rampant, and that, uh, and also, but these cops just write bullshit speeding tickets, and that's the city's fault. The, the cops don't even want to do that. They're that you can't blame the cops for that one. They're being uh, forced by the city to do it. And I, I believe me, I got a ticket for riding my bicycle without a light on it. Yeah, no, I, I look. Nobody hates these type of tickets more than me. I, I hate them. I always tell people how to fight them. I always try to fight them myself. I think I think it's just a money making scheme oh, for the I city. I always fight them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a money making scheme for the city, and I hate them. So believe, I'm not defending the tickets at all. Uh, I'm just saying I, I don't think it's the cops' fault. They're being directed from above, from the city level. They have to do this as part of their job. So they they can't just say "f you," we're not doing it, or they they get in trouble. They they have to follow the orders from the top, and the top is being ordered by the city, and uh, that's. That's where that type of stuff has to stop. It's 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 the corrupt city governments who are directing that to happen. So I that part I don't blame the cops for the for the brutality issues. I, I blame certain cops. I blame the cops that are actually doing it, and I blame those who uh, who try to cover for bad cops instead of trying to get them off the force. There needs to be a, a stronger push in police departments that instead of acting like they're all brothers and trying to protect each other, to identify who the bad ones are and just get rid of them. And, and not uh, not try to protect them all, only protect the good ones. That sh- that really should be the culture there, not the culture that you uh, you you even stand by the ones that are, are abusive or bad or over aggressive. And it's a tough job if you think about it. Being a, cr- a cop is a tough job. You're, you're dealing with the worst of the worst of society every day. Uh, the traffic cops actually, for the most part, have it easy, except for the few that have the unlucky experience of uh, running into a criminal who's on the run and then shoots them, which happens occasionally. But for the most part, the traffic cops at least are mostly just stopping normal people who aren't going to cause them any harm. But a lot of police have to deal with 
a really difficult and, and bad element of society, who dangerous element of society, and, and it starts to wear on you. It starts you start to get even if you're not racist, if you're a cop and, and every day you're running into black people who are uh, who are committing crimes and, and, and resisting arrest, and and if you're just noticing a certain trend in the crime that's being committed, you can try to be politically correct. You can try to not be a racist all you want. Eventually, it it starts to affect you. Eventually, it starts to affect the way you think, even if you don't want it to. And yeah, but and, a lot of I mean, it's a lot of white people are arrested too. Like, why do we keep forgetting that? Like, it's oh not yeah, oh no, it's black. not all black people. And but but that's the other thing. Cops forgetting about the race. Cops also just are always on guard because there's so many people who who uh, are difficult, who are committing crimes, who are resisting arrest in some way. It's a difficult job to do day in, day out, and it's hard to always be on perfect behavior. I'm not defending them for this. I'm saying that it's everybody's human, and if you have to deal with very bad and crazy and, and uh, uh, hardened criminals every day, it wears on you, and it, it starts to get harder and harder to treat those you're coming into contact with as human beings. And, and that's it's something everybody has to work on. But it, it, it's hard to criticize that fully if until you think what they have to go through on a daily basis. And you you want, know, then these people shouldn't be cops anymore if they can't handle it. Well, I know that, but, but I'm saying – but sometimes it's hard to tell if you can handle it until you've already been it. And sometimes you don't even realize that you're changing from the tough job you're doing. So you, you, you have to realize they have a tough job, but that doesn't excuse now it doesn't excuse brutality or, or any breaking of the law or, or mistreatment of, of, of uh, people they're coming into contact with. I'm just saying that it's not as simple. A lot of people like to think that that the police are just evil and, li- and like abusing people and like you know, doing this for fun. There, there's a small percentage who are like that, but there's a lot of them also that have just made mistakes in, in a heated moment where... Uh, they feel their life is in danger, or they they feel they're uh, encountering someone who's dangerous, who really isn't, but they get the wrong impression, and and uh, a lot of yeah, these times these aren't evil racist people. The, yeah, but a lot some of these some of these videos are, and you know it's very clear that deadly force isn't always the first option that you should go to. Well, yeah, no, there's and there's some bad ones. There's some that are just truly bad. That's not. You have a wide variety. There's so many cops in this country. You're going to have a certain percentage that are just very bad. And that, and now these guys are all showing up on social media uh, because there's so many different uh, people recording these things, or even ones that aren't recorded that are just being reported, and the media is grabbing it. So uh, that's the problem. Is you 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 have a large percentage. I mean, so you have a large group, and you're going to always have a small percentage that 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 act very poorly and that uh, commit criminal acts. And you, you just can't, you just have to stop yourself from assuming that's what they're all like or that's what most of them are like because it's not true. I think the way the culture has to change the most is to work to get the bad apples out of the force because I do think with a lot of the, with a lot of them... I fully agree with that. I think that a lot of them, they could predict who's more, most likely to do this sort of thing and, and who isn't and get the ones who are most likely to do this sort of thing out of there. Instead of uh, protecting them and just hope nothing happens, so I, I think that they don't need to t- hire any kind of military background type people. I think those people need to stay out of law enforcement. But it's it's hard to that becomes a form of discrimination to keep them out, though. So that's the problem. Uh, you know, maybe some sort of psychological exam, things like that. If people don't, they don't pass that, that uh, you know have a 
stricter standards for that, for having to pass a strict psychological exam, and those that don't pass just can't be on any force, and too bad. So, anyway, this this could be debated and discussed forever. There's no easy solution to this, I realize that, and uh, it's a complicated issue. It's one where there's many facets to it. Anyone who thinks it's a simple problem with a simple answer uh, is not looking at the entire picture, no matter what side they're on. If you're on the, the cop side, if you're on the, the side of Black Lives Matter, if you're on the side of just people who think that uh, police are brutal in general, no matter what side you're on, you it's not a simple issue. It's not a... You got to look at the cops as, you know, take their uniform off. They're just a person, you know? Yeah. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, in my account, encounters with police, uh, not of which all have been good. I, I, I've even in traffic stops and stuff uh, had a few bad experiences. Not terrible experiences, but they have weren't. Have you ever been pulled out of your car at gunpoint? No, I've not been pulled out. Of, I've never had a gun pulled on me. But I've had gun. I've had guns pulled on me plenty of times. Really? And I think it's ridiculous. Why well, it, it is if the situation doesn't warrant it. I, I have encountered some abusive cops. I even inv- encountered one time an abusive female cop who thought, who clearly hated men. This is like right. when I was like 22. They all do. Yeah, and and, uh, and this like one really, really hated men. I could totally tell. And, and it was just a traffic stop. Uh, like I, I've encountered some, but the reason these never escalated, the reason I've never posted about them or anything is because – I didn't let them escalate. I, I realized that if I escalate, this could be something very bad. So I'm just going to I'm going to remain calm, and I, I'm still going to do what they say you know, within reason and, and just let the thing end. And if, when it's all over, if I think I was mistreated enough to where it's worth uh, lodging a complaint with the police department, I will. Or even if it's worth you know, yeah, a lawsuit, then I will. That, that isn't going to go anywhere. It's going right in the garbage. Well, you can try. But the, the point is, though, the worst thing you can do is, is, is fight back at the time. That you never want to do that. It just it just causes the situation to get worse, and it ends badly for you. And even if you feel you're in the right, you just can't do it. You have to. The uh, next time you get pulled over, there's a little note there saying that you filed a complaint, and they they're already judging you before they even see you. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if there's any notes that say that about you, like especially different departments pulling you over. It's, oh, uh, there's notes. But where'd the notes be? The notes are on your file when they pull you up on the little computer they have. Hmm. Well, here, this, here's a, a text from uh, one of the black listeners. He says, so you're saying the media de- depicts a distorted image of law enforcement that shows them in a worse light than they really are? As one of your three black listeners, I can relate. <laughs> he's, tr- he's trying to say here, in case you don't understand, he's trying to say uh, that... Black people are shown by the by the media as worse than they really are, so uh, he can relate to the law enforcement being shown the same way. Yes. Uh, so this is it from the eight one eight. Nothing about this topic, but I wanted to read it before we end the show. WSOP closed my account for suspicious activity. Then they closed it for good after investigation, which they say they won't disclose what it revealed. I don't know what happened. I used the account without fraudulent activity. They say the matter is closed. Do I have any recourse? Answer: Yes, you do. Uh, WSOP.com is a regulated site by the Nevada Gaming Commission. So I don't know what the Nevada Gaming Commission's rules are regarding what you can find out, but they have rules in place. So you should go to the Nevada Gaming Commission and lodge a complaint and and tell them you did nothing wrong, you have no idea why it was closed, and and the Nevada Gaming Commission will investigate. They may give you a lot of clarity. They may give you the full reason. I've never... 
investigated this process before, so I can't tell you exactly what the Nevada Gaming Commission will or won't do for you, but they, unlike uh, these non-regulated sites, which really can do what they want with no consequence, WSOP.com has to follow Nevada state law with how they handle things like this. So you go to the Nevada Gaming Commission, or if you're in New Jersey, go to their Gaming Commission and uh, and get this sorted. So that's, the, that's what I can tell you, and uh, whoever you are in the 818. Anyway, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Sysop. Before we end this, uh, do you call yourself Sysop because you used to uh, run a computer bulletin board uh, a long time ago? Uh, n- no, I'm I'm a bit younger than that, but I was fascinated by it. Oh, you were fascinated. How old are you? For some reason, I thought you were around my age. No, I'm 31. Oh, 30, okay. For some reason, I I don't know. I was, I, maybe the Sysop name was, was confusing me. Maybe I was just picturing you as like a eight, 1980s BBS user, but in the, I don't think in the 1980s you were doing that much at all. No, no, not at all. That's, that's kind of strange to think about, like people your age, that there's just like no memory of the 80s at all. Or if there is, it's like a super fuzzy one as a little kid. Yeah, maybe like at the zoo or something, but yeah, yeah. I don't have any memories of the 80s. Yeah, but is... I, I did find myself fascinated with that yeah, like, uh, BS stuff. Yeah, it's like I, I was even, uh, I even have, I have memories of this, of starting from like the mid-70s. It's the, uh, it makes me feel How old. long have you been online? Thir- I have been online for 30 years. I first got online in 1986 in the month of April. Uh, well, I couldn't hear. What was that? I said I was one when yeah, you, you were one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I got a modem for my 14th birthday. A little bit after my birthday. I'm not born in April, but shortly after my birthday, I, I got this modem, and I got online on computer bulletin boards, and I actually got on the internet for the first time in 1991 before there was any web. There was only uh, text back then. Trader Ruski, you still here? I sure am. When, when did you first get online? One year after you. Oh, well, I beat you to it, even though you're older than me. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> got online in 94. 94? That's 94 is pretty early, considering uh, your age at the time. You're only like, what, uh, nine years old? Yeah, I was programming in uh, Visual Basic and stuff. Really? Yeah, I remember Visual Basic. <laughs> All right, so thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, before day two version of radio. I will be uh, 11 a.m., 10 hours from now. Actually, less than 10 hours. Uh, no, exactly 10 hours from now. I will be at the World Series. I really hope it goes well. I really hope I can recover this stack. I, wanna, I, w- I want to uh, get a second chance here. I have a second chance. Like It was so weird because I was feeling like... Uh, today I was like kind of feeling like a little depressed about it. I, I almost felt like I was out and I had to remind myself, wait, I'm not out. I, I still have chips. Like I can come back and play tomorrow. Like I, It's not over. It didn't go the way I hoped but it's not over. I'm still there. So, and it's not like I have like 2,000 and I'm, I'm pretty much done. Like I can easily come back with 30,000. So, that's my power of positive thinking for the moment. Thank you for Sysop. Thank you, Trader Ruski, who stayed awake the whole time amazingly. Thanks and for having me on. Thank you, even Larry Laffer, for calling in. Even if uh, a listener thinks that you sound like Woody Woodpecker, it's okay. <laughs> That's all for tonight. Good night. Shalom. Shalom. Oh.